0: Hey everyone, it's Tom here, Alf Botalica, back with another episode of Recycle Content. This is uh, the fourth in our series of retrospective compilations. If you're not familiar with these, we've done them before on. Uh, what did we do? Ride the Lightning, Master, Death Magnetic, and today we're tackling 1936's Load. So basically what I do is is go back through all the episodes where we discussed all the songs. Obviously at the time of me recording this, we've completed the original run of Alf We've reviewed every single song with guests all around the world. And uh, yeah, so I've remade Load here, um, cut out all the intros and the outros and the Twitter plugs and stuff like that, and just kept it to me and the guest speaking, you know picking over the critical innards of each of these 14 songs little clip in between and these are really fun to do both as a time capsule because um i mean i'll get to breaking down the episode in a second but you know a lot of these are really early in the run and listening back to them now is quite eye-opening and also quite reassuring really i haven't really changed that much Uh, although would i in three years i don't know so um yeah, enough blabbering. Just to let you know, before I get into the track listing, and my thank yous, that Albert Metallica is continuing as ever. I'm sure you've already seen that we've done the Metal Massacre episode and the support bands episode, and I'm currently writing notes for loads of episodes coming up. I'm really looking forward to going to get Phil back on the show. Phil, who I actually speak to on on Ronnie, uh, which is the uh, penultimate track here, and we're going to be talking about Through the Never Metallica's Through the Never concert film. Um, myself and Jack are currently putting together a giant jason newstead retrospective i mean i spoke about this before i want to do these huge Dan Carlin hardcore history-like pieces on all the members of the band, and this one's coming together, I've got to be honest with you, doing all my notes, I got to about 10,000 notes, and I hadn't even got to the time when he joined Metallica, and I was thinking this is a bit OTT, but I've slimmed it down a bit, I've pruned it, I've rearranged it, I'm feeling really positive, really looking forward to recording that, I'm recording that in like a week or so, two weeks or so, um, you know, other stuff, I'm going to be looking at Metallica's TV appearances more in depth, I'm also going to do an episode on Hetfield's appearance on Joe Rogan, and yeah, just, kinda of lots of things percolating through, you know. Obviously, I still haven't done a some kind of monster episode, lots of documentaries on the band that like I haven't covered, a Year and a half in the life and all that sort of stuff. So um yeah, just before we jump into all these old episodes of Al Patalica, I want to give a huge fan you to all my guests. Uh, the first episode is going to be Ain't My Bitch, which is actually the second episode of Alf Botalica. That was with Alex Cottrell, uh, my friend from university who did the Alf Botalica theme. Very, very talented individual. And the second episode is technically the first episode, which was 2 by 4 which is me on my own. And yes, like I've said before, and like a lot of reviews say, I'm speaking so fast. I mean, I'm speaking fast now, but I'm speaking really fast on the 2x4 episode. The third episode was, uh, well, the third song, sorry, is The House that Jack of Jack Built of Load, which is a Episode 70 of Al Patalica with Jeremy Riley. Until It Sleeps is next. That was episode 152. I did that one solo. Next up was King Nothing. That was episode 80 with Mike Hayes. All the way from Australia. And then all the way from England, all the way from London, was the next song, which is Hero of the Day. Number 67 with Jamie Whitehead. Number 7 from Egypt was Seb... And that was episode 16 of the Alpha Metallica run. That is Bleeding Me. Next up is Cure, which was number 29 with Brady Trantham. Next up after that was Poor Twisted Me with Wade Nichols, episode 112. Then we had Wasting My Hate, which episode 156 with Hans Weston. Kevin Van Damme. Kevin Van Damme was back on the show for number 86, episode 86, which was Mama Said. Then, of course, Form Within follows with the uh, legendary, immortal Clint Wells. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure many other people uh, worship this. What, actually, worship's a little bit too much of a, of a verb there. But, uh, you know, certainly a big fan of this dude. Great friend. Uh, shout out Clint. That was episode 140. Then we had Ronnie, as I mentioned before, with Phil Scott on that one. That was episode 120. And finally, the Outlaw Torn with uh, Rob Zamoski, which was episode 109. So, um, yeah, this is load. Let me know what the next one you want me to compile. Have you noticed they've not really been in order because, well, technically Ride the Lightning was the first album that I quote-unquote completed, so that was the one that allowed me to do that, so I wasn't necessarily going with the chronology, but um, yeah, if there's something you want to see stacked into a certain way, let me know. This is Tom, AlfBetalica at BatallicaPod, Patreon, iTunes, all that good stuff. Hope you enjoy this ridiculously lengthy compilation of Alf Batallica content. Cheers, as always, for listening, and uh, yeah, let's get into A My Bitch. So- You know, we get to, um, you know, our, our second track here, where I, I did two by, 2 by 4 solo before. And give me give me your general opinions, Alex, because I'm assuming Ain't My Bitch, you'd never heard this song before, I asked you to listen to it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not all that familiar with this album. So in some ways, I kind of had that first experience with it that I think a lot of people must have had when it came out, mm. in that uh, they'd moved towards a sort of southern, countrified rock yeah. kind of approach. Um general views was that it was surprisingly long i I can't help but feel like it doesn't really need to be five minutes long no Um, possibly overstays its welcome a little bit but it's kind of um it's kind of hearing metallica go almost a little bit leonard skinnered in places but it's got Mm. a classic heavy riff that was a lot of fun And the more i listened to it the more i kind of got into it um what did you what do you think of like the the lyrics
0: I think the lyrics are terrible. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm glad that you said that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I asked
1: um, you because I was like, I uh, shit, but I'm going to let Tom say it
2: first. <laughs>
0: No, I, and like I wanna I wanna get across in these early episodes as well. This is not going to be a hagiography. Hagiography, however you say that word, study of saints of Metallica. I'm not going to spend every, you know, every episode going over them. Like I think James can write some fantastic lyrics, Definitely, but I think yeah. Metallica work best when they have a, a, you know, a paradigm to go through, whether it be historical, um, you know, songs such as Creeping Death or literary like All Nightmare Long or James just dealing with just pure emotion, like I'm thinking of Days Eve or My Friend of Misery which are just about anger and you know a displaced um kind of sense of rejection existentially Ain't my bitch it's such a like basic gripe, really, yeah. and it, and it's interesting you mentioned the lyrics because I was just um, doing a bit of research before, and um, there's an in- interesting article that brought up the fact that "Ain't My Bitch" gained media attention and notoriety due to its title, which I guess like nowadays we kind of take for granted. But the word "bitch" in a kind of song in the '90s, you know, I guess smacked my bitch up, whatever. But I think the assumption
1: was that it was kind of you know it must have been about must have been yeah. about a woman, and that was kind of yeah. very controversial at the time
0: yeah yeah totally totally i mean even now in that kind of objectification you know it does kind of have some notoriety there and it uh, depends on yeah
1: i mean obviously it depends on how clear the message is i think that's the problem with the lyrics is that it would be actually Mm -hmm. quite hard to mistaken this to be a tune about a woman when you read the lyrics because they're actually quite yeah. vague
0: yeah oh yeah oh yeah hell, hell hell of a hell of a yeah and uh the, the article continues uh james hetfield later explained that the bitch in the song does not refer to a woman but acts as a metaphor for a problem under this interpretation the song takes on a decidedly different theme dealing with a person who harbors no concerns for other people's problems so you know it's not my issue basically uh you know it's got it's got nothing to do with me i'm going to sort of live my own life which is just a very I mean, the problem, Alex, I, I appreciate you not too familiar with Load and stuff, but Load definitely marks a move towards the more mediocre in Metallica. And I think Ain't My Bitch is a better song in an okay album sort of thing. And you do see this, like, you know, James, like the lyrics in Metallica aren't necessarily about the turns of phrase so much as the way they sort of encapsulate a certain feeling and idea, but out of my way, out of my day. And then a line that doesn't make sense, out of my, out of your mind and into mine. It's just very, I don't know, very preschool. It also makes sense. It- it
1: rhyme in a way that it doesn't really make sense because it's like out of my day out of your mind and into main yeah. That yeah that's pressing on it a little bit I think but mm-hmm. despite that despite the, the mediocrity of the lyrics I do feel that he's given a good performance it's, a, it's quite a good vocal performance and it's full of like theatrics yeah. and bravado which you know it works it suits the tone of the song very well and it actually I think if it wasn't a good performance the lyrics would stand out even more I think Mm -hmm. it's his kind Mm -hmm. of like twisting of some of the vowels and the like that kind of saves it a little bit. Because I think if it was totally obvious what the lyrics were, it would actually possibly be a bit embarrassing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. His delivery does have some venom it. It's like, "Hey, my bitch." Yeah, I think he, I think he delivers the words very well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, completely. Completely Hatfield definitely is is kind of barking at the front here. And I I kind of it gets a little bit more interesting to me melodically at least when the backing vocals are like "Headstrong, what's wrong? We've already" like it has a nice sort of tempo change here and there, but I I agree. I mean, it doesn't kind of do too much for me. I think I mean, what what's your opinion really on 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 the Riff at the start, kind of how the song kicks off. It is, uh, it is a little bit
1: cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. Um, There's all the kind of hallmarks that you expect from these kind of licks, where they got the double stop notes and you know the Mm -hmm, the bends mm -hmm. in the right place. We've even got um, a slide in the solo, which has got to be that's got to be, if possibly a first.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it it, it marks kind of um uh, kind of re- a little bit of a motif on the album itself. Um, songs like "Bleeding Me" and "Outlaw Torn" you do hear the slide, but I mean, Metallica solos for what they're worth normally are kind of mixolydian mayhem, really. <laughs> you know, they're just kind of like a, a blister of notes. I'm not the biggest personally the fan of Kirk Hammett as a soloist. I don't I don't I don't think he's as creative as say I don't know Marty Friedman, who who's who's Megadeth's guitar player at the time, was a bit more interesting. But I th- I don't think the solo's bad here. I think it's definitely something a bit new and a bit different. oh yeah i
1: like the i like the sound of it it's kind of deceptively simple um mm. and just using the slide to take advantage of those double stops slide them out put a bend in the right places all the kind yeah. of like hallmarks of the style but i think under the the sort of heavy backdrop that uh, metallica provide it it works quite well it's it's fun
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it, i mean th- this album as i say marks such a departure from what they were and you know the album that came prior was the black album yeah which is, you know, such a crushing album, incredibly good album. And also and an look, album look, where look. the tunes are very long,
1: and it also yeah. makes sense because there is a slightly more progressive element to it, whereas this is
0: kind of big, dumb fun, but it doesn't warrant five minutes of that. It, do- it doesn't, it no. you kind a bit of an complete- ordeal. It it does slightly. It's it's mad. This is um, you know uh, fourteen songs here, and the album's an hour and eighteen minutes long. Wow, which is uh, yeah yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's it's funny you bring up the length because I was just reading actually that um, the the length itself is seventy eight minutes and fifty nine seconds. And uh, this is from the Wikipedia. At seventy eight minutes fifty nine, uh, uh, seventy eight minutes fifty nine seconds. Load is Metallica's longest studio album. Initial pressings of the album were simply affixed with the sticker boasting its playtime reading seventy eight fifty nine. So I don't know whether it was just kind of, uh, you know, something they were proud of. And apparently, uh, the Outlaw Torn, which is the final track, had to be shortened by about one minute to fit on the album. <laughs> and it is, you know, and, and Ain't, My Bitch, um, uh, Ain't My Bitch is, you know, again, a long song. It's not even in the top half of the longest songs, you know. It's like the fifth or sixth longest song. So there is a lot of kind of numbers on here. And, yeah, I know what you mean. It just doesn't really have that kick. The riff itself, though, I kind of like, I, what I find interesting about it is the way it starts, it starts with the dun-dun-dun-dun rather than the chromatic build it starts with that, which kind of gives it a slightly off-kill to anchor, which I appreciate, and you kind of have the left-right speaker of the two guitars coming in, and when they both kind of merge as one, it does have quite a nice kick to it uh, you know, I, I do quite enjoy the mode there, but you have that quite simple da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da which is like, kind of, you know what? like you're warming up and playing guitar and you just play like repetitive two-note riffs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to sort of do that like yeah, it's there's a bit not of a really exercise,
1: isn't it like... yeah
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 I think so, and then it has the classic um guitar idea when you run out of ideas for a solo uh, or for for a sort of intro riff rather than doing something different melodically, just slide it up an octave, yeah. you know what I mean, just just put it up twelve frets and you know it'll give a bit of a tense to it or whatever, and yeah it's I don't mind the riff itself, but it is very indicative of this kind of butt rock um, that I said before for 2x4, which is the the sort of following track for this, which, you know, it's kind of an interesting turn of fate, actually, where the first two songs of Load are in effect the first two songs alphabetically as well. They kind of, they they follow each other and then they kind of reverse follow each other in this and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's not bad. I mean, the tone I quite like. I think the sound of the guitars are quite good. The production on the track, and I think a lot of the other tracks on this
1: album, is really good. It's, Mm. um... Yeah, I believe it's Bob Rock.
0: Bob Rock. Yeah,
1: obviously um James Hetfield and Lars.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But I think it has a really punchy sound. Um you can really get that like deep bass that's going on under uh, underneath it kind of carries the whole thing because it has it's taking advantage of the panning and the stereo imaging that you've got there and you talked about the way that it enters and the way that it mm-hmm. kind of emphasizes that left side and then punches all in together and you know it's a it's uh uses its spacing well despite the fact that it's not a it's not really like a complicated mix it's just well recorded no. instruments i know that metallica are a band are one that you know they're a band that have garnered a bit of controversy maybe amongst amongst their fans for the way that they've released certain albums i know that st anger and death magnetic have received oh yeah you know slightly mixed responses from people due to the <laughs> way that they've been produced and the sound that they've got but i actually think that's one of metallica's strengths is that despite having quite a recognizable sound that you know their their riffing is quite notorious they're able to inject mm. that into quite a few different styles and although i'm not really a fan of what they've done on load i guess it's better that they've done that and made a step in a slightly different direction than doing what a lot of bands in a similar genre have done which is release the same thing year after year Mm -hmm. you know as as like a procedural you know
0: yeah no I I completely agree they kind of reached with the Black Album the apotheosis of that sound they were going for essentially the Black Album was kind of a mainstream Metallica album maintaining that heaviness and this really is kind of a not even a claw at the mainstream because they had you know they have such an enormous audience that they don't need to pander to anyone but there's just certain things in this song like there's certain things I love and there's certain things I don't like I, I really like like, um, you know, uh, when it's like uh, dragging me down while you're around. And when he sings that so useless and it has that kind of that pulled off very simple riff, that very almost f- I don't want to say flashy but it's probably the heaviest part of the song. You're so useless. Like, you know, it has it has quite a nice bit to it. but yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: That bit. That bit's cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that bit, but I really don't like Alex. I don't like time to kiss your ass goodbye. <laughs> I, I and then just it gets like James. A lot as well. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. And it has that it has the back <laughs> of it goes goodbye. time to kiss. <laughs> it's just like I don't know. I I think again James is is full of such powerful imagery and it's core cool. this song is quite empty you know, and and, um, I often think, obviously when this album came out in 96, uh, you and myself, we were like four or five years old, so we didn't get to appreciate this in the time, but I've often thought, what if I was a teenager in this time, and Black Album came out, and Justice For All, I was like, the biggest Metallica fan ever, and it's like, oh my god, loads coming out, oh my god, and you put this on, and this is the first song you hear, this is a song that opens load, and just in comparison, Metallica have always done brilliant, brilliant album openers, you know, stuff from uh, Battery to to Blackens, to even to fuel which which is on the reload after this you know is quite because of frantic I really really like as well um but this it's just it, it's just a bit hollow i think it's it's quite crass um which mm. suits the album art, which
1: kind of yeah. uh, you know does uh, line up with i think the the butt rockers that you described it
3: as yeah <laughs> i mean yeah. that's
1: that is what it is, and i guess' yeah. at least they're kind of honest about it and they're giving it a go, but yeah. I can't say that it's I can't really say that it is a bit of a, a big hit for a first track on the album. And uh, like you say, having provi- uh, provided such strong openers before, I could see why that might be a disappointment
0: in someone mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, if you don't think too much about this song, it, it can be quite exciting. And I think it works best in its kind of intros. And it, it, it is it is too flabby. It, it should be at a three minutes, really. It should be an in-out kind of job. Good for the radio, and though yeah yeah i i think so although I think, still no, maybe def-
1: even a bit long five minutes yeah, on the radio yeah. long time
0: i think i think so i think so and um one of the things that's uh so good about Metallica that um, I'm not sure if you're aware of, but they're they're like obsessive statisticians or I should say Larses. So basically on their website, every single song, you get to know how many times it's been played live and, and you know, since when basically. So Ain't My Bitch, um, this is from their website, was performed 175 times live. It was first played in Sacramento, California, uh, June 4th, 1996. It was last played in April 17th, 1998 in Wellington, oh, New wow, Zealand. So we are coming then. up to... Tw- yeah, 20 years they haven't played this song live, we're coming up to now. And I think people would welcome this. Like, um, you know, I uh, in a little bit of research for these episodes, I always go onto the YouTube um clips of these songs and see what people are writing. And, you know, a lot of people are quite positive about this song. A lot of people kind of appreciate that it's not, like, it, it's not an incredible song. It's not a Disposable Heroes or a, or a Shortest Straw. Or it's not, like, one of their masterpieces or whatever, but it, it's kind of fun. And, you know, I think this sort of mode that they're in this kind of southern butt rock there i say it again but this kind of reload mode road they're in they they have done some boring songs in this style that we're going to get onto and i think ain't my bitch is one of the more exciting ones they offer is
1: this is what is this what you're going to do you're going to invite me onto all the episodes with all of the painful yeah. metallica songs and i'm going to have to sit through something and be like this isn't what i remember i remember really enjoying metallica <laughs>
0: No, we're just gonna go through load every <laughs> load song. I'm just gonna have you back on, and we're just gonna go through that kind of okay mid '90s oh, record. No. And um, uh, 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 one of the one of the things that I like as well, which kind of you talk about sort of the older Metallica, I like when the song ends and it's kind of you have the slide on there and you have to go and eat my bitch, but the riff like. Oh, I think dum, the dum, ending's dum, awesome, actually. That's yeah, that yeah. the
1: best bit of the song. I mean, I don't mean that in I I don't know, I could no. sound sarcastic saying that, but like. Wow. It is um, it is actually, in many ways, the best bit of the song because it really like chugs down with the dun, 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 mm, dun, dun, mm. dun, dun, dun. And I think that's the best part of Hammett's performance as well, vocally, is that he gets. Mm-hmm. He's like, sounds really aggressive, that bit. Like, he almost sounds like he's a wild animal. Like, it's kind of, you know, it works really well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it it's does. over. And... There we go. I, I did yeah. it in the end. We got there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just like, ain't mine your kind. You're stepping out of time. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> You're stepping out of time. I, you know, I I, and uh, it, it just, yeah, it's it's just slightly, slightly hollow, as you say, slightly, you know, echoey, if you were to tap it sort of thing. But not 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 an awful song. And um, I'm sure a lot of people will remember this song. Metallica released uh, released inc- loads and loads of great live DVDs. And Cunning Stunts was a DVD they released for sort of the Load Tour in texas and this is the song that opens up the tour and um, so opens up the dvd and they do give a really really good performance of it and you know that kind of like that riff lends itself very lo- very well to hey hey yeah, you know the, from the b- crowd b- dun, and it dun, dun, yeah yeah dun, and, it, and, it, and it and it gives it gives that chant and you know i, I don't I, i'm trying to think how to sort of end up these reviews really because i don't want to give an arbitrary score out of 10 or anything because that kind of reduces it but i think i guess to sum up really Ain't my bitch, you know. It's not a bad Metallica song. I, I, I think. I think you know. Metallica have regularly hit heights of genius in their songwriting, and you could never call this anything close to that. But it's not awful either. I mean, I mean, what are your closing ideas on Ain't My Bitch?
1: It's it's fun. It's pretty forgettable. It's got mm. a cool ending, and. The fact that Metallica have not played it for coming on 20 years, I think, demonstrates (laughs) that it's clearly not like a fan favorite. People aren't calling out for it, and they don't particularly want to play it either. And that's just shown through the mediocrity of the composition and the lyrics.
0: And we're gonna kick off with the first song of the Alpha Metallica run. This is number one. If you if you order all the Metallica songs in alphabetical order, the song that comes up on top is two by four this is the second song off Load, and, you know, this is an interesting track, actually, Load as a whole is an interesting track, and I think 2 by 4 is an embodiment of the sort of music they were making, especially the sort of heavier stuff they were making, it's one of the heavier songs on the album, you know, I've heard a lot of people refer to it as butt rock, perhaps, or kind of blues groovy, kind of, you know, it's definitely got that, it's not really heavy, heavy, you know, and you could argue that the sort of, the centerpiece, the main dueling solos are, are you know, very different from, from a normal kind of dual twin attack that Metallica had done, but, yeah, we kick off with um, a nice drum break, actually, a nice kind of kind of, kind of, of smooth pull there, which gives force to that kind of charging, simplistic, but still fairly groovy riff, you know, it's kind of anchored on that G note, and it kicks into um, a slight variation on the riff before we get into the vocals, which is something that will mark out a lot of Kirk's solo work, I mean, in general, a lot of his solo work, he always uses the war pedal, but I think on Load and Reload, it's a bit more prominent, it's a bit sparse, like, because the playing's a little sparser, and he uses it more, rather than just an emphasis here, you know, we, we get it in this kind of thing but i think the I, th- I quite i think the world works quite well here and this is something that will form the end of the verses as well and the verses themselves are also very satisfying you know there's a break in them it's not like james is just singing over the main riff it's there's something blunt there's a bit of pausing there's you know there's a bit of gap there a lacuna and it gives way to those verbally plosive phrases because if you read the lyrics on paper they seem a little simplistic you know but with the riff beneath them they have a real rallying quality they're almost pop like in the inner rhymes but it really ties together you know i'm going to make you shake you take you i'm going to be the one who breaks it like it has that kind of it has that stop almost like it's skidding on its heels there. And I really like the way it works actually. I think it I think it gives a kind of, a kind of menace here and kirks there with the war as well, which gives a bit of sting like, wow like you know, you know, he pulls off here and there sort of thing. But the um second section of the first verse, I've got to say that the opening lyrics, the kind of, you know, take you, break you, uh, put the screws to you, make my day, it's a bit anonymous for me, I, I you know, I think I think James Hepfield's a fantastic lyricist that we're going to get into, you know, I, I keep saying we're going to get into, like, this is song one of, like, 150, but you know, we are going to get into these sort of things, and there are some still good stuff here, I think the second part is a lot more successful, I, James has that snarl, got some help to pay, steal your thunder, I love the, the joy of violent movement pulls you under, you know, there is that kind of abandonment in there, and you know, one of the complaints of Load, and kind of I guess of Metallica in general, uh, you know, for a lot of this stuff, but uh, whereas on Death by day I say this complaint isn't really found, as on Load, I say it is, is the idea of length. And a lot of these songs on Load are quite long, um, uh, 2 by 4 is 5 minutes 28, which is a joint fourth longest song on the album. And the issue for me isn't really with the long solo, the sort of solos that I mentioned before, which last for a minute. I, I kind of like them, but it's the breakdown for me. I, I mean, first of all, you have that. I never, I, I found a lyrics online, friction, fusion, retribution, friction, fusion, like, I, I don't really know what that means, I guess it's kind of the, the catch and release of kind of the, the, the anger that, that James is pointing to here, but the, I can't hear you, you're talking to me, like, for me, I think this needs to be cut down by, like, four, eight bars or something, like, I like when it comes back into the riff, I can't hear you, time to meet my lord, I can't hear you, talk to too bad. like, you know, it has a nice kind of pull there, I love the drums as well, they splash so heavy, but it's just a little bit repetitive. I think the song has such um you know a kick to it and this kind of robs it a bit of its groove I I, I do dig the final bit as I say when the intro riff kicks in beneath and it's interesting as well because as we're saying the solos are very long but there's even a sort of pre-solo you hear Kirk and you know it's a lot of the uninspired playing that he does on load the kind of pentatonic stuff you hear on reload as well I I think he got a bit more interesting when we get into death magnetic and hardwired but I, I think his best days were behind him really as a soloist to be honest with you at this point there's still some good moments here and there but you know it's nothing on the par of that we've heard on like, on like Ride or Justice or something where it's really kind of, you know, inventive stuff here. It's not bad. And the, the, the whole blues solo, you know, which again is a kind of a minute, as I say, it is a bad, and judging by uh, video footage, and you can kind of hear it as well, James is the first solo, the kind of more melodic solo, the one that kind of plays the bends, and it really is like a blues song in the way, because the way James sings, talk to two by like James singing behind the solo, which, we, we, which you rarely kind of hear, you know, it does give that sort of cool and release to it. And that in itself gives birth to uh, a quite quite a stinging solo, I really like this solo, I was kind of dissing a bit of Kirk here, but I think, you know, there's a huge bend towards the climax, and you have those kind of played out chords beneath it that gives it some nice flavour, the whole movement at this moment is quite crushing, it's not heavy, but there is a sense of the band really banging it out, and I, I was watching a clip of them at the Astoria playing this song, they, they didn't play 2 by 4 much ever really, Um, according to their website, which is brilliant by the way, we're going to be quoting from this all the time, because it has all the great stats, and it tells you when it was played, you know, and, and how many times it was played as well, um, um, it was only played 10 times live, 2x4, which, you know, in comparison to say it's like a, you know, the staples of their set, or even, it wasn't even paid much on the tour itself for Lode, like the Cunning Stunts kind of capture, I don't think it's on Cunning Stunts either, I think there were some songs from Low that they played all the time, you know, King Nothing, and, and Ain't My Bitch, and, and Bleeding Me Until It Sleeps, stuff like that, but 2x4, similar to Wasting My Hate and and Ronnie and and Cure, you know, these are ones that aren't really played out that much. It's played 10 times, as I say. It was first played live on August 17th, 1995 in San Rafael, California. And the last time they performed it, so it was quite a gap. They performed it on January 3rd, 2000 in Milwaukee. So, you know, they haven't played this song for 17 years. And because it's the second track on load, obviously everyone's going to know this song. And I don't think it's a bad song. I think 2x4 can be quite fun. Like, it definitely has a charge to it. But, you know, it's creeping to five and a half minutes and it just doesn't need to be, and I think it is that I can't hear you, I can't hear you bit, which kind of comes in, really, and then after the solo, we kind of come back in, like, structurally, there's not too much going on, we get another, you know, beat my two by Lord, time to meet my Lord sort of thing, and then it just concludes, with you know, which is very bluesy, the way it all kind of comes down to nothing, and then again, you get the Kurt, like, wow, like, you know, he's just no kind of pulling out there, and, done. Um, overall, you know, I, I, I dig the song, I can't I can't lie, when the song comes out, I used to love this song as a kid, I remember I used to listen to it all the time, like, I just, I really enjoyed where it went, and it had a kind of, you know, I, it is butt rock, you know, and I, I mean that nicely, but it does kind of have that, kind of, you know, that pulse to it, that I think is quite compelling, quite interesting, um, lyrically, it doesn't really, I mean, again, it's kind of James dealing with, a, you know, kind of anger, and, and, and the fulfillment of that anger, and the idea of a two-by-four, you know, kind of, there's nothing more raw than hitting someone across the head with a bit of wood, I suppose overall it's a satisfying number it's it's a bit boneheaded perhaps and it definitely marks a, a huge direction considering you know I always like obviously Load came out when I was like four years old so I didn't get to appreciate the time but I, I love to think like you know obviously after the, all the black album stuff load coming out, and people putting it on, and just being like, what the, you know what I mean, this has really gone somewhere else here, and, it, look, 2 by 4s fun, like, you know, there's some dross on load, as, as Lars says, on some kind of monster, some stock, uh, kind of stuff there, that James is capable of, that are all capable of a band, I think 2 by Four's one of the better tracks on load, I think it needs to be chopped down a little bit, like, you know, it kind of goes against the whole nature of the song, for it to be as long as it is really... And I should say that uh, you know most of the time when people come to me to come on the show. They're like, I want to do this song, and it's not necessarily that you've came to me and said, "We want to do House that Jack Built." Uh, actually, someone pulled out, and I think we were just emailing at the time to arrange a song. I think breath's one we're actually going to do, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely.
4: Yeah, yeah
0: which yeah, all time classic. Um, and House that Jack Built not really there for me i've got to be honest with you i've listened to this song a million times and i still can't really remember it like it's never really stuck with me
4: (laughs) well you know it's kind of like the that whole era to me which is that you know there's some of the magic is missing a little bit to me but i think you know it's metallica and and what they do is always interesting and there's always things to find there um i'm kind of like you in preparation for this show this wasn't a song that if i'm gonna listen to a metallic song this is gonna be this isn't gonna be one that pops straight to my mind but yeah. um you know listened to it quite a bit recently in preparation um what i found is it's i, I think this is really a good headphone song mm-hmm. um i don't know that you get a lot of that with metallica sometimes but there's a lot of detail in this song uh, a lot of studio magic i think that yeah. was done that give it a little texture and more interest than than you might hear right on the surface. Um, so a mixed bag, uh, not great, but definitely some interesting things there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think especially with uh, Hetfield's vocals, he's very confessional on the track and you hear a lot of him in the background, him sort of screaming and gurning and, and yelling, etc. But I just think... From a momentum perspective, again, dear listeners, we know I don't like load, blah, 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 but I appreciate load, and I think Ain't My Bitch 2 by 4 the opening two tracks, they're pretty fun, disposable songs, they're enjoyable songs, and then, you know, we have House of Jack Built, which it just, it's a bit of a roadblock for me, I suppose, it's quite a sluggish song, I mean, it's almost seven minutes long
4: yeah i agree i think you know this song's a mixed bag there there's times in this song one, one of the things i kind of like to do in my own head is take a metallica song and think okay where where does this song fit if you were to move it to another metallica album and right. um that's frequently difficult to do yeah their albums are so distinct from each other um you know this song's got a lot of groove in the verses and it, it feels like a song that maybe could have nestled in in the black album era pretty well but um, the flip side of that is kind of that pre-chorus thing. I, I think it really kind of kills the momentum of the song. Um, mm. And it's repeated so many, the, the whole structure of the song is a little odd with, yeah. you know, we kind of start off with that pre-chorus and then you get a verse and then the pre-chorus and the verse and chorus and then chorus again. And then the pre-chorus and the couple or a couple courses again, it, it, it just never really seems to quite take off the way that, um, the verses are promising. The verses to me sound more like what I was expecting to hear from Metallica. Um, but yeah, that, that pre-course and the chorus just kind of drag the song down a little bit to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's no like clear... Narrative, Like, you mentioned Damage Inc. before, which just builds and builds and builds, and then has that really cathartic guitar solo at the end, and it's just in and out. And this one, I don't really know where I am. Like, I get to, like, the fourth, fifth minute in the song, and you've kind of heard everything the song has to offer, but it's still got another verse, another bridge, etc. It opens really boringly as well. I've never liked the opening, the... <whistles> just those sort of arpeggios. There's nothing immediate at the throat there for me, this sort of... Thing. It reminds me a little bit... And I know the guys were big fans of these. I don't know if you got this vibe, sort of Alice in Chainsy. This song with the sort of meandering
4: nature, very, very much so. And, mm. and there's actually uh, on that main riff as it kind of builds into at the beginning of the song, you kind of hear these uh, these harmonized vocals in the background yeah. over it. These ah ah's that are very Alice in Chains sounding. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I definitely think that's the template, and, and that, you know that's part of what kind of bothers me about this whole era is. You know, Metallica was kind of the bar everybody else was chasing. And then and this era comes along and you feel like they're kind of pulling from their contemporaries a little bit more than they had ever done before. And, yeah, I absolutely feel... You know you go from kind of a Guns and Roses feel early on the load mm-hmm. record into this song, which very much reminds me of Allison James,
0: yeah, and you get that sort of that eastern riff that single that, that which is i I don't know just so little of this song really is compelling to me, but they try some new ideas nonetheless, and we get a lot of the talk box, Jeremy in the solo,
4: yeah and yeah, I'm not entirely clear on this, but I believe, and, and maybe you know the answer, but I think that's a James solo.
0: I believe it is, yeah, yeah. I, I can't yeah. say for sure, but it seems to be the consensus that it is. And people on Twitter, or at Pod have sort of concurred that, yeah.
4: Okay, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's a James solo, and we don't get a ton of those. So right off the bat, that makes it a little more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if this were a Kirk solo, it would be pretty quickly dismissed. Um, but you know, the one thing I do find cool about the solo, I think, you know, one of the things I like in general about the load is I think James's lyrics really came to the forefront and James's performance in general, um, on the older stuff, you know, it's kind of the band. Mm -hmm. Um, you've got the wicked guitars and you got the thrashing guitars and, and, kirk shredding and you got lars just infusing the music with energy on drums you know m- no matter what criticisms you might put on him th- the energy just flowed out of him in those yeah. early records and you know the load reload era i think really is james's era to me i think it's where he sounds uh fantastic and i think he mm-hmm. really is the forward part of these songs so you know i th- the lyrics to this song i kind of never thought too hard about it until recently and um, you know, a lot of throwaway lines in there, but the more I dug into him, the more uh, putting myself in his shoes and where he's coming from uh, in this song, you know, it seems to be a pretty dark and, and disturbing song in their catalog. Oh. Um, you you kind of hear throughout that Load album with a song like um, uh, Until It Sleeps where you know he's kind of expressing his pain and looking for comfort from that pain. Or yeah,
0: Ble- you Bleeding Me as like, well.
4: Bleeding me, yeah, absolutely. It will probably become my favorite song from that era because it's yeah. it's just so uh, intimate to him and the struggle he's having. And then you get this song "House House That Jack Built," where you know you don't really hear a struggle from James. You don't hear him fighting for anything. You just kind of hear him saying, "You know, I'm broken and and I'm just lost." And um, you know, when in the lyrics you get to the line where he says. Um, uh, when he says, well, on my way, but uh, on my way to where I've been, if you're know, if you someone who's struggled with addiction or you, you've had close people close to you who've struggled with addiction, I think a line like that uh, it says more than a whole song like Master of Puppets, which theoretically is about addiction. But y- there's just something personal about this that, you know, I, I, I listened to those lyrics and I just thought, I mean, I almost felt sorry for him. It, was, <laughs> it. It just felt so... Um, it felt like him sitting on the outside looking at, at himself and, and saying that this temple, it tilts, which is one of the great parts of the song to me, is yeah. that line just kind of the, the whole song always feels a little off kilter to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's some of those effects in the background and, you know, the top yep. box and the wall and the verse, everything just kind of sits a little tilted in that song i think that's a great representation
0: of that yeah yeah that's a good that's a good point yeah and i do like that my body temple the template tilts and i like the whole sequence the high you are the far you fall the progressions quite different quite alternative for the band and i did always mark the song as a sort of you know uh, riff on addiction as it were but it was just um reading some feedback like people interpret as the house that jack built as in jack daniels i don't know if you thought that yourself
4: yeah, well, you know, I saw that same thing, and at first I thought, well, that sounds a little too on the nose, sure. but going through the lyrics, it certainly fits. I mean, I, I think, you know, when he talks about open eyes, just to have them closed again, it it, it it, gives me this impression of, you know, this routine of, I'm drunk, I sober up, I'm drunk again, I'm drunk, I sober up, I'm drunk again, I, you know, uh, well on my way, but I'm on my way to where I've been. You, you just you feel kind of that cycle of addiction and again you don't hear him really fighting that you just hear him kind of surrendered to it Mm -hmm. um and kind of going back to that talk box solo i think that's kind of one of the cool things about that it always reminds me of you know the old peanuts or charlie brown cartoons when the adults (laughs) would talk and it would just be womp 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 is all you would hear from them um and then you hear this solo and it it kind of it leaves me with that feeling of here's James trying to get out of this dark place he's in and it's just not coming through. And right at the end of that solo, just the last couple seconds of that, um, the tone of his guitar, you know, it just sounds like he's kind of uh, being choked out or, or mm-hmm. um, gagged. And it's just, it, it, it's kind of cool when you can put it in that context. I like, you know, I like when a song there's, there can be things in there that maybe weren't intentional from the artist, but uh, when you start to interpret them through a different lens, you you pick up on them and and it just works whether it was intentional or not. So I, that's. I think when it comes to that solo, that's probably the coolest part to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, as happens often on Alf Patelica, I'm gaining a new respect for the song as we discuss it because, yeah, you're right. Thematically, it's quite cohesive, and all this sort of dislocation and dissonance ironically ties together quite nicely. I still feel the song's a little repetitive. I still feel it kind of robs a bit of momentum as we go through the track listing. But there are some ideas that I like in here, and you know, I I, I don't think it's necessarily an awful song. I mean, I like the solo. I might be. Kirk, I don't even want to call it a solo, but it's kind of a lead break before the talk box, and there's a really heavy guitar underneath it, just like, do 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 it's just, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, it's got a sort of bad seed sort of um, rhythm to it, and it sounds really cool, and really nasty, and really gothic, and southern, and I think that's a really nice moment, I don't believe, although, annoyingly, I don't know if you've noticed, Jeremy, but um, Metallica have just changed their website. They've um, literally rebuilt it in the last couple of days, uh, yeah. which because I use the website every episode because it's incredible, uh, as any Metallica podcast will attest, because you can go on there, you get all the lyrics, but you can see every time they play a the song where it turns up. And they've still got all those stuff there, but it's not quite as neatly packaged as it was. But it didn't seem like there was any stats for House that Jack built. And probably not surprising that this is one of the low tracks they're yet to debut live.
4: Yeah, I, I saw that, and I was really surprised by that. I, I'm i not sure why. I thought at first, well, you know, there's so much studio magic going on in that song. Maybe it's just something they're not comfortable pulling off live, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think considering some of the other things they've played from that era, that it, it, it does surprise me that they've never broke this out. It seems to be a pretty popular song with people who kind of dug that era or got into Metallica during that era, so... Yeah, kind of a surprise that one's never been broken out.
0: No, yeah, maybe it's a bit like Carpe Diem Baby where it's just because structurally it's a bit odd... And there's not an obvious sort of path for it to lead. I don't know. Maybe there's a multitude of reasons they haven't debuted. You know, there's lots of Metallica songs that haven't got debuted for whatever reason. And yeah, I do just want to point back as well to what you were saying before about the canvas of noises behind James. And if you listen, there's lots of cool stuff going on, actually, that is quite interesting. It's almost like a visual representation of the later hardwired studio covers. Like these sort of four voices in one that are all competing... for some sort of uh, some sort of dominance. But, um, yeah, I mean, any any more thoughts on this song, The House of Jack Built?
4: Uh, I just think, you know, again, going back to the lyrics, there's a couple cool parts in there where um, one of the things when he says, let the show begin, always brings back uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall to me. I always right. think that way. Um, when he talks about it swallows me. Um, I- I- if this song is indeed about alcoholism, it's kind of a, an interesting inversion there. Yeah. That, You know, he's taking in the alcohol, but he's talking about how it's swallowing him.
5: Yeah, Uh,
4: Same with the line, uh, shake as I take it in. You know, you kind of get that visual of of someone needing that drink. And, uh, you know, if you've seen those people with drinking problems, you see them shake sometimes. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's also the flip side of that, which is, you know, is this a third person thing? I'm kind of observing myself in it. As I take in what I've become, it's kind yeah, and, and you disturbing sort of disturbing my soul a little bit. You know, shaken and stirred, um, you
0: sort of shake alcoholic drinks sometimes to repair them. So,
4: Yeah, absolutely. Oh. And and the one other thing I find interesting in there is the line uh, in the second verse where he says, don't want control as it takes me down, um, really makes me kind of fast forward to the St. Anger era. and And, you know, that control was such a thing he addressed in his recovery and he talks about, Uh, his need for control and how that was forcing kind of him into these, these um, bad habits or these patterns of behavior. Uh, And I just thought it was interesting to hear him address that in this song and say, you know, as I'm kind of taking this in and getting to this place, I lose that need for control. I don't want that control. And I thought that was kind of a a cool little almost Easter egg to, you know, kind of a, um, almost a foreshadowing of where he was headed
0: yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, you're talking about the sort of musical references there, like Pink Floyd. When I hear a voice box solo, I can't help but think of Richie Sambora of Bon Jovi. It just it Bullshit. just con- conjures those images. I mean, I know you've got Peter Frampton... I listened to an episode of, uh, Mark Maron with Eagles Joe Walsh, and he was saying that he was the first guy to ever do a voice box solo. I've not actually heard it myself. But, um, as I said before, uh, I opened it up, um, you know, to the Twitter at Metallica Pod just to see what people thought of the song, and as ever got some great responses. Um, so let's just get to them now. So, um, yeah, the, uh, let's say... I remember... Sorry, I'm just. let me just edit this out. Uh, so, um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, Master of Puns saying, underappreciated song. James' Talkbox solo is pretty interesting. Uh, Aiden. Aiden, we did the Cunning Stunts episode saying, good shit, love the Talkbox. A lot of people like the Talkbox. As well as the grooving swagger it has in the verses with the haunting vocals. Luke. Luke edgy saying, don't really like that song that much. One of the very few low tracks that I don't really care for. Uh, Batu saying, has great lyrics. It's a reference to Jack Daniels and James' Addiction, as far as I know. MTI saying, it's a really weird sounding song i think pre- i appreciate it more than actually like it yeah i agree if that makes sense i kind of wish metallica yeah. have done more stuff in that vein during this era uh michael saying it's an underrated gem the build-up to the talkbox solo and the solo itself are fantastic so i mean most people are very positive about this song jeremy
4: yeah uh, that's what i've seen as well mm-hmm. and again i you know i don't know that it's a bad song and it, it's kind of the first time you really get the old school metallica feel when you put that album on but I think I'm in agreement with you. I just think there's, you know, we know those albums have some filler on them, but I feel like this song has some filler inside of it.
0: Until it sleeps. You know, I've been thinking about this song, and especially the release of this song, I would have been four at the time, I think, maybe five. Uh, And, you know, I just had hands on the show. So a lot of these episodes record a little bit in the future. So I've already recorded the Wasting My Hate episode. And he was talking about, you know, he was really into the band. He he listened to the Black Album beforehand. And you know, this was the first record when he was actually in time, you know, in step with the band, and you know, went down uh, at school, and, you know, as so many other people did. And I was just thinking, yeah, this must have been one of the most anticipated songs. Ever, I mean, consider how giant Metallica were at this point. They released five masterpieces in my eyes and pretty much everyone else. Everyone with bated breath. What the hell is going to come on? The whole musical landscape had changed and changed again. You know, consider it changing from 89 to 91 and then from 91 to 96. You know, all the grunge stuff was kind of old hat, really, even though i think loki that might be my all-time favorite genre but you know a, a lot of that was kind of dismissed a lot of people were looking to metallica maybe to I- embrace their older sound and to lead a way forward or indeed to go into a more alternative direction like they did so yeah the hype must have been crazy and the drop was interesting as well maybe this was just standard procedure back in the day but it kind of surprised me where this is obviously the first single from load and this dropped on may 21st 2006 and then um I think the video dropped a few days later and then two weeks later Load was out you know I, I thought you kind of did the long grift with a lot of the singles like you know think of Hardwired for example again completely different musical landscape but the Hardwired single was released in August and the album didn't drop until November you know so this was a real kind of ambush to a certain extent and oh my god what an unexpected turn here. You know, this really isn't the sort of thing you would anticipate. It's a far cry from anything Metallica. Um, the intro, to me, is just incredible. I, I love the boldness, the courage. That that looming, fretless, seared bass of Jason. It's so downtrodden. You know, it sounds so morose. And that reserved drum patter as well. You know, this ain't through the never, folks. You know, they could have just laid down some heavy octave riff. But no, they went with something quite pensive and uh you know insightful and 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 fretful as well there's, there's a nervous tension about this there's a solemnity um and there's a real artful call and answer you know I, I like the fact that james comes in with the lyric um and then the recurring arpeggio answers him this this arpeggio that seasons a song you know almost feels like something you'd hear at the end of um a soap or something as they go into the credits it always has that sort of vibe to it you know it's very considered and 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 managed you know there's an experimentation here but of course it is metallica altogether so you know we have where do i take this pain of mine um you know this kind of open question to the listeners i run but it stays right by my side and then so tell me you know it's not going to take long until the chords crash in there um and you know what i like until it sleeps is it's kind of uh, a promise unfulfilled i guess you know the song is a pro you know we know it feels a big Nick K fan, it kind of feels very murder balladsy to me, you know, it's got one foot on someone's neck and the other on a distortion pedal, and I'd be happy if the album was very much in this direction, but, you know, it's not, um, it's replete with butt rock, as we've discussed a lot of times, it's replete with a lot of easy way outs, and just you know, a, a carelessness, I suppose, but there is an artfulness about this track that is lacking in a lot of load for me, it's an un- unapologetic embrace of the alternative, I mean, think of the title itself, and till it sleeps you know the phrasing makes it sound positively shakespearean and the band have never strayed away from that you know call of cthulhu and justice for all all those sort of ideas you know james is singing is is wonderful and tender um and you know when the song does crash into those heavier sections um it, it, it works it doesn't really feel that metally you know there's not much of a fresh element to this track not that there needs to be and as it continues on you know, we have, um, at the end of the chorus, so it kind of, it hates you, it grips you, it stains you, it holds you, that sort of stuff feels a little, I don't know, schoolyard notebook to me, um, it doesn't really access anything within my, um, reptile eye that really kept me kind of going for this song it's kind of the the verses that I like and, and the overall mood of the track and uh, the music video as well but I like at the end of the first chorus um, we hear uh, that pronounced second guitar of Kirk that that surf guitar that that Dick Dale the Ventures kind of kind of reverb going down there and that that's Going throughout the song as well. So we have these arpeggios and we have that kind of... I guess it's like a bee bender kind of idea. You know, to me it feels very very surfy, very wipe-out. And there's a lot of call and answer throughout the song. And, um, you know, James, after, James often is answered by Kirk as well on the lead in certain chorus lines as well. But there's just a, 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 a maturity to the entire song. You know, it really is mad yet again. Um, it was a quantum leap from Kill 'Em All to Ride the Lightning and from The Black Album to Load as well. There, there wasn't really much in, I mean, you know, arguably You're Unforgiven's Nothing Else about and stuff like that but kind of taking it into more of an outwardly rock direction. Um, I don't think there were many signifiers, uh, many, many sigils going towards this and, um, you know, the song continues the song is not that long, actually but it's packed with quite a lot of cool stuff the song is, you know, it's a little pop single it's 4 minutes 28 and we get into the solo as well which I think is a great solo, I really like Kirk's work here, you know, it's, um the constr- it's actually constructed. You know, it's curious. It, it's using war. Wall- but in a sophisticated way. I love the rising pattern above the arpeggios underneath. The, the arpeggios as well. James gradually growing in grip with I don't want it, don't want, and then slamming down into the final hoorah of the chorus. You know, these are shorter verses and longer chorus sections, and drums are rumbling underneath and commanding. You can hear a lot of Jason's swoons as well, but honestly, it's that Jason intro for me and I I like the way the song ends as well the song pulls down back into that murk Um, you know but but yeah Kirk's solo I think is awesome I just think it's kind of he actually thought about what he was doing and he didn't kind of lean into those blues boxes and those wah pedals and just kind of you know he didn't this is way before Fiddleman's Laptop which is the worst thing that ever happened to Kirk's guitar playing and you know here he's actually thinking about what he's doing and you know it's a cliche to say this you always hear this on like you know Sound City documentaries or the wrecking crew, we play for the song, but you know you gotta fucking play for the song, and you know he really does that here um I like the way that the song you know James still understands despite this being quite an intelligent excursion that this song you know still needs to be a metallic song still needs to be heavy, and the way he sings till I'm clean, and then the song kind of heads down you know towards the end and think of the video as well like the video of this hieronymus bosch the garden of earthly delights a lot of Bruegel the elder as well in there but obviously it is explicitly um inspired by bosch bosch who you can't fucking believe that these guys paintings are from like the 13 1400s or something like that they they look like david lynch like they, they, they're real vision i mean that's an insult to say they look like lynch like it's a real visionary kind of ideals cast forward in those um Love as well. Kirk doing these dripping arpeggios, these kind of quite repetitive, meditative uh, ideas underneath James. You know, altogether, this song is... I mean, they defenestrated themselves. They they threw themselves out the window here. Um, there really isn't a lot of Metallica in here. Not that that isn't a bad thing. And I'm really, the more and more I listen to this song, the more, again, as I mentioned in the intro, that I think about the context of this track, of it coming out in 96, and it just you know, think of anything else that was out there, like, um, what were they called, that fucking band that supported um, Candlebox, you know, this is kind of a Candlebox-y kind of era, maybe I'm mixing up my years slightly, but, you know, it was was post-grunge, it was, you know, the ugliest term you can ever deem something, and, um, yeah, the song was obviously very very popular it was Metallica's return it was a new Metallica album for the first time in five years it was the band's first number one song on the US Billboard Hot Mainstream Rock Charts um, as well as the first and only song as of the release of Hardwired to hit the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100 you know I've said this many times in the show when we go through these America why do you have so many fucking charts like over here in the UK we have the top 40 and that's it Uh, but obviously Metallica has like (laughs) Metallica America has like 50 you know England's within it, so it makes sense for that. But, um, you know, this was huge all over the world. Uh, It topped the charts in Denmark, Finland, Australia, uh, Sweden. It was the band's actually only number one hit in Australia and Sweden. Um, It existed as an early demo called FOBD. Uh, because apparently it reminded the band of the Soundgarden song Fell On Black Days. The It Grips You, It Stains You is in the same sort of six-four times in which of the Fell On Black Days is in. And um, apparently the band can be heard jamming Fell On Black Days on the fan club only one CD just prior to jamming a portion of Until It Sleeps. I'll include a link to that here.
6: If the ly- lyrics you were, you were singing were very, very dark, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you were singing something like like, fell on like there's no light in here light's it's dark yeah.
7: you can't see my hand in front of my face it's like a
4: cave. you know like mass murderer stuff right about if a you just start, start out the
3: no, no, first I, line like, like fell on like black I come and in yeah. and turn off the lights would be the first line Then everything would be cool after that you
6: know what I mean paint I'm painting the whole house red
3: with black paint With a red
6: door <laughs>
0: And also, you know, so you dig deep into these singles and these B sides and whatever the band want to put out. And I don't quite know why, but I'm really glad this exists. On one of the versions of "Until It Sleeps," um, Moby, who is credited as Herman Melville, did an industrial sounding remix as a B side. So um, you know, Moby, obviously everyone knows Moby, uh, who I think his his great he's like a great nephew of Herman Melville, um, Moby Dick absolutely sublime book if anyone remembers the chapter in Moby Dick White I think it's only like two pages or so where he describes all the things that white can be applicable to in nature and the soul find that chapter love that chapter and love Moby Dick as a whole I think has some of the best writing in American literature ever um but yeah his father apparently Moby's father gave him the nickname Moby after his after his birth um as Richard was too large of a name for a newborn baby and I'm a Moby fan um, I think this was so this would have been 96 so you know I know Mo, I, I know Moby was quite big in the 90s or whatever but obviously it was Play that made him with songs like Porcelain and Honey and I Can't Find My Baby and Guitar and Flute and stuff and um, Play by the way I think is the um oh, why does my heart feel so bad of course as well great song um, i think play is the only album in history where every single song has been used on an advert in some form or as some sort of commercial venture don't know why i'm going down this moby hole but uh yeah it's from the japanese ep check out this uh I mean, you know it's quite a confrontational remix of until it sleeps <laughs> crazy right overall um until it seems is a real success for me um you know the more I listen to it the more I'm impressed with it uh lyrically I think it's dealing with James's mother right um dying from cancer and him struggling with her death and looking for a way to to cope with the pain and kind of relating to the message of general internal agony and the inability to make sense or cope with it and that's something that the uh you know the video itself deals with very well, that kind of uh, sense of physical attrition. But um but yeah, I I really dig until it sleeps, guys. I mean, you know, load for me, oh my god, how many times do I mention load and how much I hate it and da da da. But <laughs> until it sleeps, it's on the first half. The am sort of takes a nose dive, kind of from cure on. But um, yeah, until it sleeps is strong. I mean, until it sleeps, King Nothing, hero of the day, bleeding me. That's an undeniably very strong quartet. And, you know, House of Jack built? kind of... Still kind of... It grew, it grew on me on the Jeremy episode. That was a really fun episode. Again, probably the only Alpha Telegram episode where I changed my mind <laughs> midway through. But that was more Jeremy's eloquence, I think, than the song itself. Uh, but yeah, Aim A Bitch 2 by 4 as well. I really, really enjoy. Um, and um, interesting thing about Until It Sleeps as well. Apparently... This comes from a 2015 article in The New Yorker by Stephen Witt. Uh, this is an article entitled The Man Who Broke the Music Business. Quote, By the mid-90s, the scene, with a capital S referring to the piracy scene, moved beyond software piracy into magazines, pornography, pictures, and even fonts. In 1996, a scene member with a screen name Netfrak started a new crew, the world's first MP3 piracy group, Compress the Audio, or CDA, which used a newly available MP3 standard a format that could shrink music files by more than 90%. On August the 10th, 1996, CDA released to IRC the scene's first officially pirated MP3. Until It Sleeps by Metallica. So yeah, this was patient zero. I mean, I guess the scene was so nascent that maybe they can do a bit of blood work and trace that. But how crazy is that? I mean, you know, obviously I Disappear kicked off everything and I have done an episode on Metallica versus Napster. And, you know, when you dig into it, you kind of almost see that Lars... Well, I, I think Lars is a completely good guy. Like I completely agree with Lars, even though I was a horrible pirate in my youth and exactly the sort of thing that Lars would hope my name was in that box that he dropped on the steps. But, um, yeah, weird, isn't it? Until It Sleeps. That was probably the first ever pirated song. And it also has a Moby remix that probably wasn't pirated quite as much as the track. But, um, yeah, I really like Until It Sleeps. It was performed 242 times as of the time i'm recording this uh it was first performed june 4th 1996 that was uh san jose california and most recently performed quite a while ago now, you know, um, coming up to 11 years it was last performed on the World Magnetic Tour that was November 3rd, 2008 in Salt Lake City Utah, US and as I always do, I reach out to you guys, you know, I want to know what you think about it until it sleeps, and Michael says, the best song off load, a true classic, I believe it's in the key of A, which is unusual and helps it stand out it gives me hope that the band in their new direction uh, it gave, gave me hope with the band in their new direction until Reload came out and smashed that hope to dust, they didn't write a song of equal worth until Death Magnetic, Ooh, Ooh. is that I don't agree I do not agree but I appreciate your opinion Michael and Michael is always a great guest to have on the show and he's in a black Sabbath tribute tribute So how fucking cool is that Aurelian Aurelian a loyal patron great guy uh, says my favourite Metallica song from the weird bass line of the intro to the non-conventional guitar solo it was a huge departure when it came out I like how Metallica took the risk of exploring new sounding territory with this song it is so good that it eclipses the rest of load for me wow uh, Borge saying probably one of their best songs ever in my opinion massively underrated these days Clint Mr Clint Wells saying my favorite Metallica song no joke amazing lyric and arrangement highlight of the load era I mean look Clint I know you're a deep cat and I know you're deeply into load as well but is Until It Sleeps really better than Creeping Death I know one of them's nourishing on, on, on a soulful dimension and the other is Screams die in its bridge, but uh, yeah, you know this is why we do the Twitter. I'd like to hear all your opinions. And Andrea says one of the best songs off of Load. I really like the alternative sound of it. Great bassline, cool drums, and a great guitar solo. Really inventive music video as well. Rye right over at Saver Bloody Podcast says very cool song. Great snare work from Lars on here, and as gimmickly gimmicky as fretless bass can be in alternative music, it really works in this track. Patrick saying one of my absolute favorite Metallica songs and my number one Metallica video. Um, it might be the best Metallica video, actually. Low key, like you know, Enter Sandman. In terms of its direction and action, is more arresting, perhaps. But just the fact, like I'm, I'm quite a big art guy myself, and just the fact that these two worlds collided so well, as well. You know, the imagery is just dripping with meaning, and you can pour over every frame. Scott says it's a great song, and you can hear the anger in James's voice when he sings it. Jesse says I think it's abs, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And after kicking the world's ass with the Black Album, that world tour how ballsy was it for metallica to release his song as his debut single exactly yeah, it's exactly what i was saying jesse uh mauer says my first new metallica song i heard uh just appeared from nowhere on mtv and being 15 at the time i stayed up 24 hours so i could catch it again and record it on my vhs instantly loved it and finally fixer sang haunting the music video freaked me out a bit i dig the snm version a lot yeah i dig the snm version a lot as well and um yeah that's until it sleeps guys i mean this has been a bit more haywire you know, it, I, I do prefer, for the most part, having a guest, especially with a song of this heft. But, um, you know, unfortunately, through my fault and the guest's well no one's real fault, um, we couldn't really get it together. And I just want to get these episodes out. We are approaching the end of the run. And it's not that like I want to get it over with, because Al is going to still continue. But, I, you know, I'm quite a messy person. <laughs> if you know me, you wouldn't think I was OCD in the slightest. But uh, I do want to complete this run. I do want to get it done. And the fact that it's in sight, I just want to get these episodes out. And, you know, this has been fun just talking one-on-one. And we'll get into King Nothing then, which, I mean, most people would feel starts off with that that you know I think Kirk's on like the 19th fret that sort of needling dissonance that goes through there, you know that goes through the first minute but if you actually listen and you know a, a lot of the time I like to sit down when I'm doing these episodes with the headphones on really you know strain for the eaves of the song and this mm-hmm. song is the fifth track on load coming just after Until It Sleeps and it has a sort of Sergeant Pepperness to it where the tracks are seamlessly one into the other where you can hear the final chord of Until It Sleeps at the start of King Nothing I mean just a minor yep. thing to point out really, but I've always I've always quite liked that. This whole intro of the song, Mike, where you have uh, that, that sort of wiry dissonance, as I said before, um, and then the bass coming in, and then the band building, and the hi-hats, and, and James chugging his guitar. I love the sound of his guitar on this song. It sounds like it's, mm-hmm. it sounds like the amp's made out of tyre tread or something. It just has this sort of Tellurian aspect to it. I mean, it's a very exciting first minute or so, right? Man, the, the production, I mean, I, I love...
8: Of the production on load and reload, mm. uh, that the, the guitars sound look everything sound awesome, and and I think that intro, Kirk's actually using a, a flanger yeah. uh, pedal, which it, they don't. Of all the uh, effects, I mean, Kirk loves his wah, but they don't use a lot of flanger. I don't know if it exists in previous the previous no. albums. I was trying to I was trying to think about that, but I couldn't think of one.
0: No, it's very it's very anti fresh kind of effect, so I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, uh, and as it, as it moves forward, it just, you know, I like the, the bends that are happening as well. Very, very bluesy, uh, the chugging that is going down. But obviously, King Nothing, if anything else, is built around that riff that Jason introduced. You know, it's a very sort of, um, chromatic, typical thing that, I mean almost it's kind of similar at the start of it to Ain't My Bitch. It's kind of following the same note path. But of oh, course, yeah. yep. but of course it has that has that shoulder bar, that dung dun dung dung which is just a descending octave, so simple, but it just it has so much swagger, doesn't it? The King Nothing riff.
8: Yeah, well and I mean the other thing to point out is that uh, note-wise, it's it carries the exact same riffs as Enter Sandman. Yeah. And um, I mean, we're jumping to the end in saying it, but th- look, the thing that made King Nothing stand out to me on the album was that a friend had said to me, I love how at the very end of the song you hear him say, off to Never Neverland,' uh-huh. And I hadn't noticed that. So, of course, that afternoon I put the CD on and listened to that. And that's what sort of warmed me up to listening to King Nothing over and over and, mm-hmm. um you can certainly hear that nod to enter Sandman in the riff.
0: Yeah, yeah it's very Sandman, I mean even in the, the lyrical elements, you know King Midas, Sandman they're both appealing to myths and in the right, way that yeah. the riff builds up and then, you know, similarly in the Sandman song where we have the you know the prayer section and in this song as well we have James almost doing the talking sort of bridge and yeah, it does feel based on the bones of Sandman a hell of a lot and yeah, I agree, I do love the sound of Load. i I believe it was all half a step down as well, which just gives it a slightly different edge. But yeah, mm. the way the song moves forward, and um, you know, what, what what do you think of the um the subject matter here thematically? I'd heard through the grapevine this hadn't really been corroborated that there was certain you know when Metallica were touring with Guns N Roses, and Roses, this was aimed somewhat of the flagrant excesses of personality that can happen there.
8: See, I I'd, I'd never thought too much about the theme, and it was only in uh, preparing for this that I looked into it and i mean it it, the premise it's um the premise of someone who's constantly desiring to be more or to have something or to uh to to, you know to be the king of something but then for it to all you know mean nothing and then it all crashes down i mean i think it's cool subject matter and the the lyrics actually hold pretty strong
0: yeah yeah i agree i agree and Mm. um you know, there's just and it plays well with the dual guitars as well. Like there's a lot of mm-hmm. slide riffs from, it's like a wow, just going down the fretboard, which which act as yeah, a nice yeah. antithesis um, to James as he goes through. And, and have you seen the music video, Tom? I have actually. We covered it uh, earlier when we did our little review of the videos. I didn't mind it for me. It was almost like a sort of boy band video where it's just like let's plonk the characters in a different location. In this case, sort of Arctic tundras and. Um, the guy was wearing sort of a burger king crown wasn't he it wasn't bad right. well i mean it does it does tie into the lyrics and i think it, yeah. it
8: it made sense to me that you know you see this guy struggling through the snow picking up these crowns discarding them and at the very end a whole bunch of kings yeah. come in so basically you know the kings all become equal as such i don't know that i mean i think the theme itself i i was just reading that it was actually the same uh, director as the Unforgiven and Unforgiven 2 video.
0: Yes, yes it was, yeah. Um, and he, mm. that, that is a really cool shot at the end when all the kings descend on him. I do I do really like that. And James yeah. just, his vocal performance in this load era, like, wish I may, wish I may. Like, you know, he's having such fun with it. Uh, are you mm. pacified as well, which is a, a word <laughs> you don't really hear James say. And all the wants you waste, all the things you've chased, I always like the guitar lines there, the way they're aping mm-hmm, James's mm-hmm. melodies. And there's just... um it's just a catch and release really when he's singing crashes down you break your crown you point your finger like i have a memory of being maybe about 11 or 12 and singing that in the mirror of my bathroom and my mom's friend coming in not really as was in there horribly embarrassing moment but i was just so in the <laughs> moment you know you're left with just a name you know just absolutely enchanted in that thing um what what are your thoughts on the, the the solo from kirk
8: oh man i i love it i mean it the to a degree it's quite simple it still has a similar feel again to enter and yeah, it's almost it as though he bur- he borrowed the same sort of approach but you know it, it kills it it does exactly what it needs to do yeah yeah it does yeah. it's
0: sort of um it's it's it sort of starts softly actually and kirk playing mm-hmm. his sort of blues box phrases here and kind yeah. of playing yeah. on the the, the the bridge riff as well but i like i like when it just it pauses and then he just starts wigging out he just starts getting the war on going to town and then when we go back into the base building and um, you know you know, James saying careful what you wish for, careful what you say uh, awesome awesome sequence, really really enjoy this and it is like um, I don't even know if I could call this song metal I don't know if there's anything metal about it's, it feels quite almost post grunge alternative, like very 96 you know
8: yeah, I mean, it's certainly carrying that more that sort of bluesy, yeah. uh, bluesy metal sort of vibe that they were, yeah, arriving at at the time. Yeah, for sure. Have you I, I, something else that really stood out to this for me is is the exactly the tempo and that stomp and the. Lars is driving the drumbeat in such a way that I remember, again, being a kid playing this on the, you know, on the headphones and walking down the street. And if you walk in, it's got such a good pace mm. to it. You can actually sort of stomp down the street in time to it and because it's got so many pauses. Your feet land right on. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember thinking it, it felt very cool as a teenage kid to be, you know, walking, stomping down the street, listening to King Nothing. So
0: true. I guess two by four as well um ain't yep, my bitch yep. they both inhabit those same areas and yeah i think the verse riff which again is a good example of something similar to sad but true where the verse riff is like impossible to sing over you try singing the king nothing melody over this verse riff, which is so hard to do i was watching uh cunning stunts recently and i think they also played it in they played this song a hell of a lot of times and uh, mm. the wish i may wish i might and just, just It's kind of hard to sing the riff that he's playing, but it's very anti-ethical to to his uh, his lyrical rhythms there from James. But again, this is James. Mm -hmm. He's a bloody master. And yet the song, you know, doesn't really outstay its welcome. It has quite a long intro. It's five and a half minutes, which is kind of the average load sort of track, like most of them are around this sort of time. And the song is very, very popular. I mean, it's been played 355 times by the band. Uh, It was played, debuted in June 9th, 96 in San Francisco, and then last played January 18th in Beijing, China in 2017. It hasn't been played for a little while now. We're coming up to two years, Mm -hmm. I'm making nothing. But I think this is something that, regardless of your of your creed you know where you come from on the metallica barometer i think most people fuck with king nothing mike
8: yeah and i mean look it certainly doesn't have the uh that well we're talking about the pace moments ago Mm. it it certainly doesn't have the thrash of previous you know previous albums and previous songs but it it certainly holds up on its own as its own thing
0: yeah it does it does and um, i mean i would have loved to have seen it uh, when I saw them in Birmingham and I'm sure, you know, they will continue to play this song. It's a very accessible song and again it is that 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 just earworm of that riff. I think that main riff is is bloody excellent. It's that dung 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 dun. It's just that it's such mm-hmm. a genius uh Sestina such a great turn at the end of the song. And um as always with uh Alf Botalica Opened it up to you guys on the Twitter, at MetallicaPod, which I pretty much always do. So yeah, follow us there, and we always ask for your feedback on the songs. Uh, Pim Jikin says, out of King Nothing, I first disliked this song because I thought it was a poor attempt to do another end to Sandman, but over time I came to love it because of how cool the main riff is. Uh, Luke saying, cool song, possibly Jason's most iconic bass line. Sean saying, one of my favourites, I was in high school in the mid-90s and I love that era of Metallica, careful what you wish for, you just might get it, yeah, very, very true. Uh, Steph saying, um, what, oh no, sorry, uh, MTI saying, this is my gateway into Metallica, so I'll always be grateful for that reason, the fact it's probably the best song on Load doesn't hurt. Uh, Mike, do you agree this is the best song on Load, King Nothing?
8: Oh man, it, it's certainly, up. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, Bleeding Me as well. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I mean it's it's certainly up there ranking in the highest.
0: We 'll get to Hero of the Day, which mm. you know even me the the load reload miser I, I, I will admit straight up that I think this yeah. song is fantastic. I really enjoy this oh. song, and this song is in a very you know privileged position for me personally in terms of songs that I really enjoy. I'm talking about songs maybe like Ophelia by The Band or My Odd School by Steely Dan. I'm not trying to show off by my muso knowledge here. What I'm saying <laughs> is, within the first note or two, it really makes me feel something. Like, you know, this uh, here in a day, when it starts, I can't help but feel nostalgic, bittersweet, you know, positive, you know
2: what I mean? I do know what you mean, because I feel the same thing with it. And I think that not just metallica but metal in general is such a big macho thing and it really is i think it's fair to say that in the great classic lyricists james hetfield will not make the list no not like someone like maynard james keenan from Tool might have or uh, i know someone like jesse Lacey from brand new but oh, he's yeah. really laying he's really laying himself bare in this song and it starts from those opening notes so when you say that you really feel something when you first hear that first arpeggiated chord i completely know what you mean but it's what's i think it's a bit of the magic about metallica as well is i don't know what what it is that i'm feeling do you know what i mean i'm kind of feeling it as i'm talking to you about it now. Mm-hmm. you know
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, compositionally, the song's quite simple, really. It's taking you know two separate parts. The major part is the, the arpeggios chords you say, and then the harder, heavier element that James is singing over. And it's such a classic riff. Just you know, if you play it on guitar, the way it's just building up on that A string. But it's it, framed so well. Those first notes, duh, duh, duh. like it just kind of it, everything's coheres and coagulates, and it's so warm. And it and it builds so well as well. We have this riff, and the tone is absolutely terrific. You know, uh, listen to Metal like your podcast. They went deep on the sort of Kurtz guitars and that idea and i don't really know what exactly they were playing in here but that building slow uh, the cymbal crashes the way you can hear a second guitar doing the octaves jason's bass as well sounds so mm-hmm. loose and burbly i can't get over it
2: this era of metallica these these two albums load and reload like as musicians i think they feel a lot more free than they have done on i think all of their other records you made a good point when uh when we started off, when you said that you didn't like Load and Reload, but you really like this song. Yeah. Bear with me on this. Compositionally, this song is not actually that much different to one up until a point. Mm. You've got that picked guitar intro. You've got a chorus that's not particularly heavy. And then you've got that kind of quite heavy bit at the end. I, it, I know that it, it's kind of like one in a major key, if you mm. know what I mean, which mm. is absolutely a Metallica classic. You know, we're not going to we're not oh, yeah. deny that. Um, but I think it's it's just... I can remember in about the year 2000 turning around to my dad and saying all the small things by Blink-182 was just a really, really great pop song. Yep. And to me, this is just a really, really great rock song, you know? Mm. Mm. It's, it's a power ballad, right, to a certain extent? I'd, I'd say so. I'd yeah. say so. I mean, I know it's, I know it's a dirty term because yeah, <laughs> you just think about Bon Jovi and Motley Crue, do. don't you? And, you know, I love both of those bands, yeah. but it's not really a term that you want maybe associated with a band <laughs> like Metallica. But you're right, it is a power ballad, and maybe that's it. And the title... In of itself is quite an evocative title isn't it and this is another thing not just about metallica but about music in general it's always just so open to what your interpretation of it is uh, to me i don't know what james and lars think when they are when they were writing this song but as I said earlier on, James is really vulnerable in this. If you listen to some of the things that he says, you know, um, excuse me while I tend to how I feel, mm. you know, that's on that ar- arpeggiated verse that we were yep. we were talking about a lot. Um, what's the other one as well? Um, I'm not all me, so please excuse me again while I tend to how I feel. This fist I've made, um, I'm, I can't think of the lyrics off the top of my head, but this is very vulnerable and very open. And and I think if you watch St. Anger, and this, this is probably the culmination, of that era and i think if you listen to until until it sleeps which i think is a song about his mother's cancer isn't it Yeah, um i think he's becoming a lot more open lyrically on these on these two albums that are that are paired together and it you see metallica in a different way when you listen to this Uh, i wasn't old and i'm 34 years old i wasn't old enough to know what the backlash was do you know what i mean this was just oh cool i'm listening to metallica I can see why people would have been really, really cross. You know, particularly when you have you seen the video for this song.
0: Yeah, yeah, we we discussed it on our little sort of music video recap, and uh, yeah, the video is quite audacious. I quite like it. It's, it's absolute nonsense. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just dressing dressing your toys up in
2: new costumes, essentially. It, exactly. I, I mean, I I I had to do a music video uh, as a project when I was at uni, and it kind of reminds me of of this. It's it's just. Um, yeah it's it's very strange but it's a great song and you know I, I did see the tweet that you put out earlier on um when you were you were asking for people's mm. thoughts on this and it was really nice to see as well that people were mentioning the sm version because yeah. you mentioned metal up your podcast earlier on and I think they they nailed it for me with sm that the first disc is almost untouchable in what it is it's mm. absolutely incredible but you get halfway through the second disc and you're like hang on what what's going on here this just sounds a bit like you know some some scores that were rejected from james bond films you know (laughs) right um but but the the way the strings complement this song it takes it somewhere where the studio recording that as metallica fans we're all so familiar with it takes it to just such a different place and makes it so much better for that as well without taking anything away from what the original recording is
0: yeah, you're completely right. I think the S&M version, I did want to mention that before, is, is a highlight. And people should go check out uh, the music video just to see James as a boxing coach chewing a cigar. Like, it's, a or, great, it's a great image.
2: <laughs> or Kirk Hammett reading the news. That's also uh... <laughs> or, or the main focus of the video
0: is a guy passing out and then these robot creatures coming out of his ear. It's like, fair enough.
2: I mean, we've all been there. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but I think um, you know the song sounds absolutely brilliant. There's just lots of nice, kind of cute touches and string mm-hmm. bends and, and and stray ideas. What do you think about when it when it when it gets heavier? When it kind of gets into the more riffy, you know, sledgehammer motion? Yeah.
2: I... <sighs> I don't necessarily think it needs to be there. Mm. If I'm being completely honest, it that, does feel that, like
0: a concession. I feel slightly.
2: Yeah, I, I think I'm right in saying that, and, and you'll you'll know the answer to this definitely. Mm. I think I'm right in saying that this was the first song that was demoed for the two records.
0: I didn't actually know that, but I mean that makes sense. Yeah,
2: and it yeah. was the demo is called Moldy. Yes, because, I knew. Yeah, I knew it was called Moldy. Yeah, yeah. because it reminded them of Bob Mold, um, yes, and sir. the work that he does. Mm-hmm. So, the. I think with the the bits that we mentioned earlier on, the verses and the the not so heavy chorus part, that I think is where Metallica were. And I mentioned earlier on about how um, I, I was too young to experience the backlash, but you know, I am a completely different person to where I was five years ago in my life and metallica have probably got a lot more busy and a lot more stressful lives than i have i mean kirk was 33 when load came out so effectively the same age as me yeah now you're gonna change as a person so much over that period of five years and it felt like looking back on it and i can only see it from looking back on it it felt like metallica weren't allowed to change because people didn't want them to and if this was the first song that came out of metallica haven't been on the i mean how long were they on the road for with the Album? was what two two and a half years yeah, it was years some
0: some sort of monster tour yeah
2: massive massive mm. tour and then you're obviously going to need quite a considerable period of recovery after that if that's the first thing that's coming out of you after that like more power to you if this had been a new band and this had been a debut album i genuinely think we'd be talking about one of the classic rock records of all time right. i really do believe that
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah it was just the the, the legacy definitely mm. colored it uh Absolutely. to to a certain extent and with the with the heaviness outside of the second chorus um kirk solo comes out single string
2: yeah, sorry of... hang on sorry i completely forgot to answer your question yeah. on that tangent there <laughs> so i think i think that they they lars in particular is not a stupid person he's not he's oh, not thick he knows what's going on and i do i have wondered many times over the years because it does it twice doesn't it that that's like bit I do wonder if maybe they turned around and thought, you know, we know that this is going to be one of the radio singles. We know that MTV is going to pick up on this. We probably need to put in this heavy bit, to because this is what people know us for. This is what people are expecting. You know, Metallica, metal, it's in the name. Yeah. You know, we've got to have that. I could be wrong, but there yeah. could be something in that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then the solo, which comes out, which blooms out, which is f- very nice very pretty reminds me a little bit of finn lizzie or something like that you know very, very melodic from Kirk. and there's, I, lot, there's just lots of layers in this song that i think are expertly weaved it
2: has a nice hole i love the solo i mm. absolutely love the solo i i take it you're a guitar player yourself yes so. yeah I, I don't know if you remember from back in the day the, i don't know if they still do them but you used to get uh guitar magazines that would come with like a cd stuck on the front and
0: total the, guitar is the one i used to get in the uk yeah
2: it, yeah exactly yeah that's yeah. that's the same one they the one of the uh tabs that they had one month was this solo with mm. a backing track i can remember just being like 14 and just coming home from school every night <laughs> until i nailed it yeah and yeah. uh yeah, yeah absolutely mm-hmm. love it and you're right it just does add another layer to it because in a way it kind of the solo kind of comes out of nowhere mm. on this one it's maybe not expecting it to come when it does and it's not he doesn't overdo it. it, it, it with the thing that's good about this song for me, and and great about the, the Load and Reload records in general, is it feels like Metallica knew where the stop button was. For, for the most part, I think
0: there are yeah. some, there are some excesses in Load. The reason I like Hero Today is because it's a short. It's actually the shortest song on Load. Uh, so, oh, oh, sorry, it's a second short, excuse me. The shortest is Wasting My Hate. Uh, this is the shortest of four minutes already. I mean, you know, when certain songs like The House That Jack Built are almost seven minutes and, you know, The Outlaw Torn's almost ten minutes, I think they pack a lot of ideas into Hero of the Day. In what you say, it's kind of like a pop single, isn't it, really?
2: It is. It's, it, it, there aren't many songs that you can say with Metallica. That you could say this was written for the radio, but yep. this definitely feels like it might be one of them. You could maybe argue that Enter Sandman was as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Who knows? I'm going down. I'm going down a very long and windy road there. And
0: I, and I like when James is singing "Mama, they try and break me," and all the various voices harmonizing in the dissonance. It, it's beautiful.
2: Any, I would say to anybody who's listening to this, I know that it's from the Load and Reload era, so a lot of people may not give it the time that it deserves listen to this song on a good pair of headphones if you have access to a good pair of headphones or just headphones in general and don't go out and listen to it on the bus sit in your house in your in your easy chair as Hetfield would say and listen to this on headphones because there's so musically there's so much going on
0: yeah it really is. Even like at the end when it's building out the heavens you can hear Kirk sort of doing little loady solos, little licks and stuff and, and you know, uh Jason's bass as well has just a certain attack to it and yeah, I mean, you know, hero of the day, say I say I went on Twitter, I asked the dear Alf Vitalik fans what they thought here's a few impressions Luke saying love the song shows off Hetfield's melodic clean voice very nicely uh, Paul Kyle saying underappreciated classic one of the best one of their best songs of the 90s Andy Hall great friend of the show Andy Radio Star Andy saying the best song of the Load Reload era so people are you know outpouring Sa- uh, you know our good friend uh, Ryan from Savva Bloody Podcast definitely go listen to that saying Tom I bet even you with all your Load Era hate dig this one <laughs> and uh, yeah you're very right uh, uh, Brad as well we just stand on for helpless saying not a huge fan of the load reload era but absolutely love this song love how it builds up slowly and then we get for some rare for that time double bass from lars also agree with everyone else about the snm version perfection Before we begin picking through, like, what is it about this song? What, what you know? What, what do you love so much?
9: I remember reading uh, an article once, and they were asking James um, what were his favorite, uh, what, were, what was his favorite Metallica song, or something like that. But he ended up mentioning that there are some songs that uh, aren't very popular, but that are very, uh, that he thinks are very, very powerful. Mm. And he mentioned bad seed and bleeding me. Wow! And at that point, that was the first time. Up till then, I was just listening to Metallica songs. I knew the I knew the lyrics and everything, but I never really thought of thought deeply into what the lyrics meant. So after I read that, I listened to Bleeding Me, and I that was actually the moment when I realized how profound his uh, his lyrics are. Mm. So yeah, so it was lyrically, and then everything sort of just.
0: The solo, I love the solo too. Mm, mm. And the song is one of levels, isn't it? It's of like building, um, instrumentation, growth and rebuild. I like the way it starts off with the riff and the drums. Like, it's kind of almost in media res, you know, it's kind of happening as you join the song. It's not like it could have started on just a guitar lick and then the drums come in and then, but this, it's already got this kind of semblance of this kind of, Silky, slimy, in the best possible—you know, loose kind of that. That riff, like that's the kind of simple Hepfield, you know, mechanical in a in a glorious kind of way. Like it's a it's a riff you can build a song on quite easily.
9: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and there's just so much emotion coming from. Him. I don't know if it's confirmation bias after I read what he said in the article, mm-hmm. but you can and and uh, even in the studio version, but even live um uh, you, you can you just feel like a lot of emotion coming out of him, like the song is really close to his heart and it i mean when you see when you uh, when you think about what the lyrics mean, how he was basically in this alcoholic phase and uh how he's um how he's harming himself mm. and I think that this the the, the what he says about the thorn in his side is from from the tree he planted i thought that was. Probably one of the best lines i've heard in in music
0: wow yeah yeah it is it is deep isn't it and it's the way yeah. he, it's the way he sings it as well it's got mm-hmm. this repetitive phrasing nature that it feels almost like a sort of chain gang song it feels quite you know ancient and, and southern and you know yeah. and, and i love how over the top of the riff you have that repetitive kirk like ne nah, nah. Yeah, like that kind of you know real mm-hmm. piercing kind of reminds me a little bit of Guns N' Roses Civil War actually the kind of same thing they and they do it as well on my yeah. Michelle actually Guns N' Roses likes to do this where they have the you know the lead guitar kind of entering a certain dissonant element over the top before it all kicks in and you know it yeah. it, it does have this kind of entrancing groove to it that Metallica rarely get this kind of like you know hypnotic
9: Mm-hmm. No, and even the, I mean, if you think about the, the lyrics, I'm digging my way, I'm digging my way to something, I'm digging my way to something better. So pretty much that whole course is just one line mm-hmm. that was just, I mean, in terms of the, the content, in terms of the actual words that are said,
5: mm-hmm.
9: there are like six words per per verse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. And yes. then I'm pushing to stay, I'm pushing to stay with something, I'm pushing to stay with something better. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. The same thing for the rest of them.
0: It, it 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 works and and you know it yeah. is that vocalization of it like when he sings like caught under wheels you know and it's yeah. that the way he says roll and the way the guitars there's always this sense of like almost going underneath something something coming on top of you like it, it has this like crash element to it the chorus that is so yeah, effect- yeah. it's really effective
9: yeah I see what you're saying about the wheels yeah and yeah it's, yeah it's sort of like a wheel that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: um and. You know, I love on the I can- last
9: part. Obviously, uh, when he, uh, when he, I can't take it. Yeah, he keeps repeating. I can't take it. it's Just pure emotion. Like he's actually screaming, and you feel like he's actually feeling the way that he's, that he's, uh, he's describing his feelings. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. and the kind of the bends kind of following as his register rises and just you know and i I like lars in this song as well i think lars finds a lot of moments to really shine and help to build the sort of cathartic intensity of the choruses
9: yeah no lars is awesome everywhere in every song (laughs) Are 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 you a
0: big lars guy
9: yeah no i just i realize i feel like there's a difference between the way he plays and other people play like when I would listen to um, maybe a Guns N' Roses song or or an Alice in Chains song, I'd always feel like he could have added like a fill in there, but that's probably Lars in my head kind of uh, influencing what I, what I like to hear in drums, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was clear, but... Uh,
0: yeah yeah no definitely he does he does well he does well throughout the whole song and you know you can sort of um I like when the song begins as well you can sort of hear James slightly before the verse kicks in going like yeah like that it's kind of you know it sort of builds in and he does really? have the yeah yeah you can sort of hear it in the eaves of the song if you wear your headphones it's it's quite cool and it gives it this loose nature it's you know this, we're a long way from the Fleming Rasmussen and Justice for All you know choke point kind of rhythms this is a lot mm-hmm. more loose you can feel and the song has this kind of submerged Atlantean quality to it. it feels quite nautical you know I, I I don't know what it is about it. It just feels quite distant but but still strong. It takes up to three minutes um seb to get to the chorus it's very much a kind of catch and release sort of song
9: yeah it does doesn't it yeah that's interesting too mm-hmm. what do you think the song means or what does I, it mean I to guess
0: you i self pur- like purging I think, kind of, you know, a sense of rehabilitation, of kind of confronting what poisons you, you know, and aiming to kind of, you know, in acknowledging it, perhaps rid yourself of it to a certain extent, and dwelling in it, because it does have that trap nature, you know, the Mm -hmm. the anaphora uh, of, of these phrases, and... It, it just it gets this loose, kind of, you know, inescapable quality, which I really like embodied through the, the slide guitar, um, which comes in from Kirk. Like, yeah. it has this this slippy, meandering, mysterious, like, the way it goes at the octave, mm-hmm. and it, it leads you on. And it's kind of um, structurally quite odd, where it's long verses, about three minutes in, big chorus, then musical interlude, i.e. the Kirk stuff I've mentioned, then chorus again. yeah. Which is like you know it's kind of uh, almost Zeppelin esque. It kind of has a kind of like you know uh, a quite wild nature to it that just kind of embellishes the length successfully.
9: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty easy to play too. I mean, it's uh, it, it doesn't take a take much skill to play it. I no, know, it just sounds great. No,
0: yeah, it, yeah. It, it's a long long way from uh, from Dire's
9: Eve, I suppose. Can um, play anything, by the way, any instruments.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I play guitar, actually. Yeah, I play play quite a bit okay. of guitar. Yeah, um, not really much Metallica, more, more like finger style stuff, like Beatles stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think Metallica are one of those bands. I think I mentioned this before, like, if you're learning guitar, they're so... I, I remember being as a kid yeah. playing uh, King Nothing and just, like, loving it, just thinking this it was so cool. <laughs>
9: Yeah, yeah, the '90s stuff is definitely much easier to play than the other set.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, I mean, yeah. You can see a kind of, uh, but it's still got a good feel, like something like you know, wherever I may roam. Like that, that's a that's a hard song to play well.
9: Yeah. no, I mean that's what I like about it. That mm. that it's it's just simple. Uh, what's it called? It's simple chords, and and it just sounds sounds great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And we get that you know very Sabbathy kind of riff in the bridge. That kind of you know relishes that that down da, da, like very load kind of riff actually like has a kind of you know pulse a headbang to it and james singing over it what did you think of when he sings this kind of like dual vocals isn't there panned
9: in i am the beast that feeds mm. the beast that part yeah yeah i like that he has there's like a background vocal that's yeah. like very beasty. you can say yeah it's like the yeah. two
0: the two sections of his personality you know the, yeah. the angel and devil, I suppose to a certain extent these kind of warring uh elements and it yeah it's successful actually it is it is good, and we get the big chorus as well, and the drums just sound totemic and i mean what what, what do you think of Kirk's solo uh,
9: I like that solo mm-hmm. um, it's one of the first it's probably one of the only ones that I know how to play fully actually right, right. <laughs> yeah yeah no but uh i don't think i can elaborate on it like like you can you have much better understanding of it than me do than i do about music in general but um no i think it's i think it's one of their best ones all in all the whole song
5: Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. yeah and i like how it it retreats back as well the song it doesn't kind of end on a huge note it kind of goes back to the intro um it reminds me a lot of No Quarter by Led Zeppelin as well. I don't, I don't know why I'm comparing it to Led Zeppelin that much, but it kind of has that element to
9: me to a certain extent. But, and someone Structure-wise, on... it's uh, very similar to Nothing Else Matters.
0: Yeah. Yes, it is, actually. That's true, yeah. Um, yeah, with the solo at the end. Um, I love that song. And it just kind of you know ends as it begins. I saw um, a good post on Reddit, actually, which basically talked about the lyric, I am the blood, I am release, and how that like that explains the album cover. Oh. So it's, uh, really? yeah, pretty, you know, obviously the album covers apparently semen and blood, so...
9: Is it? <laughs> yeah, did
0: you not know? <laughs> uh,
9: no, I did not know that <laughs> Oh, at all. shit.
0: Yeah, there you go, yeah. But, I mean,
9: it's still... Semen and blood, huh? It
0: is, yeah. I mean, it still looks kind of cool, but I appreciate how that turns, turns <laughs> the people off, like...
10: it's it's interesting i mean cure is kind of a it's a deep deep cut it's a throwaway song i get that but um james has this ability to really make every song interesting no matter how weak the song might be just
0: because of how well of a songwriter he is
10: Mm -hmm. lyrically
0: yeah yeah i agree i agree and in terms of guitar work as well. Like I, to me personally, there's a few flaws um, with Cure, but one of them, one of the things I can't fault it on the power of that main riff, I think in a parallel universe, a a genius rock song had been built around that main riff, but instead, I don't know. It's a little tepid for me, a little chuggy.
10: Yeah. I mean, you could tell that this, this song and other songs on the load and reload albums, like bad seed, you could, Hmm. you could probably tell that this, This just came from a jam. Like the guys were just in the studio together. Lars was playing that little, you know, kind of laid back beat, and then James just starts chugging away on that riff, and they just ended up building a song around it. And I mean, they even kind of mention it on some kind of monster for like a quick throw throwaway line when James says, "I think that we've proven that we can whip any song into whip anything into a good good enough song." We proved that on Load and Reload, and he kind of chuckles. And I think Cure is a perfect example of that. This this probably just kind of came about as a a
0: jam between the guys, and they just built a song around it.
5: Mm, mm.
0: And it it does have a sort of affected. I don't. I don't know. I I like the main riff, of course, but just the rest of the dressing, even the even the lyrics, the the double voices. I I don't know. There's something quite pedestrian, I suppose, about it.
10: Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I was actually going to say I, I like the double voice right. uh, when James does it. Um yeah. he does it he does it on Dream No More on Hardwired. Yeah. I'm trying to think if he's done it on other songs. I can't I can't mm. think of them right. No. Maybe on Poor Twisted Me. Right. It's de- it'd definitely be all over load or reload. Mm. Uh, but I, I just really like it when he kind of talks. He kind of just reads the lyrics in a low voice and then he sings over them. I think it just sounds really kind of evil. <laughs> mm,
0: mm. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, it does have a prowl to it. I, I'll definitely give you that. <laughs> um, and that sort of that patented James Hetfield sort of enigmatic power. The man takes another bullet. He keeps them all within.
10: Is, yeah. yeah, it's, it's um, you know... Just reading the lyrics, and I've got the lyrics right in front of me, just reading them, and I I don't mean to sound like mean about this, but when James was struggling with his alcoholism, (laughs) he wrote some really interesting lyrics, and Mm. he he just, like I said, he has this way of writing a song um, lyrically that can be interpreted in in so many different ways. I, I mean, people... I don't, the metal up your podcast guys what song were they talking about it was on
0: Shout out think, King and Ethan every time Yeah mm. yeah
10: I think I think it was the Cunning Stunts episode where they where they said that um what load song and they said that it was about cocaine
0: Oh or
10: something Yeah and what did they say yeah, yeah I know what
0: you're saying
10: It wasn't it wasn't Master of Puppets mm. because James has said that he wrote he wrote that song about what cocaine does to people, even though he's never really done cocaine, mm. but it's that, it's that same ability that he has. And he's able to write about things that can be interpreted as, uh, it was fuel. Actually. It was
0: fuel. It was, yeah. Cause he sort of stabs his arm, yeah. doesn't he? They said, yeah.
10: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, cause I've always interpreted those lyrics as, you know, fuel being booze, just alcohol, mm. you know, when he's ready to back in, back in the nineties when he was just pretty much drunk at every show, okay. it's like, all right, it's time to go on stage time to drink. So high octane, Exactly. And it cures kind of the same way. This is I think this is just more of him understanding that he had a struggle with alcoholism and it's him trying to cope with it. And I I think I think he actually tried to go to rehab during the load, like right before the load tour. It was right around the time that his dad died. And I think this is just him trying to cope with it in,
0: in a way. Yeah, you can never fault his vocal performances, um, definitely not. And I think when he's sort of doing his stuff over the main riff, which, I don't know, kind of reminded me a little bit of Audio Slave for some reason, I don't know why I was thinking of that band, but it kind of has that sort of crunch, that sort of, you know, Metallica in this era, they for as good as they sounded, for me they never felt satisfyingly, compellingly heavy. yeah.
10: I think a lot of that has to do with just the amount of content that they were putting out because mm. obviously on on the on the, um, in the eight on the in the 80s and on the Black album there's there's less songs on the album so there's more time to put a lot more effort into one song rather than just let's just put out like a jam riff and then write a verse and then a chorus and then some lyrics and then throw that out there for an extra song on the album just more content it just really kind of comes down to do you want a metallica album with eight great songs or do you want a metallica album a double metallica album with you know 20 songs
0: and some hit or misses Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i mean i personally i think somewhere where the song does hit i don't know about you the sort of the main chorus it's got quite a sort of i don't know mathy sort of rhythm it's got a very counter rhythm to it under james's singing
10: yeah it's um it's a nice little change up in the song just because you know it goes through that same you know intro verse and then the pre-chorus it goes through that twice so on first listen you think that's probably just the meat of the entire song mm. and then that change up for the chorus actually comes in and it's just a I like Kirk's little lead um lead riff over the or lead little lick over um uh, over James's voice mm. um it's it's a it's a nice little change up I mean yes it's true load is my favorite album but I'm completely self-aware that it's not their best album it's (laughs) just it just has it just has a special place in my heart
0: sure 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 and i mean again not to denigrate your favorite album then but i mean i've got it i've got to be a miser for kirk yet again i think i just i don't like his his load era work to be honest with you that's why load wouldn't be my favorite album because kirk's not very good on it
10: yeah just like just like the album it's hit or miss with Kirk. I, I um, I th- it was a few months ago where you tweeted out like, "What was, what are your top five Kirk solos?" Mm. And my second favorite Kirk solo is "Bleeding Me." I think that's one of his Fine. best composed solos. It's just there's a lot of feeling in it. Mm. it. It really works well with the song. It really sounds like a, a solo that he like the Unforgiven that he put a lot of time and effort on instead mm. of just you know him sitting on a couch and Lars looking at him and say, "Play that again," or "Do this," or "Do that," you know, where he's just trying to basically being coached into a solo.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is uh, that is weird to watch. But when he's inspired, I think um, is his best moments. And I don't know. <clears throat> so, so that would be your bleeding me to you is better than the creeping death main solo and the closing fate of black solo.
10: Again, it's just it's a matter yeah. of opinion, man. No, no, <laughs> I completely
0: I understand. It, it, and
10: you know, that's I think I may have said it on the uh, on the astronomy episode. But this is what I really love about Metallica. You know, when I'm in a when I'm in a pissed off mood. I'll throw on Creeping Death or I'll throw on Damaging. But if I'm, you know, driving in my car and I just kind of want to bob my head and kind of sing along to something kind of groovy, I'll put on Load or Reload. And that's what I like about him. It's not like and I love Slayer, but it's not like Slayer where it doesn't matter if it's an album that came out in the 80s or if it's an album that came out four years ago it all sounds the same
0: <laughs> yeah 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 there's very there's very little progression that i can hear either and then you know at the end of the song it kind of um you know branches goes back down i think this is the only metallica song with slap bass
10: slap yeah did, didn't he do it on um i thought he did it on devil's dance as well oh, okay or jason did i i think but I mean you can you can really tell because the bass is like abnormally loud on this song it's like it, it's just kind of crawling in the background but you can really hear it in the foreground in a lot of parts
0: mm, mm, yeah it's uh it's not I mean it's slap bass but I guess it's not slap bass it's not the strings a proper slap in the fretboard and it's not kind of jazzy like it's it's still kind of heavy and it, it's just an interesting sort of sound that Jason does there and as always with this show I want to refer to our peers, in that sense, to people who write the books about Metallica that I always refer to. Enter Night, for example, uh, by Mick Wall. I highly urge people to read this. It's fucking brilliant uh, Metallica biography. But also just tell him that has many reviews of the songs as he goes along. And he says of Cure, quote, drug addiction as metaphor for moral sickness. I mean, does this ring true to you?
10: I mean, certainly. it's um, Everybody, I mean everybody's looking for a cure everybody's looking mm-hmm. for something to basically fix a problem they they kind of perceive in their own lives whether it be internal or external and um, you know J- it, James kind of has a pessimistic view in the song where you know it just kind of keeps going and it keeps going and it's uh, this person or it's that person and you know he he obviously kind of struggled with you know his faith you know going back to his you know, childhood with his mom and dad, and then in his early adulthood, and I think now he's more at peace with who he is and what he believes in, but on the song, you know, he says, I do believe, and I do believe, yeah, I do believe, and it's just, people either look through, for a cure through alcohol, through drugs, through somebody else, or even mm-hmm. through faith.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, the it's kind of quite haunting the insistence on this kind of way out that it's kind of impossible and James still has kind of nice turns subtle turns of phrases betting on the cure it must get better than this kind of hooking on that bet sound uh gives it this sort of um I don't know monotony in the best possible way and you know again him singing I do believe and towards the end getting really I do believe you know really getting quite vocal with it
10: Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's it's a really good James vocals, mm. vocal performance, um, kind kind of hammy in some some spots. Um, but I mean, that's that's kind of why everybody loves James. He's uh, able to uh, he's able to kind of step out of his comfort zone in spots in certain songs and he can make it work. Um, but, yeah, like the, the lyrics, him singing, just the, the, the subject matter, it, it kind of it's kind of a theme of load because the song's. If if you just listen to the song, you know on the radio, it sounds like a you know a catchy hard rock radio song. But if you really look into the lyrics, especially like until it sleeps, if you really look into the lyrics, it's like the poppy radio catchiness of the music is like juxtaposed by James's really dark lyricism right. on this album, and that's that's something that I really respect about Load and and some parts of Reload. Reload's a little too yeah. odd for me in spots, but like th- songs like Fuel and Fixer. Um, Unforgiven, too. They're all, there's some dark stuff there. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, again, just to quote another book, uh, Into the Black. This is volume two of uh, a two history of Metallica by Paul Brannigan and Ian Winwood. Um, shout out to Paul as well. I had him on the show early on as well. But they had a little review of Cure. I don't know what you think of this, Brady. Quote The plodding cure is equally uninspired. The promise offered by a menacing spoken word intro dissipating quickly in a quagmire of lyrical cliches and directionless chugging. I mean, yeah, I certainly understand where that's
10: coming right. from. Again, <laughs> again, Cure is not Cure is not one of my I mean, favorite songs off this mm. album. I, it's a it's a song that's like it's a song that's fun to play. Like when I yeah. when I plug in and I've I've got a buddy that plays drums, and every once in a while we'll go and jam on some Metallica tunes. Mm. And you know, once we get kind of tired of playing "Creeping Death" or "Master of Puppets," you know, it's kind of cool. He'll just start playing a backbeat, some random backbeat, and I'll start playing the intro to the Cure riff, and mm. it's just kind of like a we both just look at each other and kind of. S- s- smiling so it's like oh <laughs> yeah. we're, we're busting
0: out cure <laughs> you're so right though I, I i don't do it so much anymore but yeah i used to have a friend ryan who i've had on the show we did battery and, and we used to always jam as well with him on drums and there were just songs you play as friends wouldn't there That sort of just you know you both know this i remember we know loads of trivium together which kind of ages us but um it was uh <laughs> it was a good do- iron maiden as well was always fun to learn and and obviously metallica i i struggle with creeping death playing that riff like you got to get the down pick really hard Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't,
10: I don't, I really don't understand how James can play that riff mm-hmm. and sing over it because it's not, it's not in the same time. It's really kind of off pattern how the, vo- the vocal line and the delivery going along with the riff. I can play the riff fine, but if I have to try to si- sing at, sing with it, it's, uh, uh, well, first of all, I can't sing. And you could right. probably tell just by hearing my voice, but, um, even attempting to sing you know like uh what kirk used to say uh attempted vocals when he would say oh kirk hammett lead guitar attempted vocals mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's pretty impossible i don't know how james does it
0: no no it, it, and even in cure as well like the the sort of chorus riff is very kind of against his own rhythm like you know he does show off obviously sad but true verse riff sort of a major example as well as playing i think there's that i always quote this but lars saying like daring people to play it like because it is just really difficult to play and sing um and you know in spite of all this opinion uh that the song has garnered you know everyone has listened obviously it's a fucking metallic song everyone's heard it it's never been played live
10: no i don't even know if it's been jammed
0: like i because i know Ronnie's it's been jammed, been jammed. Yeah. it has been
10: jammed okay. Stunts um, it was, yeah. okay um yeah, I, it's a song that's definitely probably not going to ever be played live, but <laughs> you, you know, like I, it never fails. Um, James even said it at the show in Dallas. You know, he's like, Are "You guys ready for some old shit?" Mm. And then I looked at my buddy Matt, the guy that, that plays drums um, plays drums with me. I just looked at Matt and said, "That could mean load." You know, that's, this album's <laughs> over twenty years old.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, never you never want to hear any medium. You know, it's always kind of old is kinda, of, you know, pre classic, but um maybe in a <laughs> maybe they'll do you know how they used to play they play the black album? Like what what if they did load for some reason? People would
10: love it. Oh, people people would love it. Um I mean I certainly would. Mm. It'd it'd be fun. Yeah. I mean, I think people would under would just kind of understand that it's just something different. Metallica yeah. loves to do different things. Um Yeah, I mean, because there are some great songs that are from this era that Metallica just, just because their catalog is so huge Mm. and so deep that they just really can't, they don't have time to play it. Like, they'll throw out Fuel or Memory Remains to kind of just say, okay, we played songs from that era.
0: And today we're dealing with the follow-up. We're dealing with a song from Load, which yeah. divides a lot of people. So let's put our cards on the table now, Wade. Are you a Load fan? What do you make of this era? Um, well,
6: going back to to what I was saying before, I, I got into the Black Album, then I went backwards real mm-hmm. quick, and then the next thing that comes out is Load, and you hear the song Ate My Bitch," and it's like, what is this? You know, this this isn't my Metallica, but i i gave it a, a more of a chance because i was so young and because i looked up to them and load really it, it didn't take too long for it to really take a hold um just the the content of the music and the songs are, are fantastic so i am a huge load huge reload fan um there's one album that i really don't care for and okay.
0: that's that's about it.
6: Yeah,
0: is that Saint Anger by any chance? Yes,
6: yes. Good <laughs> guess. Good guess.
0: Did you and uh, even
6: in the, even in that there's gems on that?
0: So. Yeah, I mean, um, at the time of us recording this, they played Portugal yesterday. The opening, uh, you know, show of the European leg, stadium leg. Did you see that they played Frantic live? I seen I mean, they played Frantic. They played God That Failed. Yeah. They
6: played. Oh my goodness. That, I suppose that we're heroes.
0: A a s- dream. Yeah, it's like it's like I think years ago they did like an April's Fools set list or something, and poor twisted me might have been on that if you saw <laughs> that that circulated. But this this felt yeah. like a bit of a uh, a bit of a fever dream as well. So um yeah, let's get into the song. You know, it is um one of the shorter songs on load. Uh four minutes. Like, bang on four minutes. So it right. is It is um, the second shortest song off the record. Just Wasting My Hate is a few seconds below that. Uh, we kick in with, to me personally, the epitome of low detritus here. Uh, you know, the open slide intro, the self-chug, the reverb. It's just a little masturbatory a little nothing and not even in a guitar hero kind of way just in a kind of lazy rich rock star this'll do kind of way i mean i I don't know what you feel about this intro riff
6: yeah well the the intro the first time i heard it i thought it was really cool because i was messing with delay on when i was learning guitar so i thought it was cool but um it's very very loose just very you know they it's to me it sounds like they were all sitting there and james was like hey check this out yeah and they just kind of built a song around it in the the four minutes it it takes to listen to the song very loose uh very thrown together um but one thing that i I like to do is i I have all i have a a set list of all my metallica songs
5: Mm
6: -hmm. and uh the the throwaway songs that that I mean, that, I wouldn't say they're throwaway, but the songs on load that just kind of seem like they're just put in there for filler, um, like maybe Cure, Poor Twisted Me, and Wasting My Hate. Yeah. When you put those in the context of a playlist where you're not expecting them, when they come on, it's, it's like, okay, this is a jam, Okay. You know? Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And what we're doing here on Alpha Metallica, we're kind of pulling them out of their any context, really, right. and just right. kind of dissecting them for what they were. But, but yeah, no, I can totally feel what you're saying there. And I don't know, it, it does have this looseness to it, but, and I can totally understand why people would like this riff, because it just has this kind of, this trot, this swagger to it, but it doesn't really... You know, I mean, say like a band like, I don't know, Leonard Skynyrd or Little Feet or Atomic Rooster. It doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't feel quite as locked in for me. It feels a little bit pointless at times. But we do have the two guitars here, like a lot of load. And what do you make about the sort of interweaving sections before we get to the first verse? Like Kirk kind of bending and leading it.
6: Yeah, the the, the guitar play is, is um, it's not boring. But it's it's not very inspired either. I don't think. <laughs> uh, but no, no, I I love I I do enjoy this song and I do mm-hmm. I do listen to it. But it's yeah. just very, um, just you know, like I said, not inspired. It, it just
0: no.
1: The the
6: mo- main central on this song to me is the lyrics. The music is not metallic at its best
0: no no and you know it's funny you mentioned the lyrics because i always rally against load I, and i kind of hit upon a eureka moment when i was listening to this song this morning on the way to work there's something that happens on a lot of load songs that add to the sense of inertia throughout the album there is so much repetition within the lyrics so ain't my bitch is all out of my way out of my day into down down two by forties. i can't hear you kept being said over and over again uh jack built the higher the farther the longer it stains you it hates you it hates you in until it sleeps. Um, hero of the Day keeps ending with Mama, they try, Mama, they try. Bleeding Me is I'm digging my way, I'm pushing my way, I'm so. Th- and look, I know that kind of repeating a lyrical line is part of the mechanism of songwriting, but it's really explicit on load. And again, yeah. it just, I, I, you know, obviously I adore Metallica. We all adore Metallica on this podcast. I wouldn't be doing it otherwise. But I just feel like they're treading water a little bit on these tunes when they could be really knocking it out of the park. Right.
6: I, I, I get that too. Um, uh, the counter argument to that is what, what is the point that James is trying to drive home with repeating these words? Sure. You know, there's, there's, there's gotta be a reason that it, he felt that it was so important just to repeat and repeat and repeat like an old poor twisted me that he's driving home that he is completely miserable. Yeah. And, in some way, and you know, we're not totally into the lyrics yet. But in, in some way, that brings him some kind of peace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I won't go too far into the lyrics because we're not there yet. No,
0: though. I mean, yeah, let's uh, um, let, let's get let's get into the lyrics okay, actually. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I, what do you what do you make of it i mean for me one of the things that i like is poor twisted me it gave us the title poor touring me which is certainly yeah. one of the, their best named tours they always go for the pun or some sort of double entendre with the world magnetic or madly in anger with the world or whatever and i do really like that and there is a kind of self-hate aspect isn't there a pitying aspect about poor twisted me
6: right yeah and the the third line on it or the third line on it is i I feast on sympathy Mm. i chew on suffer i chew on agony so right off the bat he's Mm. saying this is what makes me feel kind of whole is this you know i i just i i hate it but i crave it at the same time Mm -hmm. that's what i get out of that you know he's he's just this this misery this this uh feeling twisted is if he didn't feel that Would he feel anything at all?
0: and this uh, this perpetuating cycle there and some of the images aren't bad actually the drown without a sea as well mm. um and then you know the, the lungs filling um there is this kind of aquatic metaphor that's going through reaching the shore um bathing the soul etc i don't know you know I've, I've always said hetfield is no leonard cohen and um i don't think he reaches great heights here and to me personally the repetition can get a little bit redundant perhaps but it is quite a tight song isn't it as i said it's kind of in and out it's four minutes and a lot of people on twitter have been saying that you almost don't realize how short it is it kind of ends before it's even begun right
6: right um i want to go back to that line that you just mentioned um i, I kind of had a, a eureka moment myself today mm-hmm. when i was listening to the song where he says uh he survived the storm and he's bearing cold so so he got out it, it almost to me when when i read that is he got out of this Misery that he was in, and when he was out of it, he turned around and thought, "Well, now I'm I'm alone and cold. I, I was more, I felt more comfortable back in the misery." So he turns around and he bathes his soul again, back in that misery. It's yeah. almost like uh, like an addiction, you know. We we all know that James during this time was going through, you know, all the all the addictions, and that was probably his his high moment yeah. of, uh, his, of his, fighting his, those things.
0: His friend of misery yes yeah. absolutely yeah yeah and yeah So i
6: mean it just what i see there is just him him finding an escape from it and then turn around and feeling like he's nothing without it and then going right back into it
0: and, and his vocals on this track as well have to be commended he hits some twisted nah, you know he hits some big notes on the chorus oh yeah
6: absolutely he um james is always i mean, he's he's my my guitar hero and he's my vocal hero yeah. too i mean he uh during this song i mean you you're right he the the heights that he reaches with his voice and just the the experiments he's yeah, he's he's my hero.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and can almost do no wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know I know what you mean. i d I don't think there's anyone that plays guitar as good as he does and sings equally as good. Like even like say, I don't know, Prince, for example. I wouldn't say Prince is like an amazing singer, obviously he's an incredible guitar player. But mm. like James is kind of the ultimate frontman archetype. Like i d I can't really see him equaled in that realm.
6: Right, right. With most guitarists, uh singer guitarists you trade well, especially for for metal, you okay. trade something for the other either well, and you Dave, play Dave really good and you
0: don't sing yeah exactly. i mean, Dave was I cannot... want to bring up Dave. <laughs> <laughs> he cannot sing but... for shit like he's a tat- yeah well that's
6: know. what he sounds like when he's singing he sounds like he's taking a shit yeah he does he does <laughs> it's kind
0: of it really baffled me because you know I, I like megadeth and listen to like rust in peace and euthanasia the, the singing's not bad actually but clearly there's some after effects on there because when you hear those songs live it's just it's just gargling like it's ungodly and exactly. um we got to the big bluesy solo which, of course, we have on load. Um, you know, Kirk, it was quite ballsy in a way, what he did on load and reload. Again, I can't think of many metal guitar players that would put themselves on the line and just try and, you know, just do blues box solos for, for the record. Like, there's no kind of, there's no affectations towards what he was doing before. There's nothing reminiscent of any justice playing or master, etc. cetera. Um, what, what would you make of the solo that he does on Poor Twisted Me? Um, It's very, I mean, it's very Kirk
6: Lode era. (laughs) It is. Somewhat somewhat watered down. You know, it kind of goes with the flow of the song. It's very, I mean, it it makes sense. Yeah. Um, Everything goes where it should, but just as with the song, it's very loose, but not loose in a good way. Just very... Okay. Uninspired, well, you know, that that's the, yeah. the reoccurring word for me, it's just it very is.
0: uninspired It is, I mean, yeah, stock is a key word here Stock That, that, <laughs> that they both put forward, uh, Lars and James, and it always becomes the, uh, you know, the key vocab there And, um, yeah, as I say, James works on the song vocally, and I appreciate what he's doing here Kirk's solo, for me, is completely redundant, um, you know, it's just... I, I really like blues guitar playing and blues soloing especially people like stevie ray vaughan and robert cray and Derek trucks and i just i kind of i'm salivating thinking what they could do with this backing this kind of spacious strutting riff but yeah um kirk just kind of plays something yeah. here like something like you said you play guitar before like I, i'm not a very good guitar player i think i could play a better solo than kirk plays on this song. <laughs>
6: Yeah, it's very. Um, it's almost like he he uh, is trying to play the lead equivalent of what James is playing on sure. rhythm, and sure. and we fall into that quite a bit during this era with Kirk. And yeah. he he does have some masterpieces on on the Load and Reload albums, but Definitely. a lot of times it it sounds like he's just trying to trying to fit in too much without creating his own identity in the
0: song yeah yeah there's when i listen to the solo there's certain places that he goes i'm like oh you should have hung on that lick a little bit more you should have reinforced this but it's kind of all over the place there's no real narrative to it and then it kind of there isn't really much of a bridge either because post solo we get kind of a call and response here from the rhythm guitar and kurt playing against it back into the final verse and um yeah there's not really a secondary movement as such the mood is there but it's just for me I suppose a little turgid a little apathetic, a little phlegmy and ultimately the worst you know the worst accusation I can volley a song, kind of forgettable
6: mm, yeah that's fair that is fair uh like i said towards the beginning of the conversation this song listened into the context of the album load very skippable
0: yes yeah i mean Um, would you say would you say it's the um, worst song on load um it's kind of in that low bracket right
6: it, it it is in the low low bracket i'm i'm not a huge fan of um uh wasting my hate i feel yep. like that's another one that's kind of uh, i think the riff- cure out, out of the yeah. worst songs cure would probably be my favorite <laughs> the worst songs ever. <laughs> Yeah, Poor Twisted Me falls pretty low on,
0: on the Load list. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, they're consecutive, Cure Poor Twisted Me and of My Hate, which I, I've always said I think Load is like a front-loaded album. Um, Post-Bleeding Me, it definitely goes downhill. And, um, mm. yeah, I probably like Wasting My Hate a little bit more than Poor Twisted Me just because I think the riff's a bit more fun in the beginning. But, but, yeah, I totally get what you mean. I put them on the same kind of, you know, the same corridor of averageness. They're all neighbors right. on there. Now, um, as we always do, we go out to you guys. Uh, great to hear what you think about this song. Got a lot of feedback on this song. First, on the Facebook page, which if you guys want to join, just search Alf Metallica. I, you know, the things that I post on Twitter are in there. Great to hear some feedback on there. Sam saying, bluesy and pretty badass. John Bradshaw saying, for me, I think it's the worst original song they've ever put on an album. I mean, that, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty... Think, that's, that's harsh. There's worse Metallica songs than Portrait Twisted me, I would say. I'd say, like, an Attitude, I, I, would, I would say is worse.
6: Yeah um I'm not I am I'm, I'm a huge Metallica fan but I've never really uh got into Saint Anger but what is the one where he says shoot me again I ain't dead yet Yeah that one <laughs> that one's way low for me that one
0: <laughs> Yeah shoot me again that is yeah <laughs> Yeah know, shoot, shoot me again that's me the again. song yeah, yeah. Um, and heading on to Twitter at MetallicaPod uh, Savage Bloody Podcast saying it's a little gimmicky with the distorted vocals I still enjoy its swagger and it opens up and climbs nicely on the pre-chorus would have liked more of a proper bridge section the solo doesn't do much for poor Twisted Me um Ralph saying Don't know if I'd say I dislike this track But I've never found it All that appealing Even when Load was released And I actually dig the album This is a skipper to me And feels like needless filler Maybe could have worked As a cool experimental B-side uh, Tristan saying Putting Cure And Poor to Me Back to back Is where the album Starts to fall apart In my opinion Poor to Me Is pretty much a filler track With no replay value The band should have made One album out of Load and Reload would have, ba- would have made A good rock record See this is good Because when I said That I didn't like Outlaw Torn Everyone turned on me But now everyone Seems to be, on more, you know, appreciate me Apart from Clint Wells, Clint Wells, of have at your podcast. Obviously, I adore Clint. Saying "Poor Twisted Me" is awesome. <laughs> we, we know that guy bleeds oh, love, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. He, if, you, if you cut him, he would bleed blood and semen. Like I have no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, that would be the next
6: uh, Metallica cover album. <laughs> uh,
0: Stan saying, decent riff, a pointless solo, and sub Glenn Danzig channeling vocals. I just listened to it. Surprise is only four minutes. It seems like it's longer. Uh, Tom saying, there are only a handful of studio tracks across Metallica's entire discography I would say that I dislike. This is the only one I would say I genuinely think is awful. And I have absolutely no idea how they put it together and thought it was worthy of a release. That Bad, Steph saying as a huge fan of Load and Reload, I have to admit this is definitely one of the most boring tracks. Uh, Sabra saying it's all right. Dastan saying it's okay. Whenever I listen to Load, I don't mind going through the whole song, but I wouldn't mind it if it didn't exist. So, um, yeah, <laughs> pretty universally despised it seems. Wait, yeah, yeah,
6: um, yeah. It's not not the best, but no. like I said, if if it just comes on yeah. out of context, it's not bad. It's yeah. it's not a bad jam.
0: Yeah 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 I know what you mean and I spoke about this early on the show of uh, the run like my bounce theory so I don't know if you've listened to Bon Jovi's bounce album in 2002 it's a terrible album. The only reason I listen to it is because when I was a kid, it was one of the only albums my, c- my cousin gave me an album to part of my iPod. I listen to it all the time, and I really like it. I know objectively that it's awful, but because I just heard it so much, I'm just kind of inoculated to any criticism, and it's like this great album in my eyes. So, you know, maybe it's about free. But then again, I'm not trying to demean people who genuinely like this song. I understand you are out there, such as yourself. Um, Any uh, closing thoughts on Poor Twisted Man? Um, It's it's a song.
6: It's a Metallica song. It's a song. song. It's, it's um, a song put put any other band name on it i think it would be looked on a little bit better
0: yeah that's fair. but
6: you put metallica on it and people expect way way more than that
0: totally totally agree and I, I, I've said the same thing about Say Anger as well I think if someone like unknown new metal band put out Say Anger it'd be a minor masterpiece but just yeah, because it has all the Metallica baggage um, they've only played this song four times interestingly um, they've done it at the Bridge School Benefit which if you want to go back and check out the episodes with John on the Bridge School Benefit we actually reviewed this song they gave it a bit more of a chunkier acoustic feel they actually played it in Tokyo Japan as well at the Yo Yogi Olympic Pool in 1999 and also did it um i think on a radio show ksjo december 18th 97 um you know we're seeing a lot of odd choices on the worldwide tour is poor twisted me gonna be played like in germany i absolutely doubt it yeah
6: absolutely i, I if they played poor twisted me i would um yeah would uh, be i i have no idea they 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 could maybe rewrite it and make it better but yeah which, you know, with Metallica, anything that they play live is going to always sound better.
0: we jump into Wasting My Hate then which is on the you know the second half of Load and you know I made no bones about the fact that I'm not the biggest load fan I know you, you said in the email you're a bit of a load apologist and I I totally understand I'm going to say Anger Apologist completely and that that was my first record and I I do feel endeared to it in that same way but I've got to say Wasting My Hate is a song that I've always been quite into and the more I've listened to it over this week it's definitely grown on me and I am quite a fan I think it is a bit of a shining diamond in that muck there and part of the reason I enjoy it is the authentic swagger that it has you know real tasteful groovy beginning here and I don't know if you noticed that but just as the song starts you hear like a a string scrape um just as, as if to further kind of put it into the pocket like what would what, what you make of these first 20 seconds so uh, the riff james yeah. swooning around it all that sort of stuff mm.
11: yeah i think it's i love the intro and then in that that first note on the on the string i think it's even more prominent in one of the live versions right. actually um i can't remember which one it was but he really digs into that string and brings mm. it in and um yeah i love that whole bluesy bluesy kind of um intro yeah
0: yeah, I mean, there are, you know, a lot of people do say Metallica are, you know, very bluesy on load or whatever, and a lot of that is dominated through Kirk's licks. But um, the, the the rhythms here from James are are fantastic. And, um, you know, he, even, even Good Day How Do feels like quite a kind of amateur. A- antiquated appeal to the listener, mm. but um, you know I do like this beginning. Uh, Lars keeping pace with the symbols as well. Um, James sort of squeezing out, like, oh, "Where's my head?" Like you know, he's just kind of like he's really digging down into his bowels. Then the chords mm. crash in, and then we get into a real weaponized, chuggy riff, and I don't know about you, but this bam, 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 ba-da, it's almost thrashy to me, in a way, the way it's kind of choked with notes, it's almost kind of motor breathy, like, I only really noticed it when I watched kind of live versions, but it's quite a heavy riff, the Waste of my Hate main riff.
11: It's a fantastic riff. I, I, I wrote down. It's an angry, urgent riff. Mm. I mean,
0: it's just great. It's,
11: in fact, going back and listening to the song more for this, I've come to even appreciate appreciate it even more. It wasn't a song I initially, really, actually embraced straight away no. on the, out of all the fourteen, but um, maybe because it's buried on side too. But it's bloody. It's probably one of the best tracks. But that riff in particular is um, yeah. I know what you mean by thrashy. Absolutely. It's yeah. um, it's yeah. Mm. Mm,
0: mm, mm. And it's kind of like. You know, um, I mean, it's just—it's just a bit of a money riff, really. Uh, kind of where load fails for me is just a lot of the a lot mm. of the riffs are a bit sludgy and a bit boring. You know, we've covered "Poor Twisted Me" and and "Form Within" and "Outlaw Torn" and like, you know, a lot, a lot. I know a lot of people dig these records, but just for me personally, there's, there's a paucity. The, the, there's something lacking. But here, there's a lot of meat. There's a lot of muscle. I didn't even realize this. You know, before this episode, I always said this. I didn't even realize before the episode. But um, this is the shortest song on load. It's the only. Song on yeah. though that's under four minutes as well.
11: Mm. Yeah, and um, it, it, you know, it's almost a song that they could have started on the, be- you know, replaced ain't my bitch i mean mm. um it's got that kind of album opener feel to it maybe yeah um yeah yeah it's um yeah it
0: feels kind of ain't it mm. feels kind of ain't my bitch it feels kind of 2 by 4y mm. like it feels kind of king mm. nothingish you know but i think mm. it, because it's kind of on the backer end of the record it maybe gets lost a little bit in that uh in that miasma mm. um mm, the, the, the title i mean metallica is so good at writing titles wasting my hate it's very intriguing isn't it
11: yeah. Um I was I I was looking up about the background of this and you you probably have as well. This mm. is um, inspired by a country outlaw Wayland Jennings.
0: Wayland Jennings right? indeed, and,
11: uh, yeah. Yeah. And um something some something going on in a bar and someone's getting the wrong idea about, you know, something going on. Someone some guy's staring at staring at someone and um and uh kind of building up all this anger and hate for absolutely no reason what, whatsoever. Yeah. Um but obviously it's got two sides to it, like it's it's that story that James might have been inspired by, but there's also this—um—maybe James is talking about himself a little bit too, and and
0: mm. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, kind of you know, hate as a catalyst hate is something that you can almost use for good and uses uses fuel and yeah that song you mentioned as well I think it was like um Waylon was like on vacation in Jamaica or something and he thought some guy was giving him the evil eye but the t- turns out the guy was just giving him the red eye the guy was just stoned and he, <laughs> you know had no malice behind it at all and uh just kind of reveal <laughs> this and the, the idea to me um you know I've, I've been watching a lot of um I don't know if you know Ken Burns, the American document documentarian, but he's done this huge, sprawling history of country music. And uh, Waylon Jennings is mentioned a little bit in it, which is kind of a bit of funny bit of serendipity. And I really like Waylon Jennings' outlaw country idea, kind of Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash stuff. And the thought of him and James sharing war stories at the bar—it just kind of <laughs> makes me salivate slightly. But but yeah, it, it appeals on that sense. It appeals because of um, James's idea. Now, something that has had to grow on me, Hans, is the verse. Um, I used to find. The guitar, the wah, 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 wah. I used to find that quite annoying. Mm. Now, now, not so much mm. as I've gotten older. But it's quite officious. It's quite present, isn't it?
11: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I love it, and I love how it sort of um, works well with the two guitarists. You know, Kirk on the right, I think, and J- James on the left. Um, kind of like because obviously their sense of rhythm slightly different, so it gives it that kind of loose feel, but also still keeps that aggression. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's awesome
0: yeah i mean the chug the chug is a little monotonous but not unlikable and for me i think it succeeds because when it resolves into the chorus riff i mean it's just such a such a groovy monster isn't it boom mm. boom like you're just, you're just in it like it's very singable yeah, very yeah. skinned almost there's something quite mm. classic and eternal about it that i really respect
11: mm. I, I really love too how lars kind of starts off um at the um and uh, he, he brings the riff down half-time, halfway through, I mm-hmm. think, as they go into the chorus, and I love that. And I think that's what Lars does so well with a lot of their music. He's able to bring a few different feels to the same riff and give the riff a different sound. And I think that works really well in particular here.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, The melody in the chorus, the Good Day How Do, and and also... Again, James, this happens a lot. Um, the grammar's a little garbled. Good day, how do? Mm. And I send a smile <laughs> to you. It just It's not how people speak. And I'm not saying songs lyrically have to match up to the conversational nature, but it just has to flow on some sort of level. And, um, you know, there's a lot of repeating of waste, waste, don't waste, waste my breath, waste my hand. Blah, blah, blah. It's, not, mm. it's not that anthemic to me. i I, I don't know. Mm. It doesn't stir something. I guess I prefer the guitars overall in this song rather than, I guess, the melodies that James is projecting.
11: Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I, it's a little bit more basic than some of the other tracks as sure. far as the, the, the approach to the lyrics. Like I would prefer Bleeding Me or yeah. um, Outlaw Torn personally as mm-hmm. far as the lyrical content goes. But, you know, I think this it suits the song too. It is oh, that yeah. kind of
0: looser song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because there's no i mean the song is short because there's no real second movement there isn't any new riff Mm. or a slow down bridge or anything it's a bit like i mean i mentioned this on our say anger episode where two thirds into the song you've heard the whole song if you know what i mean there's just going to be a verse and a riff there's not going to be anything new ground there there isn't a solo but there is a Mm, solo in the demo (laughs) demo Ah, called streamline have you heard the solo
11: I, that's right there is too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, now I remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It's uh it's <laughs> on the fan cam version. I'll I'll play a clip here for the listeners. Yeah. the solo actually I, I know you can't kind of recall it out your gray matter or whatever but it's really stop mm. star and, and angry and it's got a brittle bite to it and like mm. i don't know why there isn't a solo in Waste of my hate i, I think it would have worked in favor of the track
11: it's funny because you know it's only like listening to it again in the last day over and over that it just occurred to me there isn't a guitar solo mm. but it had never occurred to me and, yep. and they did this whole thing in the same anger where they they got rid of the guitar solos or yeah. chose not to have them in, and they'd already done it before. Mm-hmm. And oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, so it's a bit perplexing. I don't, it doesn't, and it, you know, it's not like there isn't a, a, probably a guitar song in every other low track or pretty much every other low song. The majority of them mm. definitely have that, and you know, even like. Um, the slide that, that Kirk loves to play all overload, I can totally mm. hear that on here and I think that would, <laughs> that, that, that would fit well, you know. Um, um, mm. but, but yeah, what Kirk's mainly doing is we have the sort of two guitar repartee going on and, you know, they're kind of backing each other up. But also, I don't know if you, you can kind of hear it more clearly with the headphones, there's a lot of kind of mm. subtle feedback layers and, and buzzing going on, especially towards the end of the song.
11: Yeah, they've got a lot of um, layers and overdubs mm. going in there, and I think it really adds to the to the swell of the song at that point and the aggression. I think um, it has a lot of energy going on there towards the end r- right up until... Building up to Hitfield's last for myself line, where he's really given it that Hitfield character. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I,
0: um, I think it's the best part of the song, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it, mm-hmm. it's like his ad libs as well. He's like dead gone now, and then it goes into the riff, and you, you can never fault this guy. He's he's always singing to one hundred percent. He's always selling these lyrics, yeah. even if "and I send a smile to you" is a little suspect, as I say before. But still, for me, ultimately, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it works, and the song is a really enjoyable track, and I love the way it ends as well with just that heavy kind of breakdown riff and then it's just gone yeah yeah i love that i love the ending and
11: i i just love how it smashes into Mama said, yes and, it's just, uh, into the, and i quite like that little juxtaposition as yeah. As well. yeah. yeah yeah no definitely it's an, it's an interesting
0: <laughs> yeah. one two one two punch certainly and um yeah i mean you know this is wasting my hate it, i guess a lot of people would Tarnish it as filler, maybe. Um, not even in a bad way. Yeah. It just doesn't. St- yeah. I mean, I mean, is this one of the better songs on Load View? Is this in the top three or? This would be in the top
11: five. Uh, It's really, it might have gone up a bit in the last few days. I I have, as I said, just found this new appreciation for it, which this is kind of what I also love, I've always loved about Low too, is is just spending a bit more time with it. Some of the songs kind of dig into me in different ways. Like this, I I heard the Thorn with an episode uh, recently and I also went back to that and um, kind of like, you know, heard the lyrics in a way I'd never heard them before. And so I thought, oh, shit, that's actually Blake. That's amazing. I I love his lyrics on that song, but I'd never really kind of looked into them that far before, probably because it's so deeply buried onto the album. But, you know, top sort of tracks for me, Outlaw Torn, Bleeding Me, uh, Until It Sleeps, Mm. Wasting My Hate. Um, And I've got a real big soft spot for um, The House That Jack Built. (laughs) Any any
0: two-by-four love?
11: I, you know, when I first heard 2 by 4 it was on the B-side of the Until It Sleeps single. Right. And um, uh, it was live. It was the live Donington, 1995. Okay. So it was, before, was that was that the yeah. single
0: with the Moby remix?
11: No, they, no. well, kind of, because they released, yeah, they released Until It Sleeps single into two parts. Yeah. So they had the Moby remix on the second or the first one, I think, and oh. um yeah, but that live two by four was the first time I'd heard two by four. Um so I'd I'd given that a million spins before the actual album came out and sure. then um yeah, and then hearing the actual album track was a little bit slower and a bit different. It had mm, a different vibe mm. it. Um so yeah, but I i but yeah. Two by, two by four is cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, Waste of my hate is cool and I'm sure people Maybe think that I would be hating this song, but you know, I, I can't I can't say I don't enjoy it, like, I can't say it's not fun. And you know, a lot of the time when I listen to Load, I'm kind of drumming my fingers, I don't find it very satisfying, mm. but 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 this song does do mm. it for me. And as we always do, guys, we reach out to you and see what you thought of the song at Metallica Pod. Michael says, Excellent deep track cleanses the palate after the stinkiest Load tune, Poor Twisted Me. Although the chorus lyrically <laughs> is a big miss with James's Good Day sending a smile, yep, thank you, Michael. Ad- Damn fine fun rocker And at four minutes This will be a welcome track Back in the live set Ralph says Overall I would say I dig the song Great bluesy beginning To kick things off Which end up being The track's main kickass riff I like where Het seems to be Going lyrically Discussing a rather Self-loathing individual However some of the lines Are clunky Also no solo Question mark Roger says I love this song I've actually heard rumours It's about Mustaine The world may never know I mean I don't think It is about Mustaine But it's kind of like Most Metallica songs Like there's always a rumour That it's about (laughs) Dave Mustaine Like
11: Well, I guess, you know, you can, can, the lyrics can be applied to so many different things. And I I think just reading through these lyrics, it's almost like a bit of a precursor to saying anger in some ways, Mm -hmm. like that kind of dealing with that self loathing a little bit, maybe. And um, because he's talking about, you know, uh, at the end there, just bring the lyrics up again. Um, Yeah, I won't waste my hate on you, I'll keep it to myself. Yeah. So I think that, you know, yeah.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh bloody podcast on the twitter saying this track is full on love the relentless stab of the verses tons of punky misfits attack in there john bradshaw says should have been the opening track on the album they also should have titled the album wasting my hate so much better than load um i don't mind load as an album title what do you think wasting my hate as the name of the album
11: yeah well actually it is a good title um yeah (laughs) yeah maybe interesting a little bit on the nose.
0: But, yeah, and they, they couldn't call it re-wasting my hate, the sequel is the problem. No, uh, no, that so, would yeah. be wasting something else, maybe, well, yeah. or, Still wasting or loving my, my hate. hate, loving, my yeah. hate. loving my hate. i think loving my hate. Loving my hate. That is definitely a future Hetfield song, for sure. And, yeah, um, uh, yeah as I said before, Dr. Bass got in touch on the Twitter and just says, God, I've got loads to listen to until I catch up. I only started yesterday and just done with Attitude. So uh, I appreciate Dr. Bass hopping on here. And um, you, you mentioned, uh, it was mentioned there in the Twitter, the song being played live. And, you know, for me... I wasn't quite familiar. I was was thinking to myself, oh, this has probably been dusted off a few times here and there. I knew it was played at the Film anniversary shows. A hundred times it's been played. Mm. Uh, First played Mm. September 6, 1996, in Vienna, Austria. Last played at the anniversary show December 7, 2011. It's, It's a lot of times to play wasting my hate.
11: It's and maybe not enough. I think yeah. they should bring it out again and get into it. I think um, it, it, this is a, this is a great song live. I, I love that Fillmore Fillmore version. Um, yeah. I think as they went on playing it, I, the the later it, with Jules in '97 version is pretty cool. But I think they definitely got they they got better at it as they went along. By the looks of things, looking on YouTube.
0: So we'll get into Mama Said. Um, just before we get into the, like the, the nitty gritty of the song, let's get a general scope. What is Mama Said to you, Kevin? Is this something that's very important to you?
7: I love this song. This is one of my favorite songs off that album. And I know people are like surprised by it. But if you just take it by itself and realize what it is, I think you can enjoy it for what it is. You don't have to be like, you know, comparing it to Master of Puppets. You can just take it as is and really enjoy it
0: yeah and we you know we open in a way oddly similar to leper Messiah. Um, we open with the countdown the one two three four one two uh, and it 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 gives you that sort of intimate appeal straight away. This is James at the microphone with the acoustic guitar, um, you know these humble salt of the earth chords coming in, and James singing over the top with some nice reverb on the voice a, a, a deep richness and I guess my issue and I, you know I don't want to offend people because I know a lot of people love this track and I, you know I'm not trying to put the cat amongst the pigeons or anything like that but I just don't find it that memorable and I guess the melody to me is slightly I don't know slightly half baked it just it just feels a little desultory like compositionally the stuff that I like like I like the fact that you know um with the with the chorus first of all it's very soft with the chords going down and then it rushes into that kind of overall country ornamentation with the slides and the more pronounced drumming and Hetfield backing himself um you know and there's a lot to like about the song like I definitely respect the i don't want to say bravery but you know i I like the fact that they went in this direction that james continued to forge this path um in in a more kind of melodic um sphere but i mean i mean talk to me about the intro then like talk about james's lyrics the sound of the song
7: yeah like verse one if you kind of don't know what you're getting into uh you probably have sort of a leonard Skinner, simple man sort of feel in the first verse so maybe that's why it seems a little hackneyed is like it's kind of been done before it has that same feel to it um but i really like it i love the build-up in the song because verse one is all acoustic verse two adds the steel guitar and a little bit of drums in there you know then the guitars and the drums continue through the bridge and then in verse three halfway or uh before it repeats when it repeats then it like really builds up and adds the adds the volume to it and then comes back down i really like that structure because it's really stealthy how they build it up to a climax and then it comes down sort of traditionally
0: yeah yeah and you know the um the let my heart go uh kind of refrain there which is repeated a lot throughout the song you know i think it's nine times that, that james kind of anchors himself around this i just it's not that edifying to me but it's kind of this you know, I, I I'm sure you've had the same experience, but I remember, be, you know, being around friends and loving songs and playing them in these songs, and they're just like they're apathetic towards them. You know what I mean? They just don't hit yeah. them in a certain way, and you can't do anything to change their mind. It's like trying to ch- trying to change someone's favorite color or something. It's just if the song doesn't click with with someone's soul. It's kind of a lame way to say it, but you know what I mean. If it doesn't kind of get into your blood, then there's nothing really you can do. And I personally. Don't feel that the chorus has too much staying power. Don't find it that nourishing or edifying. But I do agree that the song builds well. I think it's masterfully put together. I love the instrumentation that goes in, and there's a lot of different things. There's often a tertiary guitar, and I think there's like a banjo or some other sort of familiar stringed instrument that they were getting into that bag for. And though we don't get a guitar solo, Kirk's still there with the war in the verses, which is nice. Oh, of course. Yeah. Can't leave out the wah No, I mean, um, are you surprised? Because I a song like this, I feel would 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 suit a Skinners type, you know, wood shedding solo, or something maybe a bit more gentle and reflective, but still quite powerful. Yeah, I
7: think you could definitely add that in there. And I was thinking the other day, like, if somebody else had performed this song, like if Johnny Cash had did this song like yeah. he did, Hurt, like <laughs> yeah. would people like this song better? I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's something is just I'm thinking of, but
0: yeah, I think yeah. that would help. I think you're right. I think that that's a really good point. I could definitely imagine like the 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 hurt video, but him doing this over the top, like yeah, and the title is what Mama said is kind of you know indicative of that uh, that sort of uh, uh, emotional recess that he's in. Um, talk to me about the lyrics. James getting very confessional.
7: Yeah. Um. As usual, he's pretty vague, so you can kind of put what you want there but you know it centers around his mom and her dying at a young age uh, i think he was 16 yeah. when she passed but the song is actually about him really trying to strike out on his own you know kind of that defying the oedipal mother sort of archetype there and some of the lyrics are actually pretty surprising like when i hear it i think uh but you gave me your emptiness that i take to my grave that's how i hear it when i listen mm-hmm. to it but I went on Metallica.com, and it's that, but you gave me your emptiness, I now take to my grave. So it's kind of like a bit suicidal, maybe, or yeah. maybe he's writing it towards the end of his life as the, as the author there. But that kind of surprised me when I looked at it. Um, same thing, I will never agree that fade to black was written about stolen gear i think james has <laughs> struggled with some heavier topics than that I think yeah that crops up here
0: yeah i mean i think the lyrics are surprising as well because sometimes it does get into that i mean you mentioned skinner before and i think that's you know kind of perfect comparison like it feels very skinned rebel my new last name which just feels like, you know, one of their kind of yee songs. But Apr- apron strings around my neck, the mark that mm-hmm. still remains. How are you reading that lyric? Is, is he saying like ma- the maternal influence, the kind of, you know, apron as kind of metonymy for the mother? or?
7: Yeah, I tried to think about that and come up with a couple of things. You know, you could read it literally as like strangulation. Yeah. Um, or you could read it as, you know, because james's dad left maybe his mother had to take on some more traditionally masculine roles in the house and mm. maybe he had to help with the housework and he kind of resented that kind of being yeah put in a lower place that maybe he saw it that way you know james is awesome at putting these lyrics together and like i said you anybody can plug whatever they want into them
0: Mm-hmm. yeah it, it's very sweet um, in times we talking about a mother's love for a son unspoken um, I need your arms to welcome me and this sort of appeal and you know it, it does gather up pace as it goes on as I say it's very much centred around this main chorus and you know when we get to the later sections as well we get grander kind of ideas here the sort of heavier guitar underneath we even get the sort of dead string like the chug as it's going in for the final one as well you know, and it is quite epic. It is a little grandstanding, personally, just for my taste. But I, I, I still like that they went there. And this is a later song on Load as well. And I think a lot of people, at least myself, I feel Load is a bit more of a front-loaded album. Uh, I don't necessarily prefer the. Well, I don't really like the whole thing, but I don't really prefer the uh, <laughs> the latter side entirely. And um odd that this isn't a song they've played a lot i mean it's a nice coincidence they've only played this song two times and it's a nice coincidence that the episode had just released at the time i was recording this where it was Metallica's appearances on uh later with Jules Holland when they were mm-hmm. on there for the load show um they did wasting my hate they did king nothing and they did uh james solo doing mama said with Jay- i don't know if you've seen that performance of of them of james doing it
7: yeah i I saw that one because that one's on YouTube and the only other time it's been performed was at the CMT Outlaw concert uh, where James also did a cover of Waylon Jennings. Don't you think this Outlaw bit's done got out of hand, which is awesome, by the way, if you haven't heard that, go listen to that. Um, but that's the only other time, and I couldn't find that performance.
0: Yeah, well, I, I didn't know about that. Apparently, there's another time as well when they're in Stockholm, Sweden. This is just off their website. Um, oh, which, really? Yeah, it looks like it was two days after, so it was on the Load Press Tour, uh, SVT Studios. So I imagine that's sort of you know Sweden's BBC or whatever. But the reason I mention the performance is, is one, it's a cool performance, and you do rarely see just James and his six string. Um, but Newsteads in the background, like like slowly head banging to the song. <laughs> like, it's it, it's really it's really really he nice. Can't help them. Selfie no, he just, <laughs> he just can't. He just can Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean. Look, I'm I'm not really a big in terms of Metallica, like a big like lyrics guy. Like I'm not the sort of person that's like, oh, these lyrics really spoke to me. They got me through some hard times. I'm more, I guess, I'm more of a music guy, I'm more of a song guy, the sort of the entirety of the thing. Um, so, so yeah, "Mama Said" isn't a song that I that I run back to, but I still, you know, really value it um, as a piece of their history. And um, you know, in the chorus as well, it's nice when James is singing and sort of Kirk's guitar is sort of the call and answer doing some nice kind of slide flourishes. I mean, all, all the band are in a slightly different perspective here, aren't they?
7: Yeah, and I like James's vocals on this song. It's yeah. really hard to sing either of the vocal tracks. It's layered vocals, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why they don't do it live so much is because yeah. it is really hard to sing. And I think maybe in the Load Reload era, because the songs were easier to play, that allowed James to kind of get his voice, you know, tune that up as an instrument in itself so maybe the easier songs off those albums you know created the really good singer that we know today mm-hmm. um at least that's what i hope
0: yeah and this was um obviously this was a single this was released on november 25th 1996 as always there are some quite cool alternative editions so internationally it was released as two different singles, and they had um, lots of live tracks on there, so these were live tracks recorded on August 4th, 1996, at Irving Meadows. We got a live So What, creeping death king nothing whiplash and ain't my bitch live as well and there's also a japanese ep version that has all the live tracks Mm -hmm. as well as a mama said early demo version which i haven't actually heard um and it's quite funny it says produced by obviously not produced uh recorded by (laughs) lars and james uh on december 10th 1994 and kirk and jason had a day off as usual it says in brackets (laughs) um so yeah definitely have to seek that one out as well but um what about the uh, the video? Have you seen the video? Yeah, I've definitely seen the video. Yeah, it's quite a fun video, right? It's kind of a it's kind of one of those trick videos where you know you feel that he's in the back of his convoy and then you realise there's a screen behind. But I, I like the way he's dressed. I like the occupation he's inhabiting.
7: <laughs> it's very indicative of the load reload era. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's just missing a cigar really and, and that would kind yeah, of top pretty it much off perfectly but um but yeah it's, it's quite a tasteful video and there's kind of it's all james apart from a little cameo from the boys at one point in the background as well and um then if i remember correctly he gets out the car and it's kind of a hollowed out car and there's a screen and then there's just a horse uh, yeah, on the stage for some reason <laughs> yeah and then it just uh... because you don't park your horse outside in yeah yeah California, i imagine i, guess. <laughs> I imagine hetfield just mounts it and just left and uh just headed back to a downy or something but uh but yeah um any uh any closing thoughts on mama said uh yeah i i think hardcore
7: metallica fans 11 tracks into load maybe saw that acoustic intro like all right, maybe we're gonna get like a battery or something after that acoustic (laughs) intro. Then they were really let down about 40 seconds in, but I don't care because I love the song. And you talked about the demo earlier. There's a 1995 demo that had a parenthetical title called the story so far. So I'm wondering if it was gonna be, you know, like an Unforgiven trilogy, like James had more in the can for that type of song. (laughs)
0: I think maybe Load ultimately has more of an artisanal quality. I.e., the songs feel a bit more chiselled to me, and a bit more Mm -hmm. together. And there is a certain difference in sound, but 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 it's pretty negligible here. But I suppose what I mean is that like Load to me has always been a record of two halves, really. I think when you get to Cure on the eighth track, it's a Mm -hmm. complete irrevocable mess, really. It's downhill. uh Paul twist to me, waste my hate. Mama said, form within Ronnie, the outlaw torn. You know, I think I think the opening. Seven tracks, pretty, pretty decent, actually. And I'm yeah, the, to the, the
12: first stage. seven are super strong, no doubt. And there's no doubt there's a dip in the back half. I just sort of grew up, and uh, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, This just sort of how yeah. I was programmed, is to just take records like that. Records kind of all have always felt like a seesaw to me, and like a give and take. And I don't, I mean... You know, even a record like "Rumors" by Fleetwood mac got some bullshit on. It. Oh, Daddy, I don't think it's a song I ever want to hear right. again, and that's one of the greatest records of all time. I don't know if there is a perfect record. You know, do you know of a record that's like even, mm, I mean, even you know, Appetite have, has has like uh, anything goes, your thing's not great. Like uh, and thinking about you, I mean, I like oh, that what song, but thinking it, about you is
0: one of the best songs.
12: I mean, but is it, is it as good as "Sweet Child" and yes, "Paradise" no, and absolutely. "Jungle" and "Brownstone"? Is river oh. in the chorus there? And the, well, then we can. Well, like oh man we can agree on uh anything goes though even though i like anything goes but it's not night train you know so no, no it's not no to, to to me the how good the front half is it, it's real it's real hit heavy too like it's real commercial on the front half and uh, i mean dude until it sleeps is my favorite metallica song so i'm mm-hmm. way big on the front half of of load but i think the back of it it just it's like more room for james it's more room for them to just be weirder which i think is awesome it's, it's not that Harkin's, weird
0: though it's not, it's not that experimental. It's quite repetitive.
12: I think, for example, for Thorn Within, I mean, I think that there's some guitar tones that are pretty weird, this flangy chorus thing. The chords are pretty unique for them. That's not weird. Experimenting it's with not, all these different hot harmonies. Hot it ain't.
0: Like, I don't know. Do what? Zappa, it's not. Like, I, I, I don't think it's that kind of confrontation. Okay, let's get into the song, because I feel okay. that the intro is one of the most boring intros Metallica have ever done. The da na that ponderous clunk of these wilted chords and that dry <laughs> ear moan of feedback from curve you get the count in as well um i mean metallica routinely have some of the greatest interests of all time in music right this, to me just i don't know i know it's part of the riff and it builds up with the feedback and whatever but to me i just i kind of i'm pulling out my hair from the from the day go
12: yeah i mean i i just again i see it like yeah it can't they can't all be it can't all be black
0: though like can't be damaging like they they can change the game
12: yeah, I mean, I actually like it. I think it's pretty ominous. And I like how the guitar on the right comes in. I think it's James. And it's like the da, da, now, now. And it doesn't really finish the phrase. Then when Kurt comes in, he starts finishing it. It's a sort of, in my opinion, when I'm thinking about how they must have written it and arranged it, recorded it, it's a sort of well constructed piece of chaos where you don't really know what's going on until it comes in. I will say that it's the, the main riff, the chorus riff, is a super derivative STP. Go go, go go, go go, go go. go, go. That's sex type thing from Stone yeah. Pilots. It's like really blatantly a ripoff, which is really odd. But nevertheless, it's really, I think it's fucking awesome. The descending thing, I think it's cool. I like that they introduce it before they even play the first verse. So there's this setup for the chorus that I think is is smart of them. And I like that they bring the Y in, but it's not a shitty 80s wah. It's this kind of Alice in Chains wah on the main riff. Um, those would be my platitudes in defense of the intro. Mm, mm. I, I really hate that riff, that Stone Temple Polish riff that you mentioned before.
0: <laughs> and it's funny you mention them, actually, because I have recently started a new job. And we have this office, and in one of the offices, uh, one of the screensavers was set as Stone Temple Pilots logo. And I like, mm. work in quite a small office, and I'm sort of meeting everyone. And I was like, oh, who's a Stone Temple Pilots fan? Just thinking. And then I saw that the guy had a tattoo. Uh, Is this guy at my work, this Venezuelan dude, long-haired dude, really into rock. We've connected a lot. We've jammed a little bit as well. I don't really play guitar much anymore, but we've sort of hung out and played a few songs. Anyway, he loves Stone Temple Pilots to the point where me and him got in a huge argument the other day because he says that Soundgarden aren't as good as Stone Temple Pilots. And I, I, I just didn't know what to say.
12: No, that would be really, really hard to do. Really for me like too.
0: Wow. Like and he was like throwing songs at me and I was like, Nothing's as good as Super Unknown. What what are you talking about? Nothing they've never matched that record, ever.
12: No. I mean no. I mean I didn't really follow anything after their third record, Tiny Music, but if they're taking the best songs from those records like Lady Picture Show, Big Bang Baby, uh Trippin' on a hole, Wicked Garden, Vaseline, none of that shit touches almost anything on Super Unknown. No. No. in terms of complexity and harmonically interesting i do like the idea of, like you mentioned you got a new job and then you you said so many things about this guy like <laughs> you found a screensaver then you saw his tattoo and then he's venezuelan and then you jammed with him i liked imagining all that happening like in your first morning <laughs> at, at work it was, it was, like we've already
0: jammed i know i know and now it's over we can't be friends anymore because what he said about sound but it was,
12: was it a it- relationship ending argument <laughs>
0: uh you know we'll have to see uh we've, we've got on subsequently over a lot of games. yeah your
12: second day is tomorrow so yeah. we'll have to see if you survived it <laughs> yeah. isn't it funny though how like people you just fucking plant your flag somewhere and then it, it, you can get really offended I've, I've had to really check myself on it doing the podcast has helped i'm sure it has with you too but
0: yeah sometimes you get annoyed i don't know what it is it's like i do this show and i always say to people you have different ears as i said earlier but sometimes people say something about the song. you're like go fuck yourself like you don't, you don't know you haven't heard what i've heard in this song
12: no, I had a guy that got so upset at me about uh, my take on Rust and Peace mm-hmm. last week, and uh, he was real upset that I <laughs> that I didn't take the song Take No Prisoners more seriously, <laughs> and uh, which I just find so fucking hilarious. And uh, and then he said uh, he said Rust and Peace is the greatest album of all time, and for you to have been so infantile, and uh, uh, you know he he thought I was being sacrilegious. And I'm like you. I'm like, dude, music's subjective. What's so beautiful about all of it is how different we can all see it and hear it. But then you're telling me Rust in Peace is the greatest record of all time. I'm going to have to just abandon all the logic I just said and appeal to just science. Just straight, like, put it in a lab, put it in a tube. Rust in Peace is not the greatest record of all time. Sorry. uh, Dawn Patrol is great, though. Hell yeah, Dawn, Dawn Patrol is, is with no lie, my favorite Megadeth song. We end our lives as moles. That's my favorite, dude. We end our lives as moles. And for people not
0: aware, this is part of Mali podcast, uh, Clinton Ethan's show, where they listen to the big four, which is a really inspired thing that you've done. And I sort of copied a little bit from my Tom Waits podcast, but it's been great hearing you and Ethan just trail through. And it's normally Ethan, like, bigging it up, and he's listened to it since he was 16, and you just, like, mildly trashing it.
12: <laughs> well it's honest you know like yeah, i've no never theory. i i just never really checked a lot of that stuff out because and ethan's the same way but he i guess he just got into the big four more but i just always had such diverse tastes i was listening to prince and michael jackson and all of madonna mm-hmm. and a bunch of shit in the 80s and early 90s that wasn't hard music and so it's fun you know and and uh it it's interesting to see why they belong together like oh okay i get why these four bands are grouped together but what you what we're really finding out is that it's real clear why Metallica pulled so far ahead of those bands, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, some of the Amphrax stuff I couldn't really listen to. I was kind of cringey.
12: Yeah, it's pretty silly.
0: Mm. And it's kind of it's like... pretty silly. What is silly? You know, because, I mean, we both listened to a lot of goofy shit that we mm-hmm. both fucking love, like Guns N' Roses and and, and and Kiss or whatever. But, but yeah, there is a certain honesty and in integrity of the heart there. But getting back to this song, getting back to Form Within, so... Uh, The groove becomes established, uh, the the drums come in here, you know, with or about a cooperation, the song's kind of moving forward, it's got a kind of angular edge to it, but there's nothing really surprising. And the connective tissue um, kind of between the main riff itself that comes in, that Stone Temple Pilots riff, and the verse riff, there's nothing there. Like, it sounds like it's just descending to something, but there's just this dearth of ideas. It's quite kind of confusing, really. I didn't choose to plonk a little riff in there. And we get the verse, James is not really saying too much here for me. Forgive me, Father. He opens with as well, which is just very cliche and just. Or maybe he's going to rescue the song by some alternative. No, no. He's just coming with these here. He's sin, the mark of shame. He's the sin. He's guilty. I mean, a- again with the post grunge that I mentioned before, Clint. It just feels a little aimless.
12: Hmm. I I interpreted that two, two ways through what I know about him growing up. In Christian science, hmm. which is a really small subset of, I mean, some people even consider them cults, but it's a really intense <clears throat> subset of religious ideology where famously, you know, his mother passed away because she wasn't taking, you know, they don't believe in taking medicine right. and he would have to leave the science classes in school. And, you know, he's dealt with that shit before the God that failed and, you know, um, et cetera. But So I I know that about him. So I'm finding that interesting because what I love about Load and, and what I think this song really does, honestly, is I like seeing windows into James because I admire him so much and I look up to him so much. And I think starting from Dyer's Eve, I've outgrown that fucking lullaby. That's really where he starts to open and where you can see him. It's not a story about being in an insane asylum. It's not a story about a war hero who had his fucking arms and legs blown off. It's not a story from the Ten Commandments about um about the plagues in egypt it's not about a war story that he saw an infomercial about disposable heroes it's not about they're going to kick some ass and wear leather tonight it's when he's coming into his 30s and he's starting to really grapple with who he is i think that shit gets fully realized in load and reload and in this song so i I choose it that way and then i I also have a similar evangelical background i was an evangelical christian for like 10 years Hmm. so I think that, of course, it's cliche. Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. Okay. I think he does save it and turn it around because he's using a lot of religious imagery. He's talking about being branded a mark of shame, Cain and Abel, I guess. He talks about a thorn within, which is from, from St. Paul. Uh, but I, I feel like the song is kind of a, uh, an indictment of that, an indictment of the idea, which is prevalent. As, you're, you're not a, Are you a religious person? I don't think I know much about I'm you. I'm not. No,
0: I actually despise religion, yeah.
12: Okay, I'm I'm in a similar place. But you you're familiar with like Judeo-Christian concepts like original sin. Sure. Everyone's born bad.
0: Yeah, I was raised in a Roman Catholic uh, primary and secondary school, yeah, so
12: Okay, kind of cool, cool, that. right on. So I and and that's something that I believed in deeply for a long time and I I think it was psychologically pretty traumatic and coming out of that um, Like when I met Christopher Hitchens, I shook his hand and told him, thank you for emancipating me from what I consider to be ideological slavery. And the concept of original sin was a big part of that. And I think this song really challenges that because he's saying he's basically saying, okay, the the teachings worked. I feel bad. I'm obviously doing bad things. But it's he's grappling with this idea of like, but this is coming from within me. And he's like, should I look? He says, I'm branded the mark of shame. Should I look down disgraced or straight ahead? And what does he say? And Know that you're that you must blame. Like, this is what you do. This is your machine. And uh, there's a really cool line, too, in the second verse when he says, find me guilty when true guilt's from within. And I love that idea of like it feels like an Instagram post by some. Christian mom. I, I know, but he's trying to pack it into a five minute. Pop it's the song. writing I mean, as well. It's, it's actually the, 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 the
0: flavor behind it. It's not Dylan-esque. It's not like Cohen. It's just kind of words on a fridge.
12: It doesn't feel much craft behind it. I think the line for I am shadows and will follow you. One for I am shadows.
0: Same. That's like what don't kill you make you more strong. For I am shadowy, I am a shadow. For I am shadows. I don't know. It sounds like a sort of Tim an extra feature.
12: Well, what don't kill you make you more strong is is Nietzsche, which I think is dope, but it's he just said it. Quote, he said it's it super weird. Yeah,
0: exactly. He's, well, he, of he's syntax. fucked up the grammar. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> yeah.
12: Like... <laughs> It's like super weird, but I like the idea. I mean, if I'm just trying to think about the idea of the song that I Mm -hmm. think he does land, I love the idea of turning this idea of like, everyone's bad. We're going to control you by making you feel bad all the time about who you actually are, like how you just physically respond to pressure in nature. And he's like, well, and but then you talk about feeling guilty, like you fucked up. And obviously he's a dude who's written a lot about fucking up. Low man's lyric is a huge, I fucked up big time. Low man's lyric is like his boys of summer or something. And, uh, but I like the idea of them saying that, like, really, you can't be made to feel guilty by an external thing. Like, you have to understand – like, for example, the thief on the cross. I always hated that story because I always felt like this guy obviously was a thief and a piece of shit probably. He ended up being murdered on a cross publicly. And then all he does is say it's a magic spell, and then he gets to be go to heaven forever. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like what is the, – the teaching of that is like it, – it wears the facade of being a moral teaching. But is it really moral? And I think the song, In James's Way – when he's in his like early thirties or mid thirties is trying to tackle that. And I think that's pretty dope. I don't think a lot of post grunge artists were doing that.
0: No, no. I mean, yeah, they still retained a lot of the uh, sophisticated thought processes that Hetfield was investigating in all the prior albums as well. Um, I mean, it's just, not even the lyrics, it's just the, the, the tone of the guitars and the verses, they're very sugary and, and tepid. I've uh, been listening, I was just mentioning before, when I know have been listening to a lot of Janis Joplin recently, a lot of her Woodstock stuff. Really liking her Woodstock stuff, and, and hearing loads of songs that I never really knew before, going back, finding the original albums. I found the only album, I think it's the only solo album she released when she was actually alive, um, I Got Them Old Cosmic Blues Again Mama. Which is a great mm-hmm. album title from 1969. It's kind of her in ecstasy on the cover. But um, reading a lot of reviews, they concur with this as well. All music stuff. The band is terrible. The, the the band are a group of people who have no idea to do with her talent and just do very stolid progressions and you know don't enliven her in the slightest. And it just reminds me a little bit of this none of the guitars are doing anything it's kind of in that until it sleeps arpeggio territory but but way off mark nowhere near as tasteful um i don't like you mentioned before that alice in chains war it kind of mm-hmm. bothers me that it's all over the song and it's just kind of making matters worse it's kind of softening the impact and it's quite toothless
12: <laughs> it's it has no teeth there's yeah. no teeth in there you know what i mean yeah, the, the the yeah i mean these kinds of conversations ultimately kind of can reduce to a i like it i don't like it
0: um, <laughs> yeah. that's what Alpha is man
12: i don't really feel that way. i like mm-hmm. I, I i see the difference between this and until it sleeps for sure mm-hmm. the but truth i don't is
0: somewhere in the middle i think
12: yeah i mean it has teeth for me i don't know why the song uh resonates with me it always did one of the first um metal up your podcast radio episodes we did I was scared to do a radio episode and not just play only Metallica. So I did Metallica deep cuts. And I think this maybe was the first song I played on that because Uh I feel like it's, you know, you, you're doing good work over there because you're bringing up every song indiscriminately. Every song is going to get its time in the sun, which I think is awesome. Uh, But this is a song that without some kind of forum like that would never really get any consideration. And I think that's all I want is some consideration. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure.
0: And we get a solo, a little solo, Really? uh quite lab- labored a bit inorganic but it leers in what, what do you make of kirk's playing there
12: are you proud of kirk <clears throat> <clears throat> well i'm proud of james because that's james playing that ah okay i didn't realize that's cool and so i think that adds a little a cool little dimension to it too like i don't know how they decide when he plays solos or sure. not i've seen him you know be self-effacing about his guitar playing i think he's a wonderful guitar yeah. player so i don't know if he only plays solos and stuff he feels really connected to obviously nothing else matters the middle part of puppets there's certain sections of uh, "Suicide and Redemption," etc., mm-hmm. but I like his touch on it because it's it's this bluesy thing, but it's kind of left of center. It's not; it doesn't sound like Kirk, obviously, because it's not. Yeah, and he's got a cool touch too. He's got a cool vibrato that's a little different that you can hone in on. I like that it's short and sweet, and I just I like hearing James play guitar. You know, absolutely, and we get some more guitar towards the end as well. A lot of kind of soloing in the back corners of the song. Yeah, and that kind of sounds like Kirk to me. It's yeah, like definitely. he's kind of following the riff and then he's kinda of doing these little bluesy bends and pulls mm-hmm. and the song does kind of go on at the end. I do agree with that. He just keeps saying Thorn within, and we get the this even though I love the song the super funny, the like the Thorn Within, He does that big yeah. yodely one. Um but it does sound like they're having fun. I mean, it sounds like they're having fun playing it in the studio. It's a weird thing to me that they never played it live. Yeah. It's weird that so many of these they never even played one time. It's, uh, I
0: mean, can you see this ever being pulled, maybe like the 40th anniversary shows or
12: something? Yeah, it would be some load, it would be a special about load, they're never gonna, they're never gonna play it in the wild, it's never gonna ever be in contention for any kind of real set list, so and that's fine i mean maybe they tried it and it was awful i i've seen them say that about like the house that jack built they tried it in a few sound checks and it just didn't work and Mm -hmm. i've been in bands where we had a song that we all loved and we nailed it on the recording but for whatever reason this can't crack the code live i understand that yeah and it is a bit i mean can you see them ever
0: doing some sort of load special tour playing the whole album
12: Mm, not a tour Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe a few nights, maybe like they did the 30th anniversary shows. I don't think, I don't think they'll ever do a tour of it. No,
0: no, no, I guess we're coming up to the 25th anniversary of Load So 21 maybe, is that right? So, yeah, yeah uh, maybe they'll celebrate that. I mean, it's not like an iconic fucking master level album, but you know, the fans love it. And people are very familiar. It's very well saying. So um, we'll go, as we always do, over to at Metallica Pod on the Twitter to hear your feedback on this song. Got loads of feedback there. Uh, Tommy says, I love this song, especially lyrically. Anytime Hetfield's lyrics get introspective, you can totally count me in. This track has a lot of the looseness I really like about a lot of loads cuts and is rife with ear candy. Sadly, the podcast was saying, I personally love this track. We can see the fresh cats despising the lane that it lumbers in. For me, what could be perceived as a lack of dynamics in the riff is perfectly counteracted by some great climbs in the vocals Form within rules. Nick Makoviak, a uh, good friend of both our podcasts, I have a feeling that my opinion will line up more with yours than Clint's. I don't like it. I do find it boring and just there. Occupying space... Um, Freyden saying I have a soft spot for loaders it's their first album I ever bought so there are several songs that I really like on the record this isn't one of them Monty says boring chorus Triton really likes the chromatic riff the intensity of the chorus I wish the guitar solo would last longer what a waste of a great moment not the best song on load but still better than Cure for sure uh, Clint I probably prefer Cure j- just for the main riff of anything
12: yeah I uh, mm, it'd be tough for me I kind of consider them both in the same stew you know sure. They're both kind of the same kind of a piece of for me. tasteless
0: cauldron of... <laughs>
12: <laughs> well, for you, yes. <laughs> I don't want any of that gumbo, like, take it out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need a little more hot sauce on yours. Yeah, A little salt yeah, and pepper. Yeah. I get it.
0: I, it. Like, it's like, okay, you know, you're in Nashville. You're around a lot of talented musicians constantly, I'm sure. Like, Kirk's bluesy playing on Load and Reload. It's just, when you weigh up to anyone, I can actually do... Like, think about Brad Paisley. Like, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Like, what Kirk does on this is just... Really, I kind of roll my eyes. It's kind of stuff you hear in, like, guitar magazines and stuff. I don't know what the pros should be doing.
12: Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've t- definitely disagre- I definitely th- disagree. I just feel like you can't compare Kirk Hammett to fucking Brad Paisley, dude. Let's go <sighs> ahead and just compare him to John McLaughlin and Pat Metheny. It's like, you, that doesn't make uh, any sense. They're both, That's Apples mean, and Oranges. Uh, they're both doing bluesy solos. They're both doing sort of pentatonic runs, I know, but- like. Yes, but one's in the context of like Pat Metheny's in the context of actual steeped in classical blues and jazz. Kirk mm. Hammett's doing it in the in the context of Metallica. Sure. And it's going to it's going to be different. It's going to have his color on it. And Kirk's limitations like a lot like Lars, I think make up what I love the most about the sound of Metallica, especially in those records in the load and reload records
0: yeah yeah it certainly adds to it no doubt and
12: they're all you could have steve Vai put a fucking solo on thorn within <laughs> as not going to make the song better for you i don't think no. and i would hate it uh, it's kind of what's weird about marty friedman with megadeth it's like his solos are so clean and good oh, but in yeah, a... you
0: it annoyed me when you listened. I was, I was waiting for tornado of souls and i was like i can't all go mad here you didn't really seem to react do you... just not for you the solo
12: it's so weird. I like to listen to like I went through a big Steve Vai thing, a big Ingve thing. Mm. I like those records by themselves when I I know what that package is that's being delivered to me. When I hear that kind of virtuoso stuff over like a normal rock song, it just it takes me out of it. It's just too clean and good or something. I know that sounds so shitty of me, but mm. I like that there's a um there's a rawness to Angus Young where he it's like sometimes yeah. he's playing a solo and he you feel like he might not land it. There's just something about that that fits the music so well. It doesn't take me out of it. It'd be too weird if he was too good. Slash too, like especially when Slash really ramps up, like in "Don't Damn Me" when it gets super fast yeah. and you're like, "Oh my god!" Is he's going so? It's so. It feels so like a, a crazy LA junkie playing with his eyes closed that the fear of him not landing. It's kind of what I'm attracted to about it. I can see that, and I think Eddie Van Halen straddles both of those really well. Like Eddie was... Van Halen is a great example of both. Yes, mm, for mm. sure. That dude is an alien for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to shout out Ridiculous Rock Records as well. Uh, I was re-
0: review. Sorry. I was recently on their podcast uh, with Ray and Aaron discussing 1984. and Halen's 1984. I think that episode oh, will be nice. out. by the time this drops, I would have mentioned it on a podcast before, but
12: definitely go and, uh, and check that out. Um, Clint, any final thoughts on form within? Um, I think it's a deep window. It's it's to me it's in the lyrically in the vein of bleeding me. I don't think it's as good as bleeding me, but I think if you if what you're responding to in those records is who James is and what he's wrestling with, Thorn Within's a good good spot for that. And uh, I think musically it's cool too. It's in the it's in the vein of the Alice in Chains. Definitely, I mean you're calling it post grunge. It's definitely very '90s sounding, yeah. which, which I which I think is fine. It's people who really like Master of Puppets are not going to like Thorn Within. That's fine. Um, and uh, I guess I'll just leave it there. If you like it, cool. If you don't like load and reload, you probably are not going to like Thorn Within. <laughs> no, no, it isn't going to win you over the way Memory Remain. People who don't like load or reload might hear Memory Remains live and be like, "Okay, I get it. This is pretty cool." That's mm-hmm. not going to happen with Thorn Within, I don't think.
0: No, and even the central image as well, it's so insubstantial. Oh, there's a fawn in me. It's not like a dagger in your side or something. It's, I don't know, it, it, it's a little drained perhaps, but whatever. We were going to disagree on this. Let us know what you think of uh, Form Within down below. Um, just on Metal, your podcast quickly, because obviously I'm a giant fan like everyone else is, and you mm-hmm. guys are routinely killing it. Um, you kind of do your own little Alphabitalica in a certain sense with the Metal Tales from the Road. Um, by right. my count, fifty-seven of those you've done so far.
12: Yeah, it's been, it's harder. Um, it it gives me a lot of appreciation for what you do. It's definitely been harder since they moved the tour over to Europe. Mm, oh, just yeah, in terms, just in terms of coordinating the logistics of talking to people, and then Ethan and I. For for your listeners that may not know, Ethan and I both travel a lot for our jobs. So just coordinating all that with Wi-Fi and times and people are and, – and another thing that happens in Europe a lot too is people are traveling a lot more to go to these shows. So someone will go see them in Munich, but they won't live in Munich. So yeah. then they have to get home and then uh, – it's really, it's really given me an appreciation for what you do. But yeah, we've done a lot. We're trying to do the whole tour. I don't know if we're going to end up making it, but we're trying to do the whole thing where we let someone, a patron of the show usually, someone be an ambassador for every show. That's right. Yeah. And the so problem what, is, they they play almost the same set list every yeah. show, so <laughs> yeah. it's good stuff. No, yeah, I mean, uh,
0: I mentioned to you before, and I've said on the show, uh, Live on Four Legs, which is a Pearl Jam podcast, and they mm-hmm. review, you know, everything from Soldier Field, 95, up to all the Madison Square whatever, and you you know, you know Pearl Jam really well, like, they're the sort of band mm-hmm. that do a different set every night, and, you know, depending on the mood, or whatever, and they'll just suddenly do no-code in backwards order, or, you know, something like that, do a special set. Whereas Metallica, yeah, you kind of get in the, you know, the early double punches, and the slots rotating, etc. So they're is it Australia next or are they still in Europe
12: for a bit? They've got another leg of Europe and then it's Australia, New Zealand. What's cool though, about what we're doing at metal Lipid podcast is after the world wired cycle ends, which I think is going to be in October or November, yeah. we are opening the metal tales up to kind of like what you were saying with this other, I haven't heard that Pro Jam podcast, but yeah. we're going to open it up to any show that anyone's been to. So, that's going to be more exciting because it's going to be the orion festival in new jersey or atlantic city sure. it's going to be you know new year's eve in 98 whatever it's going to be it's going to cross the whole career so that's going to be more interesting i think
0: yeah that's a really cool idea and you know i've kind of done a few of those myself going do it going back and just reviewing land, landmark concerts or whatever like the one in kentucky speedway that doesn't have james on it and like Sister mm-hmm. down it's playing all that sort of stuff and you get a uh, fuel with kid rock on the on the scratching discs which which is pretty fucking crazy but even just to pick a random show like oh where were they in february 94 okay yeah let's do alabama and like you know something might not have happened but whatever it's still worth it
12: yeah and the set list is going to be different you know if we are spacing them out like that it's going to be a lot more interesting there's going to be more of the factor of like oh i want to what were they playing on the shit it's the shed tour in 94 when kirk had dreadlocks were they were they playing early versions of thorn within (laughs) i don't know you know you'll have to listen to the episode so
0: and, you know, in terms of the future, I just saw on Twitter now you've released a new episode. Uh, obviously I obviously haven't listened to it, but you say you sort of talk about the future of the show. You're doing Slayer, right? One of your big four ones.
12: Yeah, we're going to do all the most recent albums from the big four. So Repentless by Slayer, Dystopia by Megadeth, which won a Grammy, by the way. And That's then, cool. Uh, For All the Kings by Anthrax. Just to kind of see. Where... We've been doing their biggest albums, like Rust in Peace and Countdown to Extinction. We did Among the Living by mm-hmm. Anthrax. Uh, South of Heaven, or Seasons in the Abyss by Slayer, so anyway, we're going to kind of just see where they're all at now
0: Yeah, that's a good, that's a, good, that's good idea, yeah, it's
12: a nice twist definitely, so, so, I mean, what about the future of
0: the show then, like, you know, I'm coming to my end but I am still going to keep going and doing other stuff and, you know, it seems like you guys keep growing and growing I, I, I don't want to be negative, like say there is an end in sight, but like, do you have any continuity plans
12: or are you just going to keep going? I think for now we've got another year in us, but I, I think we're just trying to figure out if we want to keep doing it and what if we do what it'll look like when this, when the When the tour ends, it's obviously going to be a little quiet and the boys are going to go on what I assume will be a well-deserved break. I don't know when they're going to go back in the studio. On the one hand, that means is there going to be less interest in a podcast about Metallica? On the other hand, is there going to be a vacuum where a bunch of Metallica nerds, myself included, are going to want somewhere to go and congregate and talk about their favorite band? So we've still got people to talk to. Like We've got a bunch of cool guests lined up and we've got got a master list that we're still working through. It's about another year and uh we want to like do it all and finish it all and then we look at it the way i was saying about your show at the top of the show like we want this to be a big beautiful body of work that any metallica fan can binge on whenever they need to you know feel like Mm -hmm. they have friends out there who like the same band they like in terms of what we're gonna do we've talked about like rebranding it and trying to talk about more broad music we've talked about just being done we're not really sure um but we are getting to the point where those conversations are making more sense you know
0: But just before we get to Ronnie, I mean, we mentioned collections before. You've got quite a sizable Metallica collection in and of itself, right? I mean, you you mentioned in the email you've got a Metallica Laser Disc.
3: Yeah, yeah. I've got. It was Damn, the. I um, didn't even know they
0: existed of Metallica. Well, it's
3: it's not Metallica all by themselves. They oh, right. did a you know the concert they did in, in Moscow. Oh,
0: cool. Yeah, with Pantera and ACDC. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, so yeah.
3: so there was it, they did it. I think there was a VHS release. There was scheduled to be a DVD, but that never came out. And mm. I really want that concert. Is seminal oh, legendary yeah yeah so i needed legendary. to have something better than the shitty vhs tape that i had so i tracked down on ebay the laser disc of it
0: cool yeah and i think yeah. there was black crows on it yeah as well, it black I
3: crows think. pantera AC/DC, metallica and, there was, and there was a local russian band i think they were yeah. called st or something if i remember something correctly. like that
0: yeah yeah we did an episode with dave a long time ago doing the, the that concert but yeah that is an incredible concert by the boys and just in general as well like historically i'm
3: telling you if that box set, whenever they do the deluxe box set for the Black Album, yeah. if that concert isn't on there on DVD, I'm throwing the whole thing the, in the river.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially when you look at like the, the Master of Puppets box set. It's like, okay, cool, we don't need six shows from the New York Ballroom. Like, I love that they're yeah. there, but we don't need all of these. not need all these Leper Messiah alternative takes. But yeah, you're so right. They need to immortalize that. And um, yeah, so, and they didn't even headline it. I, I don't think I've even seen the ACDC performance
3: from that. Oh, it's pretty good. Yeah. it was just I I have to assume it was just because of the the whole atmosphere of the day um, and the event itself but everybody had a crazy performance like they were all just top notch
0: yeah 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 so um, pushing on to Ronnie then like you were listening to this in real time which is an enviable position so do you remember Ronnie sticking out perhaps as a you know a fawn I don't want to say within; that doesn't really make sense. But you know what I mean? Was it one of these ones, or was it just this kind of the whole album in of itself was quite offensive? I suppose not necessarily to you, but I guess to general sensibilities regarding the band. Sure. Well, I, I mean, I don't see how the track couldn't stick out. Mm-hmm.
3: They're the same guys that did Master of Puppets and Fade to Black and One have yeah. now done this country esque. I think we could call it oh, yeah. definitely Southern Rock, Southern whatever, absolutely, but almost country. And I mean, at the same time. Even on all the media stuff, James is now – his hair is shorter. He's wearing a cowboy hat. What the fuck is that? That's not my you – know, you look at the Metal Edge magazine with it, the, cu- the picture from just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, it definitely stuck out. It's, it's not sound-wise, vibe-wise. It's nothing like they'd, something they had done before.
0: And we start off with that riff, which is rooted to the A string with some real wrenching bends, you know, as if James is like juicing an orange or or something like that. Like, I actually really quite like this riff and this opening sequence. I think it has some actual swagger that the band were trying to attain with songs like Poor Twisted Me. I think it just comes across a bit more convincing. And also, I really
3: like Jason's bass line underneath the riff. He's, He's doing quite a lot. I agree, and certainly, like, despite what I said earlier, actually, I love this song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd forgotten how much I like it until I, I had a chance to sort of listen to it 40 times, get ready for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, But there's, Lars was pretty public at the time when he talked about sort of scaling down his drum kit after hanging out with the Allison Chains guys and, mm-hmm. and playing Sean Kinney's kit for a while. He wanted to kind of get away from all this technical thrashing of all kinds of 30,000 drums around him and get right back down to a simple groove. And this, this song, to me, totally exemplifies that, I think it was a bit of a success I think it was a really cool Kind of swaggery vibe In the, in the song that, that they hadn't done before Yeah I,
0: I like this song as well like I am, I am a self-professed load hater. Like, check out any of the other load episodes. Of course, we've gone <laughs> through, and I mean, we just did Poor Twisted Me quite recently. that was the most recent one we went through. uh Outlaw Torn as well came up, and like, I prefer Ronnie. I prefer Ronnie over Cure, over Poor Twisted Me, over Wasting My Hate, over Form Within, over Outlaw Torn. I think it. I think you know, it gets its shit out well. And another thing, it does well throughout. I like Kirk's feels in the background. I think a lot of yes. it's quite quite tasteful and thoughtful and. Not kind of this absent noodling that's just quote unquote bluesy that you did before.
3: Yeah, and definitely one of the nice things things about it is there's no solo in it, so you Mm -hmm. can't bitch about that this time.
0: That's true. that's true. I noticed that when I was making myself. Like, There's no actual lead break. I mean, there are certain times when you know James sings the line um, "miles and miles." I think in the second verse, uh, and then and then yeah, Kirk sort of canters off somewhat there, and he's constantly in the background. He's a bit like a, I guess not, not really in the league, but like Martin Knopfler or someone that's always providing these little lickly lines behind. Um, let's get into the lyrics. Let's get into the subject matter actually, because as most people know, this was based on a school shooting. Uh, in Washington, 1995, the shooter was Ron Brown. I don't know how deeply you've looked into this, Phil, but I was hoping to find a juicy Wikipedia article or two about this. I've searched Washington State, I've searched 95, I've searched Metallica, I've searched Ronnie. Barely anything comes up. I just, I don't know whether this is a minor incident
3: in America amongst many, but you'd think there'd be a little thing because it's immortalized by the mighty Metallica. I had the exact same problem. I came the closest thing I could find to what I would call a valid citation was Mick Wall wrote about it. And it's in a night book. Yeah. But That's outside it. of that, I found – and I mean any searches nothing. I came up with was just discussion on a Reddit forum or and there was yeah. nothing. I couldn't find a Wikipedia article like you said. Nothing at all. Yeah, so I assume it happened, but I can't. I wouldn't be the one to come out and say, "Well, this is definitely based on this."
0: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 odd. I need to canvas so what a little more. Maybe they talked about it in there in that era. But you know, even I mean, quite grimly, but quite fascinatingly, on Wikipedia they have this huge timeline of all the shootings in the U.S. And I was mm-hmm. looking at '95, and I was looking for Washington State, and nothing came up there. But I mean, yeah, regardless, this is you know, real as well as sonically, lyrically, real new territory for Hetfield. Definitely, definitely. And some of the lyrics for me, I don't know, they, you know, small town boy, big time frown. Like, his frown is big time. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's a little like he just went for that uh, juxtaposition without really having much forethought. Yeah. And yeah, there's no confetti, no parade. I mean, you know. Some of the ideas here, obviously about the school shooting, you know, the blood stain wash away and all that, and there is this kind of choral aspect to it. And the chorus is fixed on the main riff; it kind of follows that melody to you. I mean, what, what do you think about the way the song sounds in terms of that melody?
3: It, 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 I love it because it gets your attention right away. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's this sort of the the, the bendy stringness of it, and yep. there's there's definitely an overall vibe of. of uh, you know, you're just kind of walking by some guy's house in the south, and yeah. he's out on his, out his front porch noodling on a guitar, and he sees you he say, hey, saddle on up, let me tell you a story, and it goes, you don't know what's coming with that, that opening bit, and then mm-hmm. the song goes really dark, really fast.
0: Yeah, it does. And, I mean, yeah, I, that, that porch image is, is pretty rich, actually. Yeah, I can totally see that. And, uh, the second riff as well, the doom, 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 which is literally just using this sort of A octave. And I quite like the verse riff as well. I really like the looseness of it. The slide into kind of the muted pick strumming here. And, I, you know, I, I don't, yeah, Ronnie, again, I kind of know what people would hate it for what it is, for what it represents, but if you dig into it as a song, it isn't really that bad, like, I I remember my cousin, actually, who introduced me to Metallica, always kind of, you know, really downplaying this song, and being, like, one of their worst songs, and I just, because of him, I always sort of hated it, but listening to it more and more, it has grown on me as I go through, and I think the band worked well in it, I mean, you know, it's five minutes seventeen, it's not the longest song on load, it's quite long, really, for just a song in general. Are there any parts that are tepid to you Or does it coast across quite successfully
3: No I mean if if anything You could probably cut one repeated part of the chorus Off at the end of the song But I don't feel like it's overly tubby Like there's not a whole lot of weight that needs to be lost there
0: No no, I agree. And again, I want to reiterate that I do quite like Kirk's playing. Even in the verses, he's just doing certain slide ideas that just bring out some things. And, you know, Hetfield is really enjoying inhabiting this role as well. I mean, the way he says, like, pal kit as well. And, you know, he's got that sleazy, redneck Hetfield. And um, I mean, yeah, all in all, I, I, I don't think it's a bad number. I think it's a bit of an underrated number. And... Whilst a lot of load and reload haven't been played live and I can you know I understand it. Ronnie, I think, would work. I think it'd be received well.
3: See, I don't know. Like as much as I love the song, I don't I don't think they've ever played it this played this one live. No, they've never but... played it.
0: That's yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean I th- there were rumors that S and M, they were maybe rehearsing it for that or something, but I wouldn't say that, but I say if you play this in Arkansas, they're gonna fucking love it.
3: Yeah, I think it would have maybe limited appeal outside of that. Plus I don't know where you'd sandwich it in the set. But no. uh, I mean, I, I'd be all for it, but I can totally see Creeping Death into is. Ronnie, I think, it may, <laughs> makes the most sense. I'd pay extra to see that. <laughs> yeah,
0: it may be working a sort of dirty kind of post-fuel slot or something like that. Like, you know, like they've kind of, I, yeah, I, I see. If they ever did like, you know, they used to the Justice Medley. If they did a Load Reload Medley, this riff would get a lot of reaction. You know, it's one of the more memorable from Load You could start old.
3: with that. If you do a Load Reload Medley, you could definitely start with this one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I just I, I do like the bending in the riff as well. Um I, I yeah, there's something quite nourishing about it and you know, I hate to overuse this word, but there's something so southern about it in the best possible way. Like I've been listening to a lot of Little Feet recently and and, and they do these kind of similar mechanics. As we always do, we reach out to you guys uh, at Metallica Pod it's always good to see what you think about this song. Ralph saying, I have a weird relationship with this song and poor twisted me and to a lesser extent cure. Sometimes I dig this song and other times I rather dislike it. Ronnie does have quite a bit of swagger and interesting lyrics, but I think it should have been a B side. It strays too far. It's just too experimental. I get what they were trying to do. It just doesn't seem like it should have been on a proper Metallica album. Some self editing during this time period would have helped the loads a lot. I think if they trimmed some fat, you'd end up with some classics, especially with load. I mean, kind of reiterate what you were saying saying before phil and i certainly do agree I, I there's no reason why ronnie shouldn't be like four minutes ten like
3: yeah there's there's a bit of repetition towards the end
0: there is there is certainly and that's kind of indicative of these kind of longer porch jams as it were they don't got the sort of you yeah, know that 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 structural structural tightness uh nick sang actually like it some of the more pointed lyrics that James wrote that don't have multiple meanings. Sadly, the lyrics are still topical here in the US. Metallica Carl saying it's one of the two songs I would cut from the album, along with Cure. There's just too many bluesy swagger songs on load, which is why I like Reload better. And then he gives a shout-out to uh, And then he gives a shout-out to Clint from Metal at Your Podcast there as well. And uh, Tommy saying, I love this track. If the lyrics and excuse and excuse the pun killer because of the lyrics and the excused-upon killer swagger that it has. Yeah, it wears on you on a bit. Yeah, it wears on you a bit, but I wholly enjoy it nonetheless. I particularly dig how Lars initially accents the upbeat of the riff with the kick before turning around when he comes in. Adrian saying, ultimate swagger, catchy as hell, makes me want to shoot people. Well, uh, Metallicat saying, honestly, one of my favourites. Triton saying, being the second to load... La- Being second to last track of load, Ronnie takes the blame for all the poor twisted songs of the album in my opinion, though I don't like the cocky tone of the song, the groove is so hypnotic, I always have to come back to it, a filler track, but a decent one nonetheless, and the riff does have that nature doesn't it Phil, you can sort of get lost in it, like I think those opening moments where the riff is establishing itself and the drums are coming in and then the whole rhythm is being propelled forward, like it it works brilliantly.
3: I, I totally agree. And I think even further to that, I, I, one of the things I've always loved about Metallica in particular is that for most songs, not everything across the board, uh, and certainly in lesser eras with some of the Kirk stuff, but it, in a lot of cases, you can take any one of their songs and break it down to individual performances, and each one is enough to hook you in. Mm-hmm. And then you put it all together. And I, I honestly, like for all the love that, that the riff's getting, Lars's drums on this are awesome to me. They're just totally laid back. They are almost they almost feel like they're a hair late on where they should be but it totally works for the swagger mm-hmm. they're going for
0: yeah yeah I think this is you know load run off into so many different directions and they were trying so much there and I appreciate their ambition and I think you can point to Ronnie as being you know a successful experiment in that right really I do like the track and just quickly going on to our Facebook group if you're not following us on there already just search Alf Metallica on Facebook we essentially post the same things on Twitter they're asking your opinions on songs etc uh, Russell saying Ronnie is highly underrated even though Load isn't musically their best album, Ronnie for me is a standout track as it was my as it was a favourite of my friends and I growing up in middle school. Amazing riff intro, as you said, offbeat drum kick, and decent singing on lyrics. One of my favourites on the album for sure. And finally, Rob saying Rob, who was on for Outlaw Torn fairly recently, my least favourite Metallica song between the shrieking guitar licks and the downright horseshit lyrics. This wannabe Jeremy should have never made it onto an album. Oh, I, I, you know, wannabe Jeremy. I can see the comparison absolutely yeah it's right there yeah i mean uh, jeremy or ronnie what's the better song for you
3: oh i i mean i love i love metallica but i think jeremy's jeremy's better track. Song.
0: yeah yeah jeremy's but the, the vocal melody in jeremy is astonishing like the 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 leaps and bounds that the vedder does on that as well just, yeah, yeah jeremy is just a way superior song let us know com. ronnie or jeremy what where, where do you stand on that divide but um any uh any final thoughts on ronnie for yourself phil
3: you know there's a when when load came out there was a there was a big thing they they for the first time kind of broke out James and Kirk and had each one gave them sort of their own voice and effectively their own speaker in the mix for all these songs have you've ever seen classic albums I assume when they break down oh, a record the, with the, the documentaries
0: artists? yeah yeah I love those yeah,
3: yeah. if you could get uh, like a multi-track setup and play load and be able to, to isolate different parts I think this is a song that would be just fascinating to hear just listen to one guitar for the entire song. Mm. And then the other guitar, because it's—I mean—sometimes it kind of get lost, gets lost in the mix. What each guy is playing, and I think to be able to hear them on their own would be just a whole other level of how cool the song could be.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To hear the stems would be uh, would be a triumph. So we will close with a few quick five questions, Phil. The first of which being, what is your favorite Metallica song?
3: And justice for all.
0: And justice for all.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I I remember listening to your episode of that one really early on, and and I know that some people think it could lose. A couple minutes and still be okay mm-hmm. and i give me five more minutes at the end part i love it
0: yeah i i mean my criticism back then and that funnily enough that episode i had my friend sam on that i do the top mates podcast with that is the most complained about alf metallica episode people had a real because really? he doesn't really know metallica and he was like making those spurious claims that i just didn't correct him on but um but yeah no i, I you know the more time i spend with that song the more i just you know adore the main riff the jackhammerness of it and also the, the legato hammering on parts and the whole track is amazing for me the only criticism is that the the middle bridge part is just the intro with distortion whereas master establishes a whole new composition but yeah you know it's your favorite song i'm not gonna tell you why it's bad but that you know, <laughs> <laughs> um what about album
3: yeah also in justice for all yeah I think, yeah. I think I th- because it was sort of the it was my introduction, it was the first one. And i I mean I really just do appreciate those songs the most. But it's hard to pick a favorite out of all of them. It albums.
0: is, it is, yeah. I think if I did a census, because obviously I asked this question at the end of every episode, I think most people have said justice more than Master or any other album actually, which is not surprising, but yeah, interesting. Um what about favorite member of the band?
3: That's that's a really tough one. Like I think without any thought, knee jerk reaction, I'd say James. Mm-hmm. But honestly, if I had the opportunity to to sort of sit down and do like this kind of thing, or like a podcast style interview, whatever, with one of them, I I might go with Lars, okay. Just because his his like he there's nothing about Metallica he doesn't know. No,
7: that's so Do you
3: true. know what I mean? And he, his memory for stuff is incredible. And I mean i i had the I, I had a chance to meet them a few years ago. Yes. And his his openness and and willingness to chat with people and his kindness, man, for super rich rock stars, none of them have any business being that nice.
0: I mean, the next question is seeing them live, so that ties into meeting the guys. Like, I mean, how many times have you seen them live? First of all, uh, six times now. Six times. Cool. So, w- when when was the occasion when you actually
3: met them? It was so before they did uh, through the never. That was they did two sh- Well, they did two shows plus a bunch of pickup shots in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Before that, they did two shows in it, um, just sort of as a warm up. I have no idea why they picked Edmonton. I'm grateful that they did. Uh, but I was in the fan club at the time, and so that gave you the opportunity to apply for meet-and-greet passes because they were doing that for every show. Yeah, uh, This is back when it was still free to apply. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, I was just sitting at work one day, and I got the email that, congratulations, you've been selected for uh, meet-and-greet passes. And then I got a second email uh, a few minutes later saying that with the meet-and-greet passes also came snake pit passes. Mm. so for one of the four shows because i mean all four shows were, were put to film and there's a couple shots that you can tell for sure in that movie that are from the edmonton concerts because great big edmonton oilers logos and stuff in the cool. background um but for for the first of the two shows that were there i got to meet the band uh watch it from inside the stage and i don't think that will ever be beat <laughs> and uh, who did you meet lars anyone else yeah, all four of them, actually. We were pretty lucky. They tell yeah. you in advance that there's no guarantee you're going to meet any or all of the members. And we got all four. Well, they they take us – I mean, if you want the whole story. Please, yeah. they. Uh, so you meet in, in sort of an as identified spot at the venue. And they, uh, they they had to pay us $10 each because we were technically at that point unpaid extras. So <laughs> they had to pay us $10. Um, and they, they sort of – once everyone's there and, and gathered this – big tall security dude hauls you underneath the bowels of whatever venue mm. and then they just stick you in some random green room and so they had us in this room kind of in an l shape in in two of the four walls in in the in the thing and just kind of standing there waiting for whoever's going to come by to come by and rob was the first one to come in um and he was talking about how he'd gone surfing that morning and flown in from hawaii nice. while the rest of us are freezing outside yeah. waiting for the show to start <laughs> um yeah and it was you know it's i really enjoyed seeing what other people's reaction was going to be because i mean Everyone dreams about, oh, I'm going to meet my heroes. So it's going to be great. And then you get put in that position. You realize, what am I going to say? Like, because I don't want to yeah. be that fanboy who's just, oh, your music changed my life yeah, or you saved yeah. this or wow, that riff was great. Because mm-hmm. then you come off like the Chris Barley show and I didn't want to do that. <laughs> um, and it really was, I was stunning. So Rob comes through and starts making his way uh, through the lineup. And the next guy to come in was Lars. And the room made significantly more noise when Lars came in. Oh, yeah. And what surprised me. Was he kind of came in and he went to the far side of the room, which is closer to kind of where I was. And as he's making his way down the line, talking to people, he's 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 kind of picking up that no one's making a whole lot of chat because we're all Canadian, we're all very you know very sure. polite and don't want to interrupt anybody. So he starts quizzing us. He starts quizzing us on Edmonton Oilers trivia Damn. about who who the Oilers farm team was and then who that team's farm team was. Mm-hmm. And I mean that gave me the opportunity to talk with him because no one was saying anything and i yeah. knew the answer because i follow the oilers that was yeah. pretty easy but even if he just sort of looked that up on wikipedia the night before an hour before whatever five minutes were walking through the door he didn't have to do that mm-hmm. so for him to take that few extra minutes and just look up some local trivia to give him something to talk to people about i thought was just really really that's kind amazing yeah
0: that's yeah. amazing and and uh, then yeah then, Kirk, then kirky boy
3: or james or I, I between the two, I don't remember because at that yeah. point I was actively talking to Lars and I didn't want to screw it up. But, you know, James kind of went the other direction. So eventually they crossed over as they're going through the lineup. But I remember, you know, even a, a few people down, if you remember, James has had a couple of times he's had problems with his back. Mm-hmm. And there was a fellow a few guys down from me that was talking about how he'd hurt his back and what a pain it was. And then he tried to cut himself off. He just said, listen, I'm I'm sorry, I don't I mean to waste. I know you got other people to get to. And James stopped him. And said, no, 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 this is your time with us, man. What do you, what do you want to talk about? Damn. There was no handler there that was – I mean there were people. There was like security and there was yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. the Metali- live Metallica woman with the video camera and stuff. Who is Canadian? Uh-huh. Um, but there was no handler there that was rushing people through. It was well – I mean imagine it going as well as you can expect and then it goes even better. It was incredible. I
0: think, I think like, if I saw James in the flesh, I probably burst into tears. Like, there'd just be this rush of emotion
3: like, Yeah, it's hard not to have that emotion
0: Like, yeah, just, I mean, genuinely like All the other guys, and obviously Lars was The coolest motherfucker on the planet, but just something about James that just, yeah I mean, what, what a guy, and I know that he doesn't do that too often I know he's a bit like a, like Neil Peart Like, doesn't really do it does Well, obviously Rush on going anymore But um, I don't think he did it talking today about the outlaw taunt and i've made it clear on many many episodes that load and reload isn't really my bag uh, i put out a tweet which i'm sure you've seen i put it on the facebook group as well oh, uh,
13: i have it right here do
0: you want me to read it tom yeah it read, very read, hurtful <laughs> <laughs> because the problem is, Rob, you know, a lot of times people will email in, and I only realise this in retrospect, a lot of people email in and just ask, oh, what's available? And I'll give them a bullet point of four or five songs. But in this case, you had asked for Outlaw Torn. So I wasn't I goading you with my tweet. But But yeah, if you can read it, please
13: well let me set this up first because you said it's been a year and a half since i requested outlaw torn that's right so i've had a year and a half of thinking about it you know like oh it's like it's coming up in a year it's coming up in six months oh my god it's coming up in two weeks and then i log into social media and get this on my feed should i do it in your voice or Uh, I'd, i'd
0: love to hear it yeah
13: <laughs> been listening to this a lot. Prep. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> been listening to this a lot and prep for next week's episode, and I still remain genuinely baffled as to why it's so lauded. There must be something I'm not hearing. This is amongst the very worst on load, in my opinion. Please convince me. Uh, talk about ruining my day, Tom. I mean, <laughs> that 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 was so hurtful. I I took it to heart. I'm like, I'm like, I I love. I genuinely love this song, mm-hmm. and then I'm like. How how do you convince someone to like a song? You really yeah. can't. No. Uh, no. Like when I start to like dig into the lyrics, dig into the, the music, and I'm like, how do you convince someone to actually like a song they don't already like? But um, I, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'm going to give it my best shot. So... <sighs>
0: yeah and, and i mean that's the beauty of music as well like you know everyone can have so many differing opinions on it and it's like how can they not hear this like, i mentioned tom waits before for example i have many friends and i know many people are like despise the man like to me he's an uh, absolute genius and
13: present company included wow well, uh, not a wait's like a but... cookie monster <laughs> The first time I heard Tom Waits, I was at uh, my wife's – I was at my in-laws, and it was on a mix they they were playing, and I thought – I really thought it was a joke. I was like, (laughs) what is this? Like, is this real? Is this a real song? And then, yeah, then that was my, uh, my exposure to Tom Waits. So I, I didn't really give him a fair shake, but I just did hear that one song, and I was like, what the hell yeah, is
0: this? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that's from like the 80s on. He's a he's a weird anomaly where he married, basically, and got more experimental. His first kind of 10 years are much more you know, softer in tone. But, 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 yeah, I mean, and I am an anomaly as well. I have to say we're going to get to some of the feedback at the end of the episode, and pretty much everyone adores this song. People are baffled at me and why I don't think it's lauded. And, you know... The, This whole show is about critical appraisal more than anything. I'm not going to bash it with any venom, really. I'm just going to say what I think of it. I have listened a lot to it. And, you know, maybe my thoughts have been neutered somewhat from that tweet. So, um you know let's get into it then this is you know obviously one of their longest songs pretty towering track we fade in from the silence with kirk's kind of wah squalls and an insistent tr ch- chugging the drums rising in volume here um wh- wh- what do you make of this intro um i think it's foreboding it's uh it's kind of a sign of
13: things to come yeah you don't know what to make of it it's like what what's going on it's uh it's not like any other intro for a Metallica song, but then it leads up to what I think is a monumental riff, an epic, anthemic riff that uh, I hope you can appreciate.
0: <laughs> See, I don't like that riff. I have to say, really? I don't like that may riff. I don't know. It's a little. Wow. Ah, it's a little annoying for me. It's a little gnawed. It's a little. It feels like it's poured from the same stuff stew of load and reload. You know.
13: Right, so load and reload. I am not one of the people that loves every song on that those albums. You know, like I like. There's, I feel like there's a lot of crap in those albums. to okay. Be honest. They're like Ronnie. I mean, what the hell is Ronnie? Yeah. Um, they call him Mister Frown or what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but I mean, yeah. So it's not like I just love load and reload. But but Oof. this song, I really think that that riff is inspiring. <laughs> 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 I, And let me put it like this. So I always liked that song. Like when it was released, that one stuck out to me. I would, you know, put it on my mix or whatever and listen to it, um, go out of my way to listen to it. And then I went to the S&M show at Madison Square Garden in uh, 99. I can't
0: believe you were there. That's incredible.
13: Hey, and I scored tickets to the next one, too. You uh, did? Yes.
0: Yeah. There must be we'll very few people. <laughs> yeah, very few people have gone to both. That, that is mad. So, sorry, yeah, you, you saw it there. And it is a great version, I should say, there. You encouraged me to listen to it on email. And, you know, I had already heard it before, but I did listen to it again this morning. And I think they, it came and does wonders with the track. It really
13: beefs up the, mm-hmm. the song. I mean, it, because it is a, it's kind of a stripped-down song on load, yeah. but with the power of the, the orchestra, like, I felt it that night. I remember I was like, wow, like, this is this is amazing. And, um, so when I've been listening to this song, like in preparation for, uh, for this podcast, uh, I realize I really listen 90% of the time to the S and M version and the, uh, the load version does sound a lot more stripped down, but still has value. But mm-hmm. the S and M version I think is the definitive version. And, I recommend everyone check that one out if they haven't already.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot of space on the load version. Like after the main riff, it pulls back and we can hear Newstead's bass sort of carrying across. It's just slightly. Plodding, I suppose, the entire song for me. Um, I don't find it very catchy. I don't, I don't find many of the lyrics that compelling or the melody, but it's just, it's just one of those things, you know, like I listen to this um Pearl Jam podcast live on four legs, great podcast where they review Pearl Jam concerts. And those two guys, Randy and Matt, they are often like dumbfounded that the other doesn't really dig the song and they'll talk for like 10 minutes. And it's just like, it's like trying to change someone's favorite color. You know what I mean? It's just right. trying to convince someone to like Indian food. If they don't, it, 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 it's just something innately within us. Maybe in ten years or something, I'll just like wake up in the middle of the night and be like, "Oh my god, our Lord's on!" Yeah, yeah I not...
13: think um, one of your one of your listeners uh, called you out. It was pretty ageist what he said, but
0: yeah. when you're older, you'll get it. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> that was Nick. Nick Nick was on the show recently. Oh, now right, that okay. we're dead, yeah, that was quite an ageist comment, Nick. But uh, <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, may, maybe so. Maybe may, maybe it'll grow with it. But I, I don't know. I feel I feel pretty uh, steadfast in these opinions. But um, yeah, the, you know. The, there is this kind of wide panoramic landscape i mean the title itself the outlaw torn connotes this idea of sort of this western you know frontier and um james's vocals coming in here what do you think of his delivery
13: i love his delivery uh, then when he comes in and now i wait my whole life lifetime for you and then he says it again um and then it's kind of distorted it this song it let me, I'll just, all right I'll just put this out there I think that this song is about James's personal demons his uh yeah. his struggles his personal struggles and then his cry for help this is James in 1995 1996 when he was still you know not settled down yet I mean he would soon marry his wife Francesca I think in 97 or something or 96 mm-hmm. 97 and um, so I feel like he was still struggling with the man that he is was and the man he wanted to be, and so I feel like the the plotting, the stripped down nature of the the first verses really works with that. It's it's him bearing his soul, him really like just uh, like trying to like search for the person uh-huh. that he wants to be, and it's not easy. I mean, as we go through the lyrics, we'll see. Uh-huh. I mean, a lot of people feel this song's about Cliff in some ways. Did you read? No, uh, I I don't agree. No. Um, that's something. <laughs> anyone else that does this uh that does this podcast in the future i would recommend not looking up what other people think of this song because it may uh it's disheartening because i've never put that together that it's about cliff um i don't think this is about death at all um i think people take it very i mean who knows what do i know this is my interpretation but but people take it very literally
0: like now i wait my whole
13: lifetime they're I, people point to like hey, after the
0: bus accident yeah I'd rather die behind the wheel a lot of people talk about that line as well
13: yeah I mean I think that's too literal but, mm-hmm. but hey we don't know um, and I couldn't really find anything about where James or anyone else commented on the song itself yeah. um, so I don't know if there's, there's no definitive
0: no no, no. Yeah. I mean, no, as with the majority uh, of the songs, meaning. So yeah, there's a lot of plurality there uh, in definition. Do you?
13: What, what do you think it's about? Do you think it's uh, about Cliff, or what, what's your? No, take? no.
0: I, I don't think so either. And I agree. Yeah, you shouldn't go onto songmeanings.com and see what people write because there are paragraphs and paragraphs like proper, like literary essays breaking down these lyrics. Um, no, I, I feel the same way. I feel like it, it's James being quite candid and being quite open as he was being in this period. You know, uh, if I close my mind in fear, please pry it open. He is asking for help and sort yes. of explaining how, um, you know, the defence mechanisms that are inherent within him. And I do like his delivery, um, you know, wait my whole lifetime for you. The, the whole song lyric-wise is quite repetitive in the sense that lines kind of echo each other Has a meditative, chant-like quality to proceedings. And there are the the vocals, underneath the vocals, the multiple voices heard, which is a nice touch, a kind of nice affectation of the rock era. Um, not really a Sort of big chorus is the I suppose. I mean, he sings it, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily a fist pumper for me at least. I I think his vocals are amazing there.
13: Uh-huh. Um, I, oh, yeah, right sings, now it's like we're it listening well, to yeah. two different songs, Tom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh I think it's it's dramatic. I the the whole first um, first verse or first couple of verses, you know, where it says drums and bass and it's that plotting minimalistic mm-hmm. it comes back dramatic for the outlaw of torn part um and i, I feel like that's once again he's he's rebelling like mm-hmm. i, I want to have this self-reflection i want to be a better person but screw that on the outlaw of torn i can't give in i'm like too good for that i'm too too much of a you know quote unquote man for that um i i think it works great
0: yeah yeah and I- you know there are lots of successes in the song. I think the bridge, the "Hear Me" and if I close, if I close my mind in fear, like that—that that melody, I really like. Very kind of bleeding me, s to me in its strength.
13: Yes, exactly. Yeah, bleeding me is another one of my favorites on this album. Um, and I—I I mean, I the the ending of the song that uh, you know, hear me, see me, beware. Yeah. Uh, that that definitely brings it together, and I feel like that is when James, either figuratively, he's asking for help, or um, I know that Francesco was in his life, you know, his wife, um, was in his life at that time. So, I mean, it could even be literal to mm-hmm. her, like, like, because I know they had marital problems and, and James had many issues that, you know, we all know about, uh, oh, yeah. at that time and for several years after this. So, um, I think it could even be literal to her. Like, you know, don't basically don't leave me. I know I'm tortured. I know I have problems. I know that, um, I want to be a better man,
0: but I need help. Mm-hmm. So I mean I that just speaks to me and I I love it. And speaking of James, one of the great markers of this song again is the fact that he's soloing all over it. So about five minutes thirty, the the first solo comes in this kind of delayed backwash idea that effectively is mimicking the melody itself. Uh, what, what do you think of this section?
13: I like that too. It's it once again. I think it's the are it is it the volume swelly? Yeah, type? that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. So yeah, I mean I like it because it's still. Still mysterious. Still, it's not resolved. It's not. Uh, it's not happy. It's not. Uh it, it is still haunting you know mm-hmm. this is a man with demons and i just take that as a, a good mood setter yeah it's i mean I, it's... I like his playing there it's
0: i like anytime they do volume swells it's fine by me mm-hmm. yeah it fits the tone definitely there's a kind of fragmented uh, dissonance to it and you know again, again like, i don't entirely hate outlaw tour like another thing that i do really like is when it cuts to the solo straight away with those huge swarves of noise cutting through with kirk i think it's a great intro to the solo it's quite inspired
13: Yes, and I feel like Kirk hasn't done that in any other solo. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, um, but I, I just feel that the solo on the whole is just, it's angry at first, it's pain, it's it's uh, fear, you know, it, just, it, it it fits the song so well because this is not a happy song. He doesn't resolve it and say, hey, I'm going to rehab and yeah. I'm going to see it shrink and fix all my problems. No, this is something ongoing and it's not happy. It's angry still i feel like it just fits the tone perfectly
0: it does it does and then it cuts back into the bridge with the hear me and the backing vocals on that as well and you know kirk the band do this a lot like my friend of misery for example and stuff like that where kirk's in the back of the song purging his own demons to a certain extent on the fretboard It's just got a kind of brooding western aesthetic that i do really dig to a certain extent it's um you Know it's a long song as well, and there are these extended sections. And there is the kind of end jam, and I think on the Memory Remains B side, they did the actual full version, which the is the like, uncumbered version, yeah, yeah, which I, I haven't actually heard that. Is is it worth it, the end jam? Or uh,
13: I'd say no, but um, <laughs> it because I, yeah, I mean, I listened to it probably once in preparation for this, and I've heard it in the past, but um, hearing the regular. Um outro just fade out, or the SNM version. I mean, that's fine with me. Um, I, I don't think it's necessary, and and I know it does get, uh, you know, the song gets slack. The people say it should be two minutes shorter. Um, what's with this, you know, meandering outro uh-huh. going nowhere? But I I feel like it fits the song well. It. it it's not, like I said earlier, it's, this, it's not resolved. James has these problems for years, and he's just, like in a Western, he's walking off into the, into the sunset without, without any resolution. So if it just cut with, uh, you know, please uh, remind me of what, this, what left this outlaw torn, um, I, I don't think it would work. I think you need that um, because James is still going on that journey, and he will go through, you know a lot of problems in the future or have experienced a lot of problems in the future marital drugs inter-band relationships all that cool. fun stuff so I, I think it fits it well
0: yeah and lars was saying quote when we were doing the final sequencing of the load album the record company told us that we couldn't go a second past 78 59 which i did you remember on the load cds there used to be a sticker showing that it was that length
13: yeah, yeah. I, I guess they were very proud of. Uh, <laughs> so, I, so are you a conspiracy theorists saying they just made this long so they can have that uh, great distinction? Or?
0: Maybe so. Yeah, I don't. Re- I don't really. I mean, you know, how dare you talk? <laughs> but you. but it's not just this song that adds to the bloat, I think "House" that Jack Bill and you know arguably sections of "Bleeding Me" and, and certainly sections oh, no, of no. Bleeding "Ronnie." Me Oh uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, bleeding me. Yeah, compositionally is better in that sense. Um, yeah, this is a, uh, these sections I don't really like. To be honest, it reminds me a little bit of "Now That We're Dead" that I covered with Nick recently, where it's just unnecessary riffing and quite boring riffing at that. Where James is just throwing different endings in, and you know, James is the, the riff god. He's he's the greatest purveyor of the guitar riff in the history of the world in my opinion and here i just find it quite bland i don't know i like a lot of jam bands you know i I like white denim i like the grateful dead i like fish i like bands that can take guitar lines into interesting places i suppose i wanted james to be mike piazza but he was more mo Vaughn, if you know what i mean look at you with the uh american (laughs) baseball references are are you making uh new york references for me (laughs) You, you know what I've got to be honest with you. I went on your Facebook. I saw you're a Mets fan. I looked up Mets players just to impress you.
13: Yeah, and you chose Mo Vaughn. <laughs> Mo Vaughn was on the team for a couple of years at the end of his career. Wow. Uh, nice, nice current references. No, thank uh, you. Um.
0: Thank you. But, um, but yeah, I don't, mind, I don't mind the jam to a certain extent. Like I like that lick. like the James starts carving out towards the end. And I love on the s and version when the strings mimic that and interplay. Really cool sequence.
13: Yeah, I honestly the SNM version does make the outro more palatable. Mm-hmm. Um I can see that. I'm not blind to it. And um just on the whole, SNM version really adds an extra oomph to this song that it may that you may think it's missing on the on the album.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's absolutely fair. But but what what about you? What would you make of sort of the last two minutes or so as it's fading out? I I like it. Like I said,
13: it's a uh-huh. it's a journey. It's it's James not giving in. I, I feel like uh, I, I pictured the outlaw walking into the sunset. Um, because if we think about where James is at the time of the song, I don't know if he wrote it in 95 or 96, probably 95, but I mean, he went on to have marital trouble. He got kicked out of his house numerous times by uh, by his wife. He We all know about his drinking and possible drug addictions, um, his handling of Jason. you know, He, he came from a background where He was insecure, didn't introverted, didn't know how to deal with people, you know, didn't let people in. So I feel like this is a good like go into the sunset, fade it out. Um, the, The journey is still going onward. You know, it's nothing is resolved at the end of this
4: so
0: as we always do we'll go to you guys for your opinions on the song I should say as well we've got a Facebook group you know it's been going for years but I'm posting a lot more on it now so it's out just search Alf Batallica on Facebook and join we've got about 670 people over there so um, yeah it was pretty much all positive Bob O'Rourke saying watch the good the bad and the ugly to get you into a proper epic mood search way deep inside yourself and the lyrics make strike a chord whether it's a lost loved one a relationship that became the one that got away for me it's the bridge lyrics I'm certainly no fan of jam bands or songs that go on forever but this one and fixer of course me and me and bob covered fixer That's always been a personal favorite nick that we mentioned before saying tom your abject disdain of the loads is comical and somewhat admirable at times outlaw is a fine track you will understand with age personally i love the snm version in due time my friend John Bradshaw saying it's okay at best should have chopped about eight minutes off it though it sums up that era of bland middle of the road rock Mark says I absolutely love this track one of my faves from Low but I must admit I didn't like it much in 96 when Low came out the SNM version really made me analyse the track and I gained a new perspective of it when I went back to the album version and then just hopping on to uh, oh sorry Ralph as well saying Tom I must say I absolutely love this track it's a freaking epic song music is phenomenal and James's personal lyrics on this one really speak to me one of the triumvirants of the epic beasts on the Load's bleeding me and Fixer the other two. F Y I to me, Load is a great album that could have been a classic like the Black album. If you cut Ronnie and Paul twisted me, do, do you agree with that? Do you think Load could have been like a Black album with a bit of pruning? Um, perhaps.
13: Um, mm. yeah, they, they definitely got experimental, um, and I think that would hold it back from being like the Black album, which was a straight, you know, pretty much rock album. This definitely experimented more. Um, I, I feel like this. I don't agree, actually, because I, I think it's too too different. Even the um, the first single, what was it? Uh,
0: oh, until it sleeps.
13: Until it sleeps. Yes. When they, I remember they released that, you know, before the album came out, and I heard it on the radio, and it was like, all right, it's 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 fine, it's good, it, but I mean, it's not Enter Sandman or Sabotage or, I mean, name one song on Load that can rival those, you know, those singles and i don't i don't know if you could find one it's just so different i i don't think that it uh could have been the next black album no
2: no
0: you're you're, you're right and you know without Outlaw as well i think i prefer half the album to it i think ain't my bitch two by four sleeps king nothing here Day bleeding me are better than it i do think load is a front loaded album i think that's the, the b side this the second side is yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a disappointment to me. I don't know about you. It's just a little bit tasteless. Well, not the outlaw torn. Not Tom. the outlaw torn. <laughs> what are we What are we talking about here? <laughs> no, I
13: agree. I agree. The second half definitely. There's some songs that I probably haven't listened to in years, or if it comes up, I skip them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the outlaw torn. Nope. That's uh, that's a li- must listen every time.
0: No, no. I mean, uh, most. Yeah, most people seem to hold this song in high regard. You know regardless of the album that it comes from. And just jumping on Twitter quickly as well, at MetallicaPod, Nick saying, an amazing build and slow burn. It's atmospheric and ambitious. It's a great window into James' artistic state at the time. The closing lyrics are so killer, especially in hindsight of Some Kind of Monster. It's exactly what Hetfield described just a few years later. Uh, Todd saying, you don't have to like uh, everything other people like. This one convinced me Metallica wasn't just a fresh band. Helped me fall in love with everything else. For me, the s version, though, is a definitive one. Sadly, Podcast saying, dim the lights, Tom. Let it in. It's a slow burn but a good one it's story time with Papa hair and of course i this is from the tweet that rob mentioned before and finally garrett brooks says step one wash mud out your ears step two listen again that's good advice <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
13: tried, have you tried that yet Tom?
0: <laughs> i need to try that and metal a podcast showing their elitist streak here saying it's hard to take anyone seriously when their main format for music listening is spotify
13: well i maybe you should let them know that this track actually is on the SNL album yeah um contrary contrary to uh what ethan luck God. thinks
0: yeah that was all right a, there you go saga that was that was
13: look boring. at that The burn sick burn <laughs>